I'll call to order the city council meeting on October 25th, 2022. We're just returning from closed session, which has been continued to the conclusion of the meeting. Um, can we start, city clerk, with the roll call again? Yep. Council Agency Authority Member Sullivan? Here. Richie? Here. Silva? Here. Roberts? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Stockton? Here. Mayor Chair Roulette? Can I have everyone stand for a moment of silence? Are there any changes to the uh, agenda? Uh, yes, Mr. Vice Mayor, I just want to bring to your attention that uh, for item 6C on the consent, that 6C is in Charlie, um, there is a revised resolution with an updated dollar figure to match what is reported in the staff report. Uh, with that addition and that modification that you have before you tonight, we can simply keep that on the consent calendar for council's consideration tonight. Other okay. than that, there's no changes. Any changes from the council? 6D. We, we haven't got through the consent yet. We gotta get through the consent. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I have a motion to approve the agenda. Motion approved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Approval of the minutes. Any changes? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Presentations today, we have none. We'll move to the consent calendar with the exception, um, excuse me, is there anyone from the audience that would like anything removed from the consent calendar besides 6D? Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar with the exception of 6D? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? None. Unanimous. The manager can, or was it? I just want to separate standalone, so I don't want to necessarily need explanation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do I have a motion for 60? Mr. Vice Mayor, you do need to open it for oh, public comment. Me. Sorry. Is there anyone from the public that would like to comment on 60? I'll open public comment now. I'll close public comment. And I get a motion for 60. Motion approved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Objection. Passes. First time. Give me a second. Yes. This is the time to address the council with issues that are not on the agenda that are within the council's subject matter jurisdiction. 
Your comments will be limited to three minutes per speaker or group. And if you want to make comments, please line up in the aisle and we will get started. There anyone who wishes to make a comment? Floor is yours, sir. Clipper Cargo Jewelry and Coin, and I'm also a member of the board of the downtown Vacaville Business Improvement District. And what you're going to be handed out now with the great support of our Vacaville Police Chief is our new downtown safe business program. This program we've been working on for four or five months. The design committee, especially with the help of our interim executive director, Maria Alemany. And in it, you'll find a lot of new information and wrinkles uh, with the, and I do have to mention on uh, Chief Smutzler's staff, uh, our first meeting was brought in with a great team with Katie, uh, Katie uh, Lieutenant Katie Cardona, and especially Sergeant Aaron Potter, who's been working with us very closely through another three or four meetings. One of the interesting things we've come up with is this new suspect card and vehicle description card, because you know our first responders are actually when you pick up the phone and call for help at 911, and this is the information they're gonna want when you call. Uh, in this packet, I think I wanna take up a lot of your time. You have a very busy night, but I think you're gonna find a fascinating, a new police department program here called the new police trespass letter program. This is a new program that is gonna allow for increased enforcement in uh, public areas around businesses. So I, uh, if you, when you get a chance, I hope you get a chance to browse through it. Of course, any corrections, comments, or advice is always appreciated. Uh, we'll be distributing, this has already been distributed to the downtown Vacaville Business District Board. It'll now be distributed to every member of the downtown Vacaville Business Improvement District. So thank you for your time. And again, I wanna thank the incredible support we've had from our police department uh, for this developing this program. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Good evening, Mr. Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Debbie Phillips, and I have been a member of the Vacaville community for more than 23 years. During this time, I've had a few positive experiences with the Vacaville Fire Department. The most recent being in January 2020, when I had a bilateral pulmonary embolism that caused me to go into cardiac arrest. The volunteer firemen who arrived first began CPR, but if it were not for the medic firefighter from Station 72 arriving and making some swift decisions, I would most likely not be standing here today. You see, in matters of life and death, yes, technically I died <laughs> multiple times, the minutes and seconds are so critical. On that particular date, Station 73 that was closer to my home did not have a staff paramedic rig, but thanks to Major M, it was reinstated the very next week. However, I've now learned that the very same paramedic rig that saved my life has been taken out of service indefinitely due to staffing issues. I'm frustrated hearing these brave and selfless men and women are being forced to work overtime shifts also due to this understaffed crisis. The department is losing too many valuable members to other departments as a result of the reduction in benefits. According to the City of Vacaville strategic plan, the city's number one goal is to ensure public safety. 
However, I'm confused as this issue of managing increased firefighter and EMS calls is ranked in number seven out of eight priorities. How can you, the representatives of the city, encourage growth such as the approved biotech companies, multiple areas of new homes, while reducing the EMS available? With these approved expansions and all the new homes being built within the city, it will warrant even more calls for EMS. I trust you will put the needs of our citizens first and recognize the urgent action is required to ensure this department does not get further depleted, leaving all of us vulnerable in the event of a medical emergency. There is a great chance that either you or somebody you know and love will require these emergency services. I just hope and pray they will be there when you need them. Remember, every minute counts, and that includes getting the funding allocated to these essential services within our community. Thank you for your time and consideration on behalf of all the citizens of Vacaville. Thank you for your comments. Good afternoon, uh, city council and uh, public and staff. My name is Roberto Valdez, I'm a longtime resident. I'm just here, and I'm assuming this right now, and I came a little late, um, that uh, this is when you're discussing items not on the on the agenda, okay. I just wanna know what's, as a longtime resident, I just wanna know what's going on in Lower Lagoon Valley. I've noticed that uh, Within the past few weeks, before prior to your closure of the of the Lagoon Valley Road for the next year and a half, um, that uh, that won't allow public accessibility to that area because of the Trice Valley Village uh, project you're building down there or a lot to be built. I want to know what's uh, you know what's um, what's going on with the cutting down of all the trees along. Lagoon Valley Road that you may not know, and I have brought this to the attention of Audubon Society as a member, that uh, those those trees have usurped the function they, as a habitat for wildlife, especially for the Swainson hog, uh, the uh, white white-tailed kites, you know. Um, and I've only not noticed within that project that you cut down all the developer just cut down all the trees. I don't even. I don't even recall there was a, a sufficient discussion about the impact of removing those trees, because um, I believe there were oak trees, other trees that are protected. Um, also, you. I've noticed that you cut trees within the Lagoon Valley Park. I don't know who did that. Whether it was the same company that cut the on the cross on the project that you approved, or was it the, uh, you know, or the uh, the city did that. But I, I don't recall any discussion. So I think you it warrants some discussion. What's going on there? You know, it's bad enough that you don't allow the public to go in there and enjoy the park as it should be for everybody, not just for a certain segment of society. You know, um, so please explain that. I'd like to hear from your staff, the developer, and your especially your park people that you, uh, you know, within the your master plan that you've approved. You know, you purport to protect the, the, the environment, but you don't, you're not doing that in my view, um, you know. So please, thank you for your time. And I think it warrants a, and a transparent one to the public. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Can you, any of you explain that to me? 
Thank you for your comments, sir. Is there somebody from staff that might be able to chime in? Mr. Vice Mayor, I would suggest that we have uh, members of our planning department and our public works department contact Mr. Valdez directly and we can give him those answers. I look, I look forward to hearing, but again, it should be made public. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vice Not Mayor. just among us. Uh, special request that trees are being removed, uh, find out and replace. Yeah, as, as part of that. Certainly. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Silva. Thank you, sir. Members. All right, I'm going to close public comment. City manager, can you introduce item 8A? Uh, actually, Mr. Vice Mayor, members of the City Council, um, I'm going to give you an update on that because I recently moved uh, to a residence that is within a thousand feet of the Green Tree Project boundaries. Um, and in order to avoid any potential conflicts of interest, I will actually be recusing myself from participating in this item tonight. My assistant city manager, George Ann Megersmith, will be handling that item for you. So um, once you are complete with this item, I will return. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor, members of the council. This next item is a public hearing on the Green Tree Specific Plan Project. We have Aaron Morris, Director of Community Services, Payman Bavan, Planning Manager, and their they'll introduce their consultant team and kick off the presentation. Thank you, Vice Mayor Stockton and members of council. I'm Aaron Morris, Community Development Director. I wanted to introduce the city team that is uh, part of those seated here and those in the audience tonight. Uh, uh, planning Manager Paymon Bavond um, is uh, the staff member for this item. We have a planning consultant, Kathy P, seated to my right. Uh, she's been helping us with the project management. Also here, the city's EIR consultant from PlaceWorks, Mark Teague. Um, we have the uh, GHD's traffic folks, uh, Todd Tregenza and Mackenzie Clark. We have Matt Coda from BAE who prepared the fiscal impact report. And then back to the city team, Andrea Borba, assistant city attorney, and our contract attorney, Dan Deporto, have also been instrumental in working with me to bring this project before you this evening. So with that, um, Kathy will be making the presentation. Thank you. Good evening, I'm Kathy Pease, a planning consultant assisting the city on this project. I'm pleased to be presenting the Green Tree Development Project. The project is 185 acres at the former Green Tree Golf Course. It's located southeast of Highway 80 and west of Leisure Town Road. It is proposing 1,149 residential units, 299,345 square feet of commercial, two public parks, trails and open space, circulation and infrastructure improvements, and it was before the Planning Commission on August 30th, and they recommended approval. This slide shows the requested entitlements being considered tonight. For ease of reference, the site is split into the north of Sequoia neighborhood and the south of Sequoia neighborhoods. North of Sequoia includes higher density residential, commercial services, and a six-acre park. South of Sequoia includes 199 age-restricted residential units and a 4.5-acre park. Both neighborhoods include stormwater detention improvements. One of the key benefits of the project is the provision of workforce housing. 
This is intended to provide housing that is more affordable to middle income um, workers. And as shown on the slide, the density will range between 8.1 dwelling units per acre and up to 24 dwelling units per acre. A general plan amendment is proposed. It would change the land use diagram to uh, seven or eight land use designations and a mixed use overlay. The project would also rezone the site from private recreation to a mix of zoning districts consistent with the specific plan. The project is requesting a development standard exception in order to allow two courts to exceed 600 feet in length. This is intended to reduce through traffic in the existing neighborhoods. An emergency vehicle access would be provided on the north end of the courts A and E as shown in this slide. A vesting tentative subdivision, subdivision map is proposed. This would allow the creation of parcels. North of Sequoia would create seven residential lots that may be further subdivided in the future. There are three commercial parcels and a six acre park. In addition, Gilly Way would be abandoned. However, other planned roadways in the area would provide adequate circulation. South of Sequoia includes 199 small lots that would be created to facilitate the development of a senior age restricted portion of the project area. In this area, 4.5 acre public park would be provided. There is a specific development project proposed, which includes a planned development permit for the Green Tree Apartments. This would allow 240 multifamily units, including a clubhouse and other amenities. California law authorized cities to conduct structured negotiations with developers in order to obtain desired improvements in exchange for development rights. The next several slides provide descriptions of some of the important deal points that are worth pointing out in the development agreement and include both city and applicant responsibilities. Drainage fee credits and obligations for stormwater drainage improvements are included and these improvements will help increase stormwater capacity in the area. The subject property would not be subject to an inclusionary housing ordinance should one be adopted in the future because the city recognizes that the workforce housing that's proposed would provide affordable housing options. As a result of neighborhood concerns, traffic calming measures will be included such as a roundabout two radar feedback signs and one ladder crosswalk to help with traffic calming. Park maintenance obligations are outlined, um, including annexation into the citywide landscape and lighting maintenance district or LLMD. The LLMD will fund 90% of the Northern Park and 50% of the maintenance of the Southern Park. The applicant is agreeing to build the parks as turnkey parks. As a result, as currently proposed, the city would provide park development credits, including fee credit for park development and land costs for the Northern Park and Neighborhood Park fee credit. In exchange for construction of the Southern Park, the developer would pay 50% of all normally applicable parks and recreation fees. 
I do wanna note that the applicant sent a letter to the city council today requesting changes to the draft development agreement pertaining to park fee credits for providing those turnkey neighborhood parks, the Northern Park, and the special turnkey park, the Southern Park. In response to this, staff uh, prepared a memo uh, to respond to that applicant request. As outlined in staff's response, there is agreement on all other project components, including future park maintenance funding and responsibilities, but there is a question on the agreement between the applicant and the city on how much park fee credit the developer should receive for developing the two parks. As drafted, the development agreement divides the overall green tree development into two areas, north of Sequoia and south of Sequoia. Based on the existing terms in the DA that was recommended for approval by the Planning Commission, the total park fee credit provided for the draft development agreement is approximately $2 million. The applicant is now requesting additional park fee credit beyond what is identified in the current development agreement that would bring the total park fee credit to $4 million. This would give the developer 50% of the community park fees collected from the Northern and Southern development areas and a portion of impact fees collected for trails. Uh, staff is not recommending this change as it would make it would take 1.2 million that the city would normally collect towards improvement of community parks and trails instead of uh, crediting the developer. If the developer's proposal is accepted by the council, the draft development agreement could be revised to reflect additional park fee credit. However, staff would recommend directing that we come back with a revised development agreement and bring that back to council for final action. I did wanna point out that uh, we are recognizing several benefits the project will bring to the community, including the needed workforce housing and senior housing, two parks, open space and trails, a walkable mixed use plan that is designed to reduce vehicles miles traveled by providing housing proximate to jobs, stormwater improvements, traffic calming, and a net project revenue to the city's general fund. A final EIR was published by the city on August 10th, which includes all of the comments received on the draft EIR and responses to those comments. In response to some of the comments, the applicant has agreed to additional air quality measures. No additional impacts were identified as a result of the comments. So uh, the Planning Commission received additional comments from Adams Broadwell as well as the city council. In fact, there was another uh, large letter that was submitted this afternoon. Staff has reviewed those comments and we don't believe that any of them have raised new impacts that have not adequately been addressed by the EIR. Um, after my presentation, we do have our uh, environmental impact report consultant here that can address some of those comments. So all feasible mitigation measures have been incorporated into the EIR, but nonetheless, there will still be significant and unavoidable impacts to air quality, greenhouse gas, and traffic from vehicle miles traveled. As a result, the city prepared findings in a statement of overriding consideration that is determined that the benefits of the project outweigh these significant impacts. 
Therefore, it's recommended that the city council introduce the specific plan, rezoning and development agreement ordinances, and by simple motion, certify the EIR, including the water supply assessment and findings and overriding considerations. It is also recommended that the council adopt the resolutions for the remaining entitlements. And this concludes my presentation. Thank you. My name is Sue Canaleta. I've been a Vacaville resident since 79. Um, my main concern, I live in Leisure Town and I get I get what you want to do or what they want to decide uh, or whoever's involved wants to do. But I don't get it when I get a notice saying water every other day and everybody in town has gotten a notice saying water every day, every other day, and you're putting in 1,100 homes, as many as what, nine, 4,000 people minimum are gonna live in these homes? That's a lot of water. Where is it coming from? That's my question. And um, you, you talk about the storm water, that's great. You're gonna fix the stormwater, how stormwater gets, where's the stormwater? We don't have that many storms. I mean, nature is not going to give us what we want. It's going to give us what it wants. And right now it doesn't wanna give us water. So that's my, that's one of my main, personally, I put in a rock garden. So I'm not a water user, a big water user, but um, I just think for the environment, it's not a good thing. And you guys, and they killed all the little cute little owls. I, I kind of miss those little guys. So there is, there are environmental impacts that I think we don't see. And um, it should, you know, 1,100 homes in that area. When when there's a traffic problem on 80, Leisure Town is a disaster. It can become bumper to bumper. And there is no place to go. I, Highway 12, 80, you know, the people coming around Highway 12 or from 80, they are just stuck on Leisure Town and um, on Leisure Town Road and Sequoia, all that whole area gets just jammed with people. And I'm thinking if one of your grandmothers had a heart attack <laughs> at that time of day, I, want, I really wanna know exactly how that's gonna happen. I don't get it. But that water thing is the thing that really bugs me and, and really I would like to know like, really where's the water actually coming from? Okay, I'm done, <laughs> thank you. We'll answer questions at the end where we have staff members that are logging your questions and we'll respond to them. Good evening, I'm Frances Peterson and I'm a resident of Leisure Town. 
I submitted comments on the plan, including the Appendix A to the Planning Commission in May. The response to many of my concerns was this is a comment on the project and not on the adequacy of the DEIR. I understand tonight is time for me to comment on the project, correct? The Green Tree Project was first proposed, when the Green Tree Project was first proposed, the residents of Leisuretown were assured that there would be a 50-foot open space between their homes and any new construction, and there would be no two-story buildings behind them. That promise should apply to the entire development, regardless of the type of residence, density, or location, for example, either north or south of Sequoia. As of August 2nd, 2022, Appendix A, Section A, uh, Appendix A, Section 3.3.A and B do state the requirements for the 50-foot setback, but do not limit the height of one story to one story. These sections apply to low and low-medium density parcels, which are only located south of Sequoia. I ask that the 50-foot slash single-story requirements be added to Section 3.4 Architectural Standards universal to all housing types so that it will apply to other areas. What's my problem? Parcel R6 backs up to existing homes in Leisure Town, specifically the north side of Grand Canyon Drive at the east end. The zoning on that parcel is identified as residential medium high density. Parcel six is the only parcel behind the existing homes where housing of more than one story are likely to be built. It seems to me that this is where open space was especially important to the existing residents. Additionally, I am very concerned about one note in the supplemental memo staff report clarified lots and roadways adjacent to the existing residents would be set back 50 feet from the adjoining homes and not from the project boundary. I think this clarification is specific to the homes bordering parcel six. This is the only area behind the homes of the project that border on Leisure Town Home Association common area. I had been told the proposed 50 foot open space included a 50 foot wide strip of um, project land and a, 20, a 25 foot wide strip of project land and a 25 foot wide strip of Leisure Town common area. Ms. Peterson, I need you. Yeah, soon. Um, there are, there are uh, other things, but I, I'm going, okay, wrapping it up in conclusion, if it ain't written down, it didn't happen. I worked in litigation for a number of years. Thank you for your comments, Ms. Peterson, and I, I appreciate you sending the um, email with your comments. Well, and, and thank you for ensuring that I got your... Yeah. Good evening, uh, Vice Mayor Stockton, uh, council members, staff. Thank you for your time this evening. My name is Kevin Carmichael. I'm here on behalf of Napa Solano Residents for Responsible Development. Residents is an unincorporated association of individuals and labor organizations that includes City of Vacaville and other area residents. Residents supports sustainable development. 
supports projects that comply with environmental and health and safety laws that benefit the community. Residents opposes this project because the city has not complied with CEQA's requirements to fully disclose and mitigate the project's significant environmental impacts, and the project does not comply with local land use laws and policies. Additionally, residents opposes the project because the project's development agreement does not provide adequate public benefits in exchange for the freezing of development standards granted to the applicants. The city should consider adding additional workforce benefits to the development agreement to ensure a, a local skilled and trained workforce are employed for project construction. <clears throat> we respectfully request that the council remand the project to staff to prepare a legally adequate revised EIR, which fully discloses and mitigates the project's significant environmental impacts. We submitted a letter today to the city, uh, supported by comments from three experts, which demonstrates that the project will result in significant unmitigated noise, transportation, and biological resources impacts that the city failed to address in the FEIR or in tonight's staff report. As such, the city council lacks substantial evidence to support the findings required to approve the project. For example, our noise expert concluded that the project will result in significant unmitigated construction noise impacts. The city's noise ordinance requires projects to determine the construction noise levels that will be generated by construction equipment operating simultaneously on the project site, but the EIR failed to do so. Our noise expert performed this calculation and concluded that construction noise will result in noise levels from 79 to 82 dBA at nearby sensitive receptors, substantially exceeding the city's noise threshold of 54 dBA. This results in a significant impact and the FEIR fails to disclose or mitigate this impact. We urge the council to consider, uh, sorry, to continue this hearing until residents' comments and the comments of other community members are addressed in a legally adequate and revised EIR. Thank you for your time. Your comments. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, council people, and staff members. My name is Ann Romer. I live in I've lived on golf course estates for 22 years. My property backs up onto the defunct golf course now. <laughs> I'm very glad this lady mentioned the brewing owls because that's why I'm here. I um, have a, a big interest in birds and burrowing owls specifically. And any of you, oh, sorry, any of you who um, would go on Orange Drive and Gilly Way, see those little guys that had to bring a lift to you. Uh, you know, it was so nice. In addition, and you may not know this, but expert birders from about around the Bay Area would come, they would bring small groups to come see those birds. And so I know they're gone, but we may be able to get them back. There's a piece of land between Yellowstone and White Sands west of Teton they can't build on. And so it's gonna have that detention basin and walking trails. There's a pretty big area left that could be just grass. I mean, that's what it is now, your little tree. And we could maybe, maybe put 
new owls back in. And one of the reasons that I think that, I just found out this today, there's a, a, play, a thing called the pres, um, Preservation of Birding or Burrowing Owls Society, and there's another preservation one. There are two organizations. This one I mentioned will go and see if it's possible to put the owls in. They are very, um, they really want more burrowing owls because they are declining terribly, terribly. And the city of Antioch has a big area where they have um, created space for the owls and they're protected. Berkeley also has a space. Davis, they were, there were a lot of owls on one of the golf courses, but they've dropped by 79% over the last few years and development has had a negative impact. So anyway, this, this organization will even build new, new boroughs. So, and I think it would be, you know, a really, really good thing in a, and something that would draw people back to just look at the owls because sometimes birders have a lot of dis discretionary spending. <laughs> or money that they can spend. And um, they, I know they came before and they probably had to eat. They conclude your comment. Okay. Thank you very much Thank for listening. So much, and please, if you would keep this in mind and think positively about it, I'm going to research it more. Thank you for your comment. Thank you. Evening, council and staff. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Jason Lindsay. I'm president of Ironworkers Local 378, and uh, I'm here representing uh, uh, several members of the Napa Solano residents for responsible development uh, that uh, that live uh, in Vacaville and Solano County. Um, so I'm here tonight to talk about the project's development agreement that uh, does not provide substantial benefits to the community as required under the city code. Uh, the applicant is asking the city to enter into a 15-year development agreement to exempt the project from new land use laws and affordable housing fees. But the agreement does not provide uh, meaningful public benefits to the community in return for this as required by the city code. What the Planning Commission called public benefits are not benefits at all. They're just part of the project. Um, like uh, providing new housing, new commercial space, and traffic mitigation required by CEQA. Uh, to qualify for a development agreement, the applicant must provide the public benefits that go beyond what is already required by law. The project, has also, uh, the project also has to be consistent with the general plan. The general plan requires new development to one, strengthen the local economy through public and private partnerships, and two, create local job growth to support livable wages and a greater tax base to fund services for Vacaville, Vacaville stakeholders. This project doesn't do either of these. The applicant has not committed to any local hire or workforce standards for the project and is not contributing to the local apprenticeship development. We request that the city include provisions in the development agreement for workforce training through the support of apprenticeship programs and ensure that the area standard wages are protected. By including local hire and apprenticeship requirements in the development agreement, the city would further the goals of the general plan and economic recovery strategy. The city is not required to enter into a development agreement with the applicant, but if it does, 
the council must ensure that the applicant provides community benefits to the city and its residents in exchange for the benefits they receive for development of the project. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, sir. Hello, my name is Jerry Piconum and I'm actually the organizer for IBW Local 180, the local electricians union. But I'm here also as a local. I grew up off of Midway Meridian Road, a little road called Elizabeth. And <clears throat> although I'm Gen X, I'm a, one of the younger people here. I've been here for 44 years. My mother happens to be Patwin Indian. My father's Honey Lake Maidu. So I have a little special connection to this piece of dirt. I'm a Vacaville Indian. I work with your children at Wilsey Wood, Vaca High, Country High. As an organizer, I speak to the children. I go into the economics classes. I work with your children. And what you need is exactly what he was saying, the iron workers over there. You need local language, local higher language, and skilled and trained language for the apprenticeship. I need to get the kids in the apprenticeship so that way I can teach them to build CMF and not live in CMF. I need those jobs, I need that language, so your kids can get into the apprenticeship and make a livable wage and get skilled and trained and have a career in the future. Building parks is great. Careers and future for the kids is even better. You need that language in this development so I can have those kids wire up CMF prison, not be an inmate there. You really need that language. I work with these kids day in, day out. I'm the guy, not my staff, not my department. I go and talk to these kids. These kids need a break. You need local higher language in this. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments and your work with our youth. Good evening, Lou Durfus from Vacaville, uh, city council, city staff, fellow Vacavillians. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the rampant growth in this city. Uh, we have a beautiful city here and we're slowly but surely destroying it with all the growth. We have rolling blackouts because PGE can't supply enough power. We have water shortages and uh, ration, well, we're on the verge of rationing because of the shortage of water. Yet we keep adding more and more housing units to our infrastructure. We can't continue to support this. this. This is not good logic planning, as far as I'm concerned. You know, you talk about affordable housing. Oxymoron, okay? Affordable, what is affordable? Put a number to it. $1,200 a month, $1,500 a month, $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month. See, without, without a number attached to that term, it doesn't mean anything. And the reality is, it's a workforce housing, but it's not a workforce housing for local Vacaville residents. It's gonna supply more housing for people that are commuting to the cities, whether it be Vacaville, uh, San Francisco or the other way in Sacramento. Uh, we're a bedroom community, or we were, and, and people travel here because of the, the fine uh, city we have. Uh, so, you know, you're living in a dream if you think you're providing more housing for our local folks. Uh, there may be a small sliver of that, but these other people from out of the area are going to gobble up that housing, not us. Uh, I'm just really concerned. I live on Poplar Road, 
and I have to exit out to Leisure Town. And let me tell you, they haven't even started construction yet, and it's a nightmare, and it's gonna get only worse. Uh, it's gonna be unattainable to get out on that road. Uh, you know, and I've addressed this since this project began about, you know, the traffic mitigation. And I haven't seen a good plan yet, you know, put a traffic light here, put a traffic light there. I haven't seen a good plan. Traffic lights do nothing to, to control the bypass route coming off at of 80 when 80's all jammed up. You know, uh, I, I just don't think we're using our heads in a, a wise manner. Uh, our infrastructure is overtasked now, and we're putting more on it, not only by this project, by all, but by all the rest of the projects we keep approving for this city. I mean, it used to be a, a farm community, and now it's houses where, you know, you can spit out your bedroom window and hit your neighbor's bedroom window, you know, because of the high density. We keep going from uh, low density and increasing the density levels to a ridiculous levels. Uh, I, I grew up in New York City, and, sir, you know, we're getting just like that. Lose your comment. Thank you. Thank you for your comment, sir. Good evening, Mr. Vice Mayor and uh, my council member, uh, Greg Ritchie. Uh, my name is Tim Biddle. I've been a Vacaville resident for 30 years. Uh, the last speaker mentioned Leisure Town Road. The first speaker mentioned Leisure Town Road. I think the uh, greatest deficiency in the proposal that's before you, um, unless I missed it, is that Leisure Town Road is not getting widened. Uh, I did hear the presenter say something about traffic calming improvements, but this project will add thousands of cars to uh, the residential um, portion of the development, not to mention a lot of commercial traffic for the commercial uses. Leisure Town Road, when you leave uh, Highway 80, is two lanes in both directions until it reaches the edge of this project. And then it shrinks down to one lane in both directions. So this is the city's one opportunity to get a developer to pay for the widening of Leisure Town Road. My understanding is that the city um, of Vacaville and the city of Fairfield uh, have agreed that Leisure Town Road should be part of some sort of reliever route, route that takes traffic off of 80 and gives people another um, alternative to get to Fairfield. Well, that's never gonna come to fruition if we leave Leisure Town Road as just a single lane in each direction. So my request is that the development agreement be amended to include uh, the developer's commitment to widen Leisure Town Road to two lanes in both directions, at least where it fronts this project. Thank you. Good afternoon again. My name is Roberto Valdez, a longtime resident. To the staff and to the mayor and, and uh, vice mayor, excuse me, and Mr. Stockton and uh, your staff, public. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get to the point. Uh, even though I think the same fate is probably gonna happen to the 680 plus trees that were identified within the project, um, this project, um, you know, I, um, to the judgment of the uh, Swainson Hawks, the, um, 
white-tailed kites and also boring arrows. And of course, the plenty of associated species that coexist not only in the, within the tree habitat, but also, also the, uh, uh, the grasslands that certainly the boring arrows make use of as a last resort for them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to really to recommend that you do not approve any other resolutions or ordinance related to this project. And I, and I say this to you, uh, the, my reason is this, that uh, number one, um, there's a lot of information in that, that really the public still has to absorb. You discussed it, past meetings. I think I've gone to almost your, all your recent meetings and there's a lot to discuss, you know, and, and to absorb and, and so the public be aware of, okay? So give the public a chance. But the more important thing, and I, you know, I'm a little uh, responding to your staff here, who I respect, by the way, and you, um, everybody here. <laughs> I, I will tell you, but not agree always. Uh, most of the time, sometimes. <laughs> anyway, the, the thing is that uh, I'm really concerned that some of the supplemental information, like the supplemental staff report regards to this project, and the public item item that was addressed by the Adam um, Broadwell um, law firm, I guess, uh, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, I haven't even had a chance to absorb it. I tell you, it was posted a few minutes ago before it's like, you know, that's not fair. You need to give the public more time to discuss it with, let them absorb it. I'm sure that, I mean, I'm gonna agree with every comment that was made here before I made the comment. You know, um, I think they're, they're all legitimate, they're all valid. You should listen to them. Um, you know, think about that. The impact's gonna have on our community and, and our, of course our wildlife, our environment, the water, lack of water. You know, we're facing unprecedented environments, uh, conditions, you know, climate change, everything. So um, table it if you can't, you can't, Turn it down, table it, give the public a chance, and treat this project appropriately, not within your uh, all your agenda here, but uh, separately, like you treated your labor issue. Your Thank, comments, you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Stockton. Thank you. up and speaking but after hearing all these wonderful people come up and speak and express their concerns I felt like I had to do the same um, I'm Stacy Souza and I have lived here for about 32 years um, I actually live off of Leisure Town Road I have unfortunately had to watch the massive amount of growth that has occurred there and there's, I'm not gonna go through all my concerns about this development, but I wanna mention at least one or two things that I think are of utter importance. Um, I would like a little bit more um, transparency. I have a question regarding if they're gonna expand Leisure Town Road, that's still only two lanes. Um, I only have one way in and one way out. Uh, well, I just say one, there's, there's an way in and a way out. And I don't know if you have even considered or even discussed what do we do if there is an emergency and people have to get out? How are you going to handle the thousands and thousands of people that live in this area now with a two-lane road? And I would love if you guys have a plan, if you could express that, but you have lives on the line here. 
and you've got people that aren't going to be able to get out if there's a massive firestorm or any of these concerns. Um, so I think that's, I would love if you could comment on that specifically. Um, and I absolutely agree with lack of resources and water um, and why we continue to have and continue to have thousands and thousands of, uh, of houses being built without widening Leisure Town Road. And I think that it would be a wonderful consideration if they're gonna build this development that they expand Leisure Town Road on that side. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Good evening, Vice Mayor, Council. I'm Marjorie Kelly. I live on uh, Teton Drive in Leisure Town, and my home backs up to what used to be the golf course. And uh, I've been involved in this planning process um, all going on seven years now. Um, and so it's been for, for folks who think it should take longer, <laughs> those of us who live there think maybe it's taken uh, too long at this point. Um, one, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, that Mayor Roulette isn't here this evening because one of the things that he told us a couple of years ago when um, he assisted in getting the liaisons appointed to uh, represent Leisure Town with the developers, planners, and with the city planners was that he would not approve this project. Uh, he would not vote for this project until and unless the community said they wanted it or that they approved of it, I should say. Um, and I am here uh, this evening as a representative, uh, as one of the liaisons to say, we do approve of this project. We like where it's come. Uh, this has been a long slog. It didn't, this plan didn't look like this six and a half years ago. Um, it has many benefits for our community, um, including the open space, the trails, the parks, um, housing around existing housing has been thoughtfully planned to enhance our own homes and our home values. Um, the apartment uh, plan uh, for the apartments I think is wonderful. Uh, the way it borders the detention basin and on one side and the uh, shopping area on the other. We could not have gotten to this point without the assistance of the mayor uh, and many other people. So one of the things I wanted to do this evening is just to say thank you. Um, thank you to the mayor for supporting this uh, planning process that I think has been extremely successful for our community. I want to thank uh, council members, all of whom have expressed interest in this project, have listened to us, have been briefed on it, um, and your, your interest has been very helpful. Um, Aaron Bush uh, and city staff have been uh, most helpful and engaged, and, and the Lokis, the developers, planners, have been wonderful and have found creative uh, and acceptable solutions to the issues that we've raised. And then finally, I would like to say thank you to the community that I live in. Uh, over the years, we've put out uh, much effort to keep them informed, to invite their input, to have walk-in Saturdays, to have public hearings and so forth. And we could not have done this job without their assistance. Thank so you thank you to the community. Kelly. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Council, staff, Chris Winter. Um, I'm part of the liaison to the Green Tree Project. We've worked very hard on this for the last several years. It's been, uh, I think, seven years till we've uh, to fruition, I hope. We've done a lot of work with the staff and the Lokis. Uh, they've heard what we've had to say, um, the concerns of the community, and made changes where we felt that it was necessary. Um, I think this is one of the key elements to help the seniors with the walking paths and a lot of the various amenities that this project has to offer. And I just wanna say, hopefully going forward that um, we approve this, this plan and hopefully the, the city will also. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Hi everyone, I intended to speak on the second item, but I think my comments are equally applicable to this comment, uh, to this agenda item. My name is Claudia Williams and I've resided in Browns Valley for the last five years. And my question is, where are the schools gonna go? There's no schools. Where are these kids gonna go to school? I just tried to enroll my son in Browns Valley Elementary School. I'm told that it's full. I've lived there for five years. I pay taxes so that my son can go to that school. He's being denied access to that school. And I'm told that the only school that can take students is Payton. That's unacceptable. You know, where are the kids gonna go to school? You have this new development coming in with the high density housing. There's no age restriction. So I assume that there will be kids there who are gonna need to go to school. That, you, you know, it's like, what's gonna be done about it? You know, my son wants and needs to go to school. He can't go to school in his neighborhood school. He can't even go to a school in our zip code. That's just unacceptable. So I think that it's the concern is applicable to this one, but it's even more poignant as to the North Village. So I'll be speaking on that one as well. Thank you. For your comments. Seeing no one else, I'll close public comment. And can you guys want to talk first or do you want staff to answer the question? Let's get the questions answered for the public before we. Good evening. Is this allowed in public? Are you here presenting or? Yes. Okay. I'm Dick Loki. I'm an environmental planner and I happen to be along with my son, Michael, who's my business partner, the managers of the Green Tree Project. We have been, we were engaged roughly two and a half years ago to take over a project that was um, facing an enormous number of challenges, both planning wise, financially, and uh, to be able to deliver the kind of housing that the community had asked for, your housing element begs for, the market is looking for. Um, and I have a, a PowerPoint that's been included in your packet, but my remarks this evening are short. 
Um, I just wanted to emphasize that in trying to address these issues, we began turning all the rocks over. We um, not only spent time with your staff, um, with the community, the liaisons, week, month, month after month, um, but did outreach programs. And in addition, um, spent time going back through the science, going back through the engineering issues to try and solve problems, as you heard Marge Kelly say. What's before you is a project that has been refined to focus on delivery of workforce housing, housing directly across from your growing business park that is designed to help facilitate those jobs. Um, this will be not only an important element for the local economy, but a very strong environmental move um, because it helps get cars off the road. It helps reduce congestion and it helps create a stronger sense of community here in Vacaville. We were faced with delivering on that part of the project and at the same time with an infill site coming up with detail elements of the project to make it compatible with its neighbors. Um, this design that is before you includes twice as many park acres than are required under your general plan. General plan requires about 5.3. You're looking at 10 and a half acres of parks along with three miles of public trails. Um, these elements were important to the project, yes, to unite the project, but also to integrate the project to the surrounding neighborhood to make sure that folks that live in Leisure Town could walk and bicycle ride to those parks. They don't have parks, public parks in their neighborhood, and also to the local neighborhood retail center. Those retail uses are designed uh, to deliver services that folks have to go long ways outside their neighborhood today to get to. And again, linked with what we call complete streets with not only separated, but barricade protected bike lanes, um, large landscaped areas, 10 foot sidewalks on both sides to make the pedestrian the king, to make cars the secondary users of those corridors and by so doing to make this a livable, sustainable neighborhood, one neighborhood. Um, we're looking at roughly $70 million worth of capital improvements in public infrastructure with this project. We're also looking at an almost equal amount of city impact fees for this project. And it's not single family detached housing. It's housing at mostly higher density, along with some age-restricted senior housing. Um, that, I'll be candid with you as a council, you're the, um, you're the city's vision for the future. You help uh, craft policy, you, you adopt that policy in your general plan. One of the key elements of any policy is that it be feasible. That once you've approved it, it isn't gonna sit on a shelf it can get built. And so we have been working side by side as we've been going through this planning process, looking at the costs of delivering this project of not just dedicating land for parks, but delivering completed turnkey parks, completed trails. 
and we are faced with a um, very, very tight ratio because of the nature of the units uh, in the project. So as staff, and, and I won't repeat the staff presentation, it was excellent and it was complete. Um, we did ask for a concession on a component of the city's park fee structure. Um, what we are looking at, um, aside from infrastructure improvements, is a total park and recreation obligation of about $19 million, 19 million. Um, that is made up of about 9 million in park impact fees. Um, the balance is the actual cost to build and deliver those parks. And so the offsetting um, uh, credit for delivering the local neighborhood park on the north portion of the projects, about six acres or almost 3 million. What we've asked for is an additional uh, credit for a portion of the trail and community park component fees based on the delivery of this second park and the trails. Um, other than that, um, uh, hopefully you all have seen the long, long list of conditions of approval, both on the project as a whole and on the apartment component. We understand and agree with all of those conditions. We support everything else in the development agreement. And we ask that you take decisive action this evening to certify the EIR and approve these entitlements so that we can go forward with our engineering and deliver what we promised on. Thank you. I'm here along with uh, Michael and uh, um, other members of the technical team if you have other questions of us. Well, thank you for your comments. Um, I wish we would have let you speak first so that the public could have had an opportunity to respond to some of your comments. Is there anybody from the public that would like to respond to limited to the, to the conversation that this gentleman just had about anything else? Okay, then I'm going to I'll open it up to council comments. Here I am. Will there be anyone else speaking at length besides staff? Uh, staff will be responding to the comments from the public, um, and then we also want our EIR consultant to briefly speak to the CEQA comments. And then, of course, we're all here to answer um, questions following that. Wonderful. Thank you. So the first comment I wanted to respond to is on traffic improvements. This slide shows Leisure Town Road in yellow. You can see it's along the entire length of the project boundary. I apologize, I don't have the cross section in a slide, but I did wanna note that Leisure Town is being proposed to be four lanes. Um, it would have four lanes in each direction, a median, it would have shoulders and a meandering trail on either side. So with that improvement, I think that addresses some of the comments that we had on that being a two lane facility. You'll also see there are many improvements that are proposed as part of the circulation um, facility and additional connections. And in that slide where we had that um, design exception, there is an emergency vehicle access that would allow emergency personnel to get in and out as well. I just want to clarify, there will be two lanes in each direction, not four Sorry. lanes. Sorry. Four, lanes, four lanes total, total. two in each direction. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Highlighted. 
until I correct along the project frontage. Sorry, and two follow up questions on that. I can cross it off my list. Um, it, where can we direct public who have questions about the phases of widening Leisure Town Road over time? Um, we do have a phasing plan that's part of the specific plan, and that is on the city's website. If you go to the Green Tree project information, the specific plan is there, and the phasing plan is at the back of that document. Um, so there's information on when we think things are gonna build out. We do anticipate that it's a, going to be at least a 10 year build out for the project. So this isn't all going to happen at one time. You know, it's gonna come in phases. I wanted to add that if the public is interested in the fuller picture of the Leisure Town yes. Road improvements, Assistant Public Works Director Tim Burke is highly conversant in this topic and is a great resource. Tim Burke, everybody. I, I failed to introduce him. He's also an integral member of our city team. Here. Tim. Um, Raise your hand, Tim. <laughs> Everybody's going to come find you later. Bring them cookies. Uh, and um, just one request. There is a comment about Poplar Road. Uh, can we? Can someone from staff help us enter something on the uh, Safeway to Route School to add that to the traffic study? All right, thank you. Uh, just to let everybody know, uh, we're collecting feedback on uh, any, way, uh, any way we have any potential safety hazards from schools, from residents to schools. And uh, I'm thinking that can be included, uh, particularly the the mobile home park. Great. I didn't hear it. Separate lane two. Thank you. Yes, please, in, in your comments. Those comments. Safe routes. Safe routes. So please go and take the time to enter those comments into that section. So your input can be really greatly appreciated to help all the streets that maybe other people miss. Um, back to the farm. And one of the questions expressed concern with multi-story buildings and requested that all be single story and also had concerns about the 50 foot buffer and that if it wasn't in writing, it wouldn't happen. I, Sorry, thank you. Um, so this is the site plan. As you'll see, there's areas in green um, around the development that shows the 50 foot buffer. And I believe she was referring to um, residential parcel six, which is up in the Northern area. I guess we don't have a pointer. Um, you'll see there is a buffer on that corner on the North as well, that should be providing a buffer to development. Um, so there was just to clarify, is there a 50 foot buffer along for all the existing houses? Is there a 50 foot buffer from anything on this project? Being um, the entire project. I'll ask Mr. Loki to respond to that just to be sure. The answer is 50 foot separation. Yards, not houses, but the backyards of every existing residence to the nearest point of any future residential structure. And those individual neighborhoods will have to go through design review on top of this. They will come back just like the apartment project did with the details of those relationships. Thank you. Uh, there was a question about trees. I did wanna mention that we have a condition of approval 
that uh, requires that the trees be replaced and um, meet the city standards. There was a question about water supply and I wanted to point out that we can did. You, can you hold on, sir? If you're gonna be on your phone, can you please go to the lobby? Thank you. As part of the project, we did a water supply assessment. And as part of that, we looked at drier and drier years like we're having right now. And we determined that there was adequate water in the future to supply this project. Uh, I have a question about the water <laughs> that you're answering that. Um, I've seen on some of the presentations that staff has done in the past, mm -hmm. the potential of purple pipe coming to this project, is that still a viable option that could alleviate some of the concerns related to the water consumption for um, the areas that are just like the, the shrubbery and decorative stuff? A purple pipe is not proposed as part of this project and nor does the city yet have, oh, sorry. Um, maybe the applicant. <laughs> <laughs> Approval to build purple pipe to every public landscaped area, street frontages, parks, open space. That, that reclaimed water supply is not available today, but those pipes will be in the ground ready to connect as soon as they are. Thank you. And the specific plan includes drought tolerant landscaping as part of the design guidelines. Member Can I do a quick add-on to that question? So from what I understand, you'll build the infrastructure for the purple pipe as we run it down Leisure Town. Eventually, we'll be able to connect the main to the system there in the new development. One of the requests I've been pushing with staff repeatedly for a long time, and I just want to make sure it's included, and I know Brian knows this, and I just want to make sure you know it as well, is I'd love to actually have uh, some sort of connection into the existing Leisure Town neighborhoods as well. There is some talk of maybe at some point in time connecting the purple pipe to their green spaces that are irrigated now. It's very costly for the housing development. Um, and so I just want to make sure there's some forethought and some planning into actually running uh, conduction lines that, that actually get into the existing Leisure Town property proper. That way that if and when we ever get to that point, the purple pipe finally hits your development, we can also energize the existing Leisure Town residences and potentially use that for their green spaces. If I might, again, Richard Loki, uh, excellent suggestion. This, this idea came up during our discussion with staff and the liaisons. Um, we have started our formal um, engineering and we are including those kinds of connections more than at one location. Yep. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Mark Teague. I'm the project manager for the environmental impact report. And I'll address a couple of these things as well as the letter that you received this evening. It's important to note that in an environmental impact report, experts can often disagree. And that's some of what you see before you this evening. Um, and I'll address some of the comments there. Disagreement of experts is understood. It's very difficult to get consensus, particularly if there's an agenda behind one or the other report. So as I proceed here, uh, one of the things in the letter that you received before you this evening is uh, a comment about queue length. And queue length is the length that cars take to make a turn, left turn, right turn. Those are pockets. We refer to those as, as queues. Um, the length of a queue is also a function of level of service, which is addressed by the city as part of their capital improvement program and paid for through fees that are collected through development building permit stage. So those, those instances that are off-site will be addressed 
through the city's capital improvement program, and they can certainly explain more about that if you have questions. Uh, we did talk about the burrowing owl. Uh, those were questions that came up on there. There's quite a sizable mitigation and discussion in the EIR on how the burrowing owl will be addressed, the protocols, uh, relocation, and establishment. Uh, it's all part of the mitigation strategy that you'll find in your EIR. Uh, construction noise was raised as an issue. The city has no construction noise standards, none. Uh, what it says instead is that you should limit construction to certain hours. There is information in the EIR that tells you how loud some of the equipment is within distances from that equipment. It's not possible to construct without making some noise. Simply not going to happen. Now, uh, there's also mitigation in there to deal with dust control and noise. It talks about having uh, contact with the developers so that they can have immediate redress if there's an issue. Uh, that's certainly something that was raised. We're not expecting any wild and crazy construction techniques. Uh, my category for that would include pile driving or blasting. Those are unnecessary. This would be normal backhoes, those types of things. But there will be some construction noise and it will be addressed via the city's ordinances. That was called out in the EIR. In terms of schools and school impact fees, uh, the school districts are the ones that plan for the schools. And we are at their mercy is when they can tell us what they want or where they want them. The city does charge impact fees at the building permit and the, according to state law, and uh, with the agreements of the school districts made back in the 80s, that is their mitigation for this. The schools have not requested any land within the property, and that's really an issue with the school district. Yes, they did receive a copy of the EIR. They also receive a copy of the tentative maps as required through the distribution system. And I believe everything else was addressed by Kathy and the staff, certainly available to answer any questions you might have. staff comment on the uh, what the school district mentioned about the the expected uh, increase in student population there they did not comment on the IR and they did not input anything there there is a school generation of about 670 students largely obviously from the multifamily section of the project that is not age restricted the age restricted in the EIR was assumed not to have any school age children um, but like I said the school district didn't comment and the payment of impact fees will occur at the time that the building permit comes up, and that is used for their system to either expand, add number of classrooms, those types of things. Uh, what school zone will this be in? Cooper for elementary. Thank you. Councilmember Sullivan. Yeah, uh, two, two questions on the information you shared. First, I, don't, I can't remember who the Burrowing Owl commenter was, but if you can please connect with her and let her know where in the ER that section's at, that would be fantastic. Absolutely, we okay, have so to do that. I know it was somewhere, I, I don't remember exactly. Oh, yes, ma'am, can you connect before the night is done and, and look up the, I was Googling Burrowing Owls as you were talking, and I agree with you, they're, they're cute, and we, we could do something to save them, I think. Um, secondly, I'm wondering if we can actually have Dan Banowitz come up and talk about the schools. I, I think the answer that we just got probably is not satisfactory um, at all. And I, I know we're very concerned about it. It's been a huge issue in Vacaville. Dan, can you come talk maybe about what your take is from the district, please? Sure. Um, hello, Vice Mayor and, and City Council. My name is Dan Banowitz. I'm the Director of Facilities for Vacaville Unified. Um, you know, we, um, you know, when we're asked by the city staff, you know, what the impact of, um, developments are going to be we send letters that say we believe it's going to using our historical data saying it's going to generate this much this many kids right right now that entire development is in the cooper boundaries cooper has 724 kids 600 no hold on i've got the number here because i looked it up 
um, it has 678 kids at Cooper, right? Um, so we can, it has a capacity of about 725. So yes, it can handle some kids, but um, the problem is it's based on, you know, it can be based on cohort. And the last speaker that spoke talked about how her child was turned away from Browns Valley. There might be, you know, we have laws that we have to follow about, you know, teacher to kid ratios, right? For kinder, first, second, and third, right? So it depends on the cohort. So each year it could be different. You know, there might be room for 54th and fifth graders, but there may be no rooms for kindergartners or first graders. So then that child has to go to another school. Okay, so it's not, they can ask me the question, but I don't know what it's gonna be like in five, six, seven, eight years when these houses are built. They do pay impact fees, but they pay not enough. No developer pays enough. You know, there's $4.08 a square foot, right? New schools are 40 to $50 million, right? It's a lot more than that. So, you know, something like in this right here will generate maybe 10 to $15 million, right? Cooper has 19 portables on it right now, okay? Because it was designed for 600 kids. So the core facilities, the multi-purpose room, the admin office, the library is not built for 750 kids. So, you know, I can't add any more portables to this site. So what does that leave us? That's the question that I don't have an answer for. shortfall exists and why do we find ourselves in this situation that's so frustrating for well, residents? There's a reason why we don't build, we haven't built new schools is because the developers don't pay enough, right? Um, you know, $4.08 a square foot, especially today, is not even half of what we need per square foot to build a school, not even half. So that's why all of our schools have so many portables because over the years as developers came in and our neighborhoods got bigger and the city got bigger, we didn't have the funding to build a school. The state of California gives us nothing to build schools. Um, we have some eligibility, so there's eligibility that we apply for, um, for state funding. You know, it's based on modernizations and, and new construction in different years. We have 31 million that we have that the state, when they have the money, may give us, right? Everybody, every school district in the state is on the same kind of list. Um, but the state hasn't passed a school bond in a long time. So, you know, they, they have no money to give us. So it's up to us. And they say, well, it's a school district's responsibility. Well, you know, where's the money coming from to build the schools? That's, that's what makes us tough. And then my last comment and question, Dan, is uh, there have been developments in the past, and the school district and the city sometimes have had um, a, a interesting relationship, right? And I think we've missed the boat or missed the bus on a couple developments in the past. You know, as we embark on this new development plan that's fairly sizable and we have impacted schools and we've got talk of new schools potentially with the school bond if it passes and et cetera, et cetera. What is the city can we do to be a better partner to the school district with this plan? I mean, what are there things that we're missing right now? Are there things that you would suggest? I mean, I know some of what you're talking about in terms of fees for developers is capped by law. Where did we miss the boat? Before? I mean, where can we not miss the boat this time, I guess is my so question. So we've done, we've had a lot of conversations with other cities. Um, you know, you see the city of Roseville, it's just, you know, they're, they're building homes all over the place and, and the same with Elk Grove. And we've talked to our counterparts there over the years and said, how are you building schools? You know, how are you doing it? Well, it could be a bond, right? That they, that they get, that they have to build schools. But you're also talking about their, their before developments are, are approved, 
the developer has to come to the table and say, we're going to, you know, we're going to contribute enough. It's either a developer built school, which is a possibility, um, or they're contributing enough to provide the school. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's, it's hard for us in this city to do that because, you know, East of Leisure Town Road, for example, you have three different developments, three different companies. You know, so you can't just say you, Brighton Landing, you're 780 homes, you have to build a school. Well, that's not enough to generate enough kids for a school. So you have Brighton Landing, then you have Roberts Ranch, and then you have the farm in Alamo Creek. There's three different there. You know, when we talk to our counterparts, it's like they have a developer that's building 2,500 homes, right? So that's really, they have more teeth, if you can say that. So it's not an easy answer, but before these things are approved, they've got to come to the table and we've got to be included to say, this is what we need. Because portables are not the answer. We can't just say, oh, I'll just throw a couple more portables out there. It's not the answer. You know, I'm working on getting rid of portables, not add more to them. Yeah. Council Member Ritchie, or your comments for Mr. Banowitz? Yeah. So we have in front of us a few days, um, policy measure Q. A little 14 over days, but who's counting, sir? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm counting too. So um, it's a little over a quarter billion. So mm -hmm. out of the quarter billion dollars, it's going to come in if it does pass. Um, this, as I'm aware, the school has not committed to if then scenario, if we get a quarter billion dollars into the coffers for the school district, then we would build another school. So we say yes, we get a quarter billion. You, you guys get a quarter billion dollars. Um, you can do kind of TI ten no, improvements and improve facilities. At what point would you pencil out um, at 600 kids, great max capacity Cooper, other right by Cooper, and it's an amazing school. Um, but at, there's kids in the hallways at other schools. At what point do you use the funds, allocate a quarter billion dollars, say it costs 50 million to build a school, fine, deduct it from there, then make a, a kind of a gap difference up with new developments. Therefore, maybe 75% of a school can be put forth by the bond measure. 25% of the new school can be put forth by developers. At what point do we take action and say, hey, we got to solve the problem? If we get a quarter billion dollars, then we need to step up. Like, at what point um, does that happen? When we have the kids, right? So. But we're, uh, already, we're already over capacity at Callison, Cooper, every school's at capacity. So I think we passed that threshold. And we're, and we're, about, we're about to push the pedal far. Well, you're, you're talking about, so it's, a, it's, we need the kids to fill the school, right? It's simple, that, you know, it's, and it's not gonna be any different when you ask me that question when North Village is up here, okay? Um, how long is this build out, right? How long is it gonna take them to build all these homes? Because they pay their developer fees and it, even yeah. measure few passes, right? We have to wait until the houses are built and the kids are there, because the one thing worse than not having a school is having a school that's empty, yeah. right? We can't do that. So if it takes them 10 years to build this out, it takes 10 years to get the kids there, okay? But then that's an invoice that the school district gets that says, now you have to fund this school, because that's, depending on the school, that's anywhere between three to $5 million a year for teachers and administrators and classified staff and all that. So, you know, we have to wait for the kids to get there to be able to fill it. And I know you're talking about having capacity all over town, yeah. but you know, it doesn't solve the problem if if Payton is, you know, full. Are we going to say, okay, now that neighborhood Payton or Markham, you have to find a way to get your kid over to this side of town now? You know, so it's not just as simple as taking kids from all the schools to fill one. 
it, it takes time. Um, and, you know, when the, when the houses are going to be built um, and when the kids are going to be there. So is, is there a possibility if this measure does pass that you will build a school east of Leisure Town for the growing There is community? a possibility, yes. I mean, you know, what, what scares me is not just this one too, but we have east of Leisure Town Road. But, right. um, you know, what's the market going to do? You know, how long is it going to take to build those homes? Because if things are going the way they are, I'm, I'm not an economist, so I don't know. You know, but we've seen before, we have land at McMurtry and Vaca Valley that was supposed to be all the homes built up there, so we bought that land. The homes never showed up. You know, the housing market crashed, they stopped building. So, you know, it's, it's a... It's just a big unknown, and that's what makes it so difficult. Well, but thank, thank you, Mr. Banowitz, for coming up here, because this is a question that council gets frequently, yeah. staff Absolutely. gets frequently. Yep. Most um, most folks aren't you know aren't sure of the relationship between us and the Vacaville Unified School District and Travis Unified School District and some of the school districts and how how the um, schools are built and funded to be built. So sure. thank you for coming up here. You're welcome. Taking the You're welcome. The, da the data shows that we have an interest in need for a K to K to six or um, K to eight. How long will it take to start the project and finish to get kids in the seats? Design typically would take about a year. And then, um, you know, I don't go to the city or the county for permits. It goes through the Division of State Architect, which is a lot slower. Um, so you're talking for a full school, probably eight months to a year for that, then a year of construction. So, so it could be anywhere two and a half to three years. So what if we make kind of a mandate with, with, de with developers? Um, so when developers hit a certain threshold of permits issued, when developers hit a certain threshold, hey, we passed the EIR. We passed all the certain things, start breaking ground and start tearing up roads and start laying the foundation. Once the sales center goes up and they have interest, at what point could you say, okay, you have a commitment for 1100 units or 900 units to be built um contracts are in at what point could we start if then scenario that if we hit this number then you guys start building we we could we could work that out and, so and before we could you even, finish answering yeah. that question i want to get everybody back on track with okay. green tree <laughs> um i appreciate that you've been up here answering sorry. questions because these are they're related topics but i don't want it to overwhelm okay. we can come uh, back for the yeah, next sorry. one sorry so um, can I ask one more personal question super quick as a team when we meet with the developer this we're there now did we do that with this project or are we missing no. the boat by moving forward tonight no, we, so we haven't done exactly what we're talking about we need to do on this project half this project is seniors so that's off the table but half this project is not we're talking about needed schools and we're going to talk about north village next my question is why are we not having that conversation now about what we could be doing to fix this issue as we move forward in this plan so i guess that was more of a comment of a question but okay. i just wanted to put and that i there. think we should meet with mr banowitz after and and us some of those shortfalls and how we can we can bridge them absolutely do you have any say to that or not i mean we've been talking about this for years it's the first time we've had a bite of the apple so it does make sense that we would do it um is there time to loop back in with this i mean they're asking for concessions on parks and recreations and trail fees do we have time to talk about school fees still or is it too late based on where we're at um, under state law, <clears throat> school impacts are satisfied by payment of the fee, and the fee is set and limited under the same laws. So 
it, it, from staff's perspective, it's not something that's on the table in the development agreement between the city and the developer. As a council, you, you can give us policy direction on that. Um, we did, uh, just to correct some things that were said earlier, we did work with Dan um, and his team during the development of the EIR because we wanted to make sure we got the numbers right in the EIR and disclose the number of students that would come out of the project. So there was some interaction between the school, um, the school district and the city staff. Uh, but really, under the sort of nexus and proportionality of development in California, school impacts are satisfied by payment of fees, even though that's not satisfying, probably to hear or to hear from Dan how it actually plays out. Council Member Wiley. I just also have one comment to make on this. My frustration is what was also alluded to that, you know, here's this development that we didn't talk about and there's Brighton Landing and there's Roberts Ranch and there's all the other ones down there. And in my district, Travis, you know, we have two full schools, didn't get enough portables and we have Vanden whatever and this van, you know, three different things and Redstone proposed apartments. And so it's just really difficult because we're dealing with a lot of different developers and it sounds like the city doesn't have a good way to address it because they're meeting the impact fees that we have in our plan. And so the school is saying, oh yes, I can meet that one. Oh yes, I can meet that one. Oh yes, I can meet that one without looking at the whole thing. And in the meantime, schools are crowded and it's not a good thing. But personally, it would be hard to do it on this project without looking at the whole thing. That's just my comment. Thank you. Are there any other questions? Sorry. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, um, uh, just disclose, I did have a conversation with the developer, but nothing was discussed that wasn't presented already. Um, yeah, regarding the concession uh, that they want for the credit for parks and rec, I, I know this, uh, just looking at this plan from what I heard at the Planning Commission as well, it looks like they've done a pretty good job with meeting what the city and the community generally wants with senior housing, workforce housing, uh, shopping center on that side of town because there's no shopping on that side of town really as it sits. Um, so it seems like, I mean, I haven't worked with them but staff, but it seems like they've been a fairly good partner and not giving us a lot of headaches in terms of development, at least with what's been going on the last couple of years. Um, what is the reason for not advising for their concession? Because I know they're building twice the amount of parks that is required by the city. We're gonna put up the slide that shows the applicant's proposal. Um, so in this development agreement, similar to another project that's a separate agenda item, staff was really faced with negotiating a development agreement for turnkey park when the city does not have much of a history of getting turnkey parks. And what we've heard from the council um, repeatedly is how frustrating it is for new residents to have to wait for parks to be developed. So from a staff perspective, there's tremendous benefit to the city when the developer builds a turnkey park. In the case of this project, the South Park is really unique because it's not required by the city. Uh, it was not suggested by staff or it's not, uh, there's no nexus to require it. 
from staff's perspective, this is something the developer offered to the community. And it's actually one of the most kind of bright and shining public benefits of this project. So as we were negotiating the development agreement, we were trying to figure out like, how do you give credit for a special feature that the developer's offering without taking away the financial resources that come with the payment of impact fees to do other things in the community, like you know the Centennial Park improvements are my favorite example because I've actually been to that park a couple times. Um, so that's where staff's proposal involved treating these things as two separate development areas, these two parks in two separate development areas, and then relating fee credits by development area to avoid essentially taking community park fee that would come out of that northern area and putting it into the southern park. So that's the crux of it. Um, it's a million dollar difference um, to correct the earlier slide. Staff's um, recommended fee credit totals at about 2.9, the developer's looking for $4 million. But it's a, it's a policy decision for the council. If you feel comfortable taking a million dollars of park impact fees that would come out of Green Tree, and instead of using that to build the community parks and the trails, putting that into the Green Tree South Park, um, that is totally your decision and staff can craft the development agreement to do that. That said, we recommend the development agreement that went to planning commission that does not have the extra million dollars. So is that credit. South Park completely open to the public as well? Or is it just- Both restricted? parks are public parks, okay. uh, but so the South Park is designed, the South Park is designed specifically for seniors. And of course, everyone will be welcome there. And there's a lovely amphitheater feature that everybody will be able to use. But it has a dog park, which is something you typically find in community parks, has a putting green, which you don't typically find in the city's parks. And these are really special features that staff felt we can make the argument that this is a little bit like a community park, which is why we're recommending 50% credit against the community park portion of those Southern impact fees. I'm not gonna apologize, but I gotta go back to the school one. Um, so I'm just trying to clarify some of the comments that, that were made uh, on behalf of staff. So we're charging, the charge, the amount that we charge is the max that the state will allow us to charge, is that correct? And we don't technically charge it. Um, the develop, any developer getting a building permit goes and pays the school district and shows us the receipt. Okay, so how is it that other communities are able to fund schools. I'm actually gonna ask my consultant, Kathy Pease, to answer that question because she has familiarity with how Roseville does it um, in response to your question. So I was the planning manager for Roseville for 18 years when those specific plans were being developed. In the early days, we had a general plan policy that stated that the developer had to make the schools whole. Unfortunately, over time, we got lucky and we got a lot of great school resources, but we were challenged on that. And so we no longer, the city can no longer do that. We're held to sterling fees. Um, so in the past, we did tell the applicant before we go to hearing, we wanna make sure you have that agreement. Um, so that is why that is a unique situation and it did result in wonderful schools. Um, but again, I think the city's hands are tied that we are you know, restricted to the sterling fees, what we're able to ask the applicant to do. So we can't add on legally, it sounds like. Correct. So back to the question, how would one fund a school? How, how would one, how do communities help fund a quality education system? Well, again, I think that's why we're all in the situation that we're in, which is kind of behind the eight ball with schools. Um, 
you know, as the school district indicated, you need the students before you can go to the state to get approval for a new school. And so while there are fees that are paid by new development, that helps, growth helps communities to be able to do that. Um, but I don't think there's any other measures that can be done. We can't amend the development agreement um, to ask for additional resources. So it sounds to me in order to prevent additional portables on existing impacted schools that were designed for less, perhaps there needs to be a savings account of some sort built to where that can help meet the gap as we continue to expand. So that way we're not using the existing developer fees to fund portables, uh, but rather using that to construct a new school and expand that out over time. I really think it's a legislative problem that it really, you know, needs to come from the state to change the laws. How do we put pressure on the state? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe that's a future thing. So, um, all right, so other question, uh, we have some folks talking about local workforce uh, made from the developers. How will you help support more local hires uh, uh, for the different jobs that this is gonna require? Um, Richard Loki for Green Tree again. Um, uh, Councilmember Silva, we have not been asked, we have not been approached in any way by the labor unions to do anything in the way of a contribution. What we've seen is one attack after another attack on this project. We are willing to talk with those folks. Um, after the Planning Commission hearing, I'll tell you that the Carpenters Union representatives came to us complimentary of the project because they know that this project will be producing housing that is affordable to workers, supporting economic growth in the community that then in turn helps build um, opportunities for labor force. This project was conceived primarily as a workforce housing initiative and no project i'm sorry to say but to be honest can be everything to everybody we have tried to address this as an infill project as sensitively as we could we've tried to fund every request that came to us and we're certainly happy to talk with all of the folks in the labor pool we need them to build this project but the way this has come down to this point has been threats, innuendos, and attacks on, on our CEQA document, attacks on our development agreement. Um, if there's something they would like to share with us, we're all ears. So, so thank you for sharing that. My, my question is how we're gonna hire local workforce? Or how, in what ways do you guys help support in hiring a local workforce? I can't address that specifically this evening. I'm speaking to you as a master developer here someone who representing the property owner interest is trying to look at a way of financing this enormous load of infrastructure and fees so that we can front end that economic investment to create these building pads for things like the apartment project the only project within green tree that we believe is ready to go um, these are challenging times and so we suspect um, more than suspect, we're quite sure that 
if we're fortunate enough to see that apartment project, those first 240 units go forward, we will be struggling to get the next chunk of development underway. Uh, fortunately, um, our phasing plan that staff mentioned gives us flexibility to move into different areas. We have obligations with each of those areas. Um, and so, uh, uh, candidly, what we're doing at this point is looking at ways of financing the infrastructure and improvements. We are not home builders. We are delivering a site ready for the market to respond to with people like Redtail Investments coming to build an apartment project. Um, once that infrastructure is in place, the streets are in place, we've built the parks, um, we believe that we'll be able to attract top-notch residential builders to build townhouses, condominiums, senior housing. And in those individual um, building projects, there will be plenty of additional opportunities to address labor force issues. That is the most honest and direct answer I can give you this evening. So if I can uh, go back to the school fees for a minute and just uh, clarify something. So it's, it's correct, we can't uh, require a developer to pay higher school fees. Um, in a situation where you have a DA though, it does give you an opportunity to negotiate a higher school fee uh, with the developer. Of course, the developer would have to agree to that and it might come at the, um, at the price of some other amenities uh, that, that are negotiated through a development agreement, but that, um, that would be the avenue where you could discuss um, dealing with school impacts through a development agreement. Well, I haven't got to ask a question yet, but um, there was some discussion about some traffic calming measures and some concerns about evacuation routes and traffic. Can we talk about what some of those traffic calming measures are? Then I'll get to the other. I'll respond to the question about evacuation routes. Um, I'm not the most knowledgeable person our fire department is, but I, I'm aware that there is a countywide effort to look at identifying evacuation routes and timing um, ahead of the next disaster, and that that's in progress right now. Uh, Kathy can show and speak to the proposed traffic calming improvements. There's some that are within the project, and there's also some that are identified as public benefits because they're in addition to what would normally be required um, in development. I don't know if you can see the slide um, on Yellowstone, which is the top green um, on the north, I guess, west side of this map. Um, there are traffic calming features that are proposed. You see the circle area, there's a roundabout at Yellowstone and Sequoia. Um, there are also pedestrian, there'll be a pedestrian crossing that we, that we references a ladder type. So there's going to be striping in the street. There's also going to be a flashing beacon so that uh, drivers are aware that there's pedestrians that are gonna wanna cross there. So that those are the features that are gonna help with traffic calming. What about on to Leisure Town? On Leisure Town, um, there are roadway improvements. There is the meandering, uh, pedestrian on both sides, there's going to be uh, both sides of the street will have pedestrian access and that uh, would be signal controlled for crossing. 
And then I guess um, following up on the on the roundabout that that has a very unique um, design design. Yes, that I think and and I gotta tell you, I think these roundabouts are terrible. I know that there are people that love them. I think they're terrible. The one in Southtown gets hit like every weekend. Somebody smashes into it. I don't know how many times Public Works has fixed it, but is there a way that um, that it can it can stay the way that it is, where the way that folks are used to to navigating that section? I'd like to bring up GHD, our traffic consultant, who would better address that. Sorry, you almost made it all the way through. <laughs> yeah. I, Todd Trigenza with GHD. Um, the current design uh, as it is out there today, the concern with that is that it, it, it encourages high-speed maneuvers. It has a lot of slip lanes, basically free right turns. It has three conflict points, really three intersections within that triangle. Uh, the roundabout as proposed would slow down vehicles along the corridor and would accommodate that that traffic more efficiently. I don't know about the South Park roundabout South that, Town, gets, yeah. that gets hit um, all the time. Uh, we, we plan and design a lot of roundabouts throughout the state and they are a proven safety countermeasure. Uh, so they do provide a traffic safety benefit and they handle traffic efficiently with lower um, emissions and lower air quality. Uh, an air quality improvement associated with that as well. So will this roundabout have some of those radar detected lighting features so that people really know to go right instead of going left like they have been for, I don't know, 30, 40 years or more, maybe years of people going left there. So that, that's what I'm worried yeah. about is people, people are habitual with how they drive and, and I foresee there being some concerns with the roundabout. So I'm just wondering, is there, is there any sort of lighting or any sort of traffic devices that will kind of point people in the right direction so that nobody crashes or goes head on with another car? So the, the, there is, and we, we are not the designers of the roundabout. Um, we, we could provide that service <laughs> if requested to do so. Um, but they, they do have chevrons that indicate the circulation. Um, they're, they're well striped. I don't know the vintage of the roundabout that's having issues, but that practice has evolved quite a bit over the years uh, since they were first starting to get built in California maybe 15, 20 years ago at the earliest. Uh, so it, it is a practice that is evolving. And I think that um, today's current modern roundabouts are very clear in terms of which way traffic is intended to flow. There are words, uh, you know, directing traffic yield to entering vehicles. There are arrows within the roundabout and at the approaches of the roundabout that show which direction of travel is possible. And um, there are those chevrons, those kind of arrows in the center um, uh, circulation uh, center island that can show which direction to go as well. Council Member Wiley was next. Thank you. Um, just a couple of comments. I think we're comments on the general project right now. So I'd say I feel like there was a lot of public input up to this process. So it was good. I'm glad people came tonight, but it has been a long process before this. So I thank you to the group that has been there for the long haul, uh, months and years, making this plan. Also, my same plan for schools, the same thing for water. When we talk about, oh, there's, yes, there's adequate water for this. 
Well, when you look at the totality of all the building going on, that's why people are really concerned about, is there adequate water for everything that's being planned? And I do appreciate the fact that the purple pipe is being put in and that's part of the plan as well. Um, the burrowing owls, we used to have burrowing owls when I came to town 30 years ago in South Vacaville. They're not there anymore and they're not coming back. So if we can do anything to keep the burrowing owls in here, I'd certainly approve of that. And then the last, I mean, I know you kind of addressed the labor and apprenticeship program saying it's not within your purview right now, but I would certainly say that it's really important and a community benefit to use local labor because then they're staying in town, working in town, spending their paychecks in town, and local labor is really important. So if we're not at that point now, or if they haven't reached out, we should encourage those discussions so we can use local labor and the apprenticeship program as another uh, person spoke to. It's so important to let kids know, here's an avenue and a very good career ahead with, with uh, all the apprenticeship programs. And I was happy that they uh, programs were talking to eighth graders a, a week ago um, at the community center about trades and other jobs as well. So, um, Basically, one last comment is the apartments, we're in a big issue with that in Southtown, so I wanna make sure that those apartments do get built first as planned, and that goes the way it's supposed to, <laughs> with not a change. Those are my comments. Thank you. Council Member Sullivan. Yeah, th thank you, uh, Vice Mayor. Um, I, I have a, a couple questions. Can you first, I know this sounds kind of silly, but can you first just tell us big picture, where are we at in the process, right? Can you tell us succinctly kind of where we've been, kind of how we got to today and what the next steps are, just kind of big picture on this particular project, if you don't mind. We're gonna pull up a timeline slide and then I will speak briefly to where we're at in the process. Okay. Do it. Okay. Um, we're at a point where um, I think this is the seventh year this project's been on file with the city of Vacaville. Um, we have prepared and circulated a draft EIR for public comment, um, had a ton of public meetings and public discussion, have prepared a final EIR and have been to planning, have developed, um, if you've seen it in the packet, an extensive list of conditions of approval, a draft development agreement, and the project is here this evening, you know, looking for the council to take action on it. So, so we approved tonight within what? Um, then it would come back, the, the ordinances would come back to you for a second reading, and that would be at the December meeting, because uh, it can't happen at the special meeting in November. And then 30 days later, the ordinances would go into effect, so the DA would be officially approved at that point, as well as the rezoning and, and that, that stuff. And then that would really allow the developer to start um, moving on design of the infrastructure and ultimately the first phase of development, which is the apartment complex. Thank you, I appreciate the, the context there. So a couple things I just wanted to highlight and just like show my support for my peers as well, because sometimes we'll say things up here and then they don't happen later, because I don't think enough to say that we, we support that. First and foremost is the apartments have to happen first, no matter what, I, you're telling us it's gonna happen tonight. We haven't, you know, I just wanna make sure that's written in cement and I'm hoping my peers will nod their heads and agree that that has to happen first. It's been a big mistake for other projects for a variety of reasons. I think the second thing that I wanted to express is I agree with the vice mayor. I think the roundabout is, is not a great idea and I don't mean to bash the traffic folks. Just in this neighborhood with the folks that are there, it's gonna be a nightmare. Uh, I've been by the Southtown roundabout as well. It gets hit weekly, if not daily. It's, it's gonna be dangerous. And I, 
I know that it's a great and engineers say it's awesome, but I just think with this population, it's going to be a really bad idea. Um, I don't know if we can change it at this point or council has that purview, but I just don't think it's going to work out super well. I don't want to delay the project, but I, I just, it, I've always thought it was a bad idea. Um, I, I think the, the pieces that I wanted to talk about, um, I guess really quickly is really the schools in, in the local hire provision piece. I, I wish they didn't just come to us tonight. It feels like the conversation is just starting. We're already at the finish line. So I, I don't know where in the future we initiate those conversations in a manner that makes sense for staff, for developers, for people's time. I and mean, we clearly feel really strongly about schools and we've talked about that from the dais. So it is a little unfortunate tonight that we're sort of in this position now where it's like, oh, we could have gone to them eight months ago. We wouldn't have wasted their time, wasted your time. I mean, we want more schools. We get yelled at about it every council meeting that we have. It's, it's a big issue. And it sounds like we had an opportunity to maybe go to the developer a year or two ago and say, hey, especially in this part of town, we're gonna have all these kids and we have no schools and people are pissed. And then we're gonna do the same thing for North Village just down the street in a few minutes. And so it's just super frustrating. Like, I wanna build that into the process that the, the second conversation we have with someone is, what about schools? And how do we talk to the developer about that? Because we're never gonna fix this if we don't start having that discussion. So I don't know how we change our process or our checklist, but that has to happen because this has been, I ran on this four years ago and it's still not fixed and we still haven't started that step one. So. However, we need to memorialize that I want to do that. The local labor piece as well, I totally agree. I think one of the biggest challenges of being a council member is building housing with wages that people can afford to live on, but building the same housing those people can afford to live in. It's the, the biggest challenge we have is how do you make that work? How do you build a project with great local labor, particularly from the local trades groups, and actually build it at a price that people can afford? That is the conundrum of California. It's rough, but again, we should start those conversations early, not, not tonight. And so I don't know where that went wrong or where we could have initiated or not. But again, I think that's very tough. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, I, I wanna put a big thank you to Marge and her team. You guys have probably had a full-time job over the last, I don't know, four years or three years or whatever it is, put in tons of work. I know it sounds like there's some outstanding issues tonight, but from where we started when I got on board four years ago with people screaming and literally, you know, gonna burn the council chambers down to today, that's a huge improvement. And that is because of the Lokis and some of the work that you guys have done. That's because of our staff. I know we give you a hard time, but that's also because of the residents putting in the time. So thank you sincerely for the effort, time and the advocacy. You know, it, it's a big deal though. And so Mr. Loki, you talked a little bit earlier about the, the gift of the parks and the trails and all these amazing things, which are beautiful, but the turnkey, it's great. But on the same coin, right? We have our grandmas and our grandpas and our uncles that bought this, this nest egg of theirs, right? Their retirement property with their golf course and their golf cart. And we, we've taken that away from them first, right? And so it is, it is a touchy issue. And granted there's private property rights and all that other good stuff, but a lot of you bought your homes in this area thinking you were gonna golf and then that was your thing and that was your livelihood and you, you made this commitment and that was taken away. And so this is always a hard conversation. Um, and I guess now I'm kind of rambling, but I just wanna acknowledge that. Um, I guess the last piece that I, the last specific question I have, or two specific questions, one for the city attorney and then one for, for um, Aaron, what, what is the time span for this agreement and, and why is it that length? Uh, thank you, Councilmember Sullivan. The development agreement is proposed for a 15 year term, and that is due to the time it takes once a project receives its approvals for the design construction, in this case of this project, substantial public infrastructure, and then uh, ultimately 1,100 units do not get built instantly. They get phased over time. Right. Uh, staff did talk to the developer, and we're not trying to offer more years, but we said, are you sure 15 years is enough? Because actually for a project of this size, 15 years is a fairly ambitious time frame. Uh, but we've talked about with that with the Loki several times, and they're convinced that it probably won't take 15 years, but that 15 years is a sufficient time frame to give them 
ultimately enough time for the project to, to happen. Okay, okay, got it. And then my last question, and this is probably for the city attorney, and I probably wish I would ask you this earlier, but does SB 1439 apply to this tonight? That's the new um, kind of political campaign donation bill for the, the, the year prior. Does that apply? I know that just passed, the governor just signed it. When, when does that go into law? Does that impact the project this evening? Yeah, it does go into law on January 1st, but it will um, apply to any contributions that were made within the preceding 12 months. Okay, so. got it. Okay, thank you. Those were all my comments. Council Member Ritchie. Sorry, my voice. It's getting better. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for hearing so much. It was amazing to hear um, the presentation and see like Marge Kelly, I've grown close to, and, and Miss Canalita um, that actually came. Uh, I actually grew up at her house as a kid. And so now it's amazing to see her back. It's, life's amazing. But that kind of, um, that this story in the room here kind of speaks to this project. Um, you know, we had the problem with Jefferson Parkway, which we call Leisure Town, but the last 20 years it's been a project, a multi-city project, the county, we call Jefferson Parkway. It's stopped right now. If you notice that Elmira and Leisure Town, it will, be, it will keep being built. We all approved um, the re removal and kind of pushing back the SID ditch. There's progress going. Things take time, so we, we've actually already started the process of improving the, the, the drivability of Leisure Town. It's a problem. Um, my own sister got hit um, blindsided on Hawkins Road like a few months ago, um, driving my own, her own daughter to Cooper School. So I, I know the risk, I know the problems. Um, I'm, cognizant, I'm cognizant aware of what can and, and does happen on, on Leisure Town. So that will happen, but it takes time. and. I just want to address the room. You know, we have things on the growth issues. You know, we're going to grow. I mean, I've been in the city for a long time. It's amazing how, as I see my friend Megan's mom here, I remember back when it was 34,000 people. I remember where the only movie theater was now we call Journey Coffee. I remember living in the house across from Grand Theater, and that was a whole factory full of dried fruit. Like, things change. We all enjoy downtown Vacaville and the town square. I remember exactly where Los Reyes was, was a car lot. And you had a roundabout for a Greyhound bus stop where the, where the library was, was a pool hall and a, and a pawn shop. Things changed. You know, people didn't want to change back then, but we all enjoy the change now. Um, we all won the golf course. Golf course is great, but thing ha things change. And now we're in a position now where we can kind of take the next step forward in the community and make sure that it's right. I think the biggest thing is we have people here in the council and the city staff that are passionate about the project, making sure we do the right things. We don't haphazardly just throw 1,200 homes in the middle of the city and roll the dice to see what happens. We have, a, we have an equity stake. Most people here are from Vacaville and we're very dialed in the polls of what will could happen. So we're not gonna propose a project or champion something that we feel is gonna have a kind of negative effect on the community. Um, been a lot of time talking to Marge and, and company and, and liaisons and meeting and, and they worked really hard to find a project that you know they had hopes and dreams of having a golf course but things happen and this is the best project I felt um, going forward in the time I've been in council and campaigning um, talking um, I think we're gonna be able to things and the schools is one issue but really when it comes to the project you know 
one of the main things we talked about is making sure that the apartments housing, apartment housing go first. So no one behind the project felt like they got bamboozled and knowing there's apartments. Um, you know, when it comes to the workforce housing, it's so important. Is that housing gonna be ownership housing or is it gonna be rented housing? Either way, as the project goes, they're gonna go out to bid. But if they're not building coal development themselves, Mr. Loki hit on that, I think it's really important. Um, they're gonna master plan the community and then other developers will come in and bid for the projects. So we don't know the technical makeup. We know the lot size density plan of the project. We don't know the technical makeup of those lots and densities of what will be ownership and rented. So that, that stage, that's to come. But right now we have a massive plan for Travis Air Force Base to expand. They're gonna almost a third the size of the capacity of the base. We have airmen and women and, and staff that can't, they live in this, they work at Travis, they have to commute to Yolo County, Sacramento, to live and come back to Travis to work. So when it comes to the whole big kind of universe of what we're trying to create here, we're trying to create a community where people can work, live in community, reside in community, spend tax dollars in community, either through renting, and they go to sales tax or property tax. Either way, we need to create a place where people live in Vacaville, work in Vacaville, stay in Vacaville, and that would help us grow as a community. We have a lot of things in front of us, ambitious goals that we need to fund. And if we don't grow responsibly, they will commute out of our city and we lose all that revenue. And we're gonna be in a death spiral at some point because expenses climb, but if we don't work, work, work on revenue, we're in trouble. So I, I, I understand growth. I've been here for a long time. I mean, half the neighborhoods, when people talk, they should list the house they're in the year built because I probably rode my motorcycle across half your guys' lots before they were built as a kid. So you're living in areas that, you know, it's kind of like the no growther. It was good for, it was good to grow until you said no, but you're living in a neighborhood that used to be a field yourself. So it's kind of, you got to make sure don't be hypocritical about it. You know, I remember the whole Browns Valley before it was built. I threw out my dirt bike from Wesley Hill to the racquetball club, parking down the fence and swim, and now it's homes. So at some point, it was good enough for you to buy a house, but after a year there, now you want to pump the brakes. It's not fair. We have to make sure we grow kind of strong, but um, this project's great. I mean, I really wanted to go forward and make sure that um, kind of prove it as, as is, and I would love to kind of have the process start. Motion to approve. Motion to approve. A second. We have a motion, we have a second. Can we get a roll call, roll call vote? And or do you want to make some comments quickly? I want to move along. Yeah, try and move along. So I was okay. going to make a motion. Oh, okay. Do you have a friendly amendment or are you good with the motion? That's what you asked. I was going to uh, adjust for the developer's parking. I mean, it's it the motion for both parts or just the one first part and then the second? Both are great. Is your motion to take staff's recommendation or is your motion include the request from the developer for the additional funds? Just make a quick comment real quick. Okay, yeah, give me your uh, comment. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this short. Um, I know the council, like we've dealt with like a lot of different developments so far and we've been trying to work with developers that a lot of times just do the very minimum that the city requires. So it's one of those things where 
they took time to work with the community, work with the staff, develop some of that like pretty much or majority of people are good with and not just doing the minimum parks, but from their letter, they put 10 million, $10 million, over $10 million into building two parks. One of which was not even required by the city. They went above and beyond at that point. So I think developers such as this, that actually take the time and go above and beyond what's required for community benefit uh, should be considered when they're just asking for a uh, relatively minor adjustment to their fee considering we're getting $10 million in parks for $1 million. Motion to approve with the recommend, with, with the request for the slight reduction of the developer for the park fee. Um, and that's about it. The accurately Pictures. Yes. Is there a second? Is that so just just to clarify, you're you're moving uh, staff's recommendation forward with the addition of um, of the requested fee credit by the developer. Correct. Okay, and let me just ask staff: Is are we ready to come back with that? Do we want to have the motion now or? We would need to make revisions to the development agreement that was in the packet to account for the million dollars that's in addition to the credit as recommended. The language the developer proposed is not quite right because it actually doesn't tie their construction of the park to their getting of the credit. And we want to make sure that is clearly documented in the development agreement. So um, I'll ask the city attorney, um, I, I think we'd be very comfortable implementing the council's direction and, right, and, and substantially the development agreement would be substantially the same. It would just have that slight difference, but it depends on your comfort level, whether we need to bring it back or whether they can provide direction to us to amend it after the meeting, before the well, second reading, perhaps. So so I, though I have, I'm not the one that actually worked on the language. I'd be comfortable with staff's direction, um, but I will ask our legal team that's sitting there if, they, if they're comfortable that we can amend that. Um, <laughs> Uh, good evening, council members. Uh, Dan DePorto, uh, special counsel of the city, uh, was retained to help with the development agreement and the project. Um, uh, what I'm hearing is you want to approve the development agreement subject to the developer's request to change the language. Uh, we discussed the language beforehand and uh, we believe that it requires a little bit more uh, adjustment in order to accurately reflect what uh, the meeting of the minds, I think that the city and the developer are moving towards. So uh, I think it would be best if uh, it was returned to staff and uh, that the development agreement was returned to staff to make those adjustments to the development agreement and have them uh, and have staff and the developer, you know, be able to review them and agree to it. Okay, thank you. Okay, so at this point, uh, could we just move to approve the development without the, without the addition and have it come back later? We, 
I think at this point I would I would recommend if that's the direction that the council wants to go to uh, continue the item direct staff to negotiate with that continue the entire item direct staff to negotiate that language with the developer and bring it back for approval of the entire project. We have a motion. So I'm not clear on what the motion is. Going. I mean, I motion to approve the project first with the, with the elimination or increase the, the fee will be added. So that was not able to go through. So now a choice either motion as is staff recognition. So that's um, council member Robert. He has a comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll motion to continue us to the November 15th and allow the staff to make the necessary adjustments to the development agreement reflecting the change in uh, uh, credit for the community parks and trails. Um, yeah. Second. second that. We have a motion and a second. Can we get a roll call vote, please? Council Member Ritchie? Yes. Council Member Silva? Yes. Council Member Sullivan? Yes. Council Member Roberts? Yes. Council Member Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Stockton? Yes. So I think we can invite uh, Aaron Bush back. Somebody could find him and is that what we need? Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna take a five minute recess while we switch city managers and then we will come back for item 8B. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to read that thing. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. but you will. <laughs> or you might. All right, I'm gonna call the meeting back to order, but before we begin, um, I need to read this tonight. To avoid any conflict, I am recusing myself from participating in item 8B regarding various actions on the North Village Development Project because my residence is located within 500 feet of the project boundaries. I will leave the dais until notified that the item is complete. If I choose to speak, I will sit in the gallery with the public and speak solely as a member of the public and limited to my personal real property interests. Thank you. Um, in my absence, Council Member Ritchie will um, take the gavel. City Manager, could you read, please, um, item B? Thank you, um, Council Members. Uh, this next item, there's a lot of entitlements, so I'm not going to read them all, but it's a uh, presentation regarding the North Village Area Plan 2, and we have multiple members of our planning staff here to give you a presentation. Thank you, City Manager and Council. Item before you tonight is the North Village Area Plan 2 project. Specifically, this is a request for a comprehensive amendment to the North Village Specific Plan. This amendment includes an environmental assessment, a general plan amendment and zoning map amendment, as well as an amendment to the development agreement and the specific plan. 
and also a request for a vesting tentative map. This aerial image shows the extent of where North Village is. You can see it's north of Vaca Valley Parkway, east of 505, south of Midway Road, and west of Leisure Town Road. So what is the North Village specific plan? Well, it's a master plan development community. It was originally approved in 1995 with 880 acres. It consists of two planning areas with approximately 2,499 units that are comprised of single family and multifamily development. The master plan also includes areas for commercial, business park, as well as a public college that's partially developed right now, a site for a public elementary school and a private swim club with various public parks and public open space. This shows the development plan as it was originally approved in 1995. You'll see the southern portion in purple shows the college as well as the area in red shows the commercial site. Area in blue shows where that business park is area uh, is designated, and then the various oranges and tans that are identified show the residential. And the project also provides that uh, wide variety of open space within the middle of the project. So as we mentioned, the specific plan is broken down into two areas. Area plan one, which is comprised of 368 acres, has about 1,300 units, which are also single family and multifamily, with commercial and business park as well as open space a public park, and it had a designation for a public school. Area plan is almost built out. Uh, the current portion that is under construction right now is unit seven, which is Bristow development by Discovery Builders. Area plan two is not yet developed, but that is the next phase uh, for this specific plan, which is comprised of 468 acres with 1,151 units, both single family and multifamily, has open space, a public park, and identified location for a private swim club. This map shows exactly where those area plans are broken up. You'll see uh, on this map that there's a portion of uh, development that's currently occurring that is Unit 7. This is an old image, so uh, right now that's really filling up with development as it gets closer to that extension of North Village Parkway. Area pink is where the area plan 2 is spec to be developed, as it was originally approved in the 1995 approval. So how did we get to this point in the process? Well, it originally started in 95 when the project was approved and the environmental impact report was certified as well as the various entitlements. But between 1995 and 2000, the property owner annexed the entire site into the city limits and acquired various environmental permits that were necessary in order to be able to move forward with development. So in 2001, area plans started construction. Also in 2001, the Vacaville Unified School District started their, procedure, their procedures for acquiring the school site that was identified in Area Plan 1, except for they had a little bit of a hiccup when they went to the Solano Airport Land Use Commission to receive a determination <coughs> of whether or not it would be consistent to place that school at that location. Uh, ALUC determined it wasn't an appropriate location and they did not find it consistent. So following that, development continued to move forward. Uh, in 2011, the applicant uh, Discovery Builders decided to take that school site and repurpose it with residential development. As part of that en entitlement and that development agreement amendment, there was a requirement for them to amend Area Plan 2 to identify a school site. And that brings us to this project. In 2019, Area Plan 2, the first application was submitted to the city, went before City Council, and they blessed the uh, application to move forward with the formal development application. And so between 2019 and 2020, several 
efforts have been made between the developer through city staff as well as other responsible agencies like VUSD and Sol uh, Solano Irrigation District to make sure that the project was meeting all required policies and development standards. And so this resulted in revisions of the project plans. Well, there were these revisions needed to be vetted again by city council to make sure that whatever the changes occurred were still consistent with what was originally reviewed in 2019. And so we did that in May of this year. City Council looked at these changes that had occurred through collaborative efforts and determined that those changes were consistent with that 2019 approval or that 2019 um, consent. So we move forward with the development review process and scheduled a series of public meetings, the first being a public meeting with Airport Land Use Commission to make sure that all the changes that were occurring in Area Plan 2 were consistent with the compatibility plans and that Trey Airport compatibility plan as well as Travis Air Force Base compatibility plans. And they determined that those were consistent. Uh, next, we scheduled hearings with, um, we had a hearing with the Parks and Recreation meeting, which we'll discuss later the results of that. And then in September, we had our Planning Commission meeting. And that leads us to the fateful night for the, this project before City Council. So the project proposal can be summarized in seven bullet points. It, the applicant is requesting to change general plan and zoning map designations for Area Plan 2 and also Area Plan 1. The requesting to reserve an 11-acre school site in Area Plan 2 it was originally zoned for a location in Area Plan 1. So they're fixing that issue and they're identifying a location in Area Plan 2 for the school site. They're requesting to extend the development agreement, which is set to expire in 2025, by 20 years, and that would put it at a term until 2045 to continue building out uh, those units in Area Plan 2. The request to increase the overall unit capacity for this development by 100 units, which is afforded to them in the development agreement for consideration tonight. Uh, that would bring the total unit count from 2,499 to 2,599, or 1,251 units within Area Plan 2. They're also requesting this a part of this proposal. There are new obligations that are being added to the development agreement, primarily for procuring a turnkey park within Area Plan 2. Uh, this project also includes updates, various updates to the North Village specific plan, primarily to uh, update the exhibits and the development standards to be more consistent with development standards that we have in our municipal code now, but also to reflect changes to the land use that are being enacted as part of the general plan and zoning map designations. And lastly, the last portion of this is to obtain a vesting tentative map to subdivide that large 468-acre plot of land for development for single-family, multifamily duet housing. So what are the benefits for the community in this? Uh, starts with that the applicant's providing a site for Vacaville Unified School District. And in this particular project, we have been uh, at the table with VUSD on making sure that they have a voice and trying to make sure that there is a site in Area Plan 2, that we're fixing that issue that originally occurred in Area Plan 1. So Vacaville Unified School District can speak on any questions related to that interaction uh, and any discussions that they have been having privately with the developer about how to arrange uh, the procurement for that site. This project also provides missing middle housing. It's a type of housing that they're doing, which is duets. That wasn't originally uh, proposed in this area plan too. So as part of the overall land use layout changes that they're making, they're adding new land uses. They're getting away from the, uh, the very large lots with homes and they're trying to mix up. So you'll find that there's low density housing. There's also medium density with these duets and there's high density. So they're changing the mixture to provide a uh, greater variety uh, of housing. Uh, this particular project 
originally, as it was approved, had a set width of right-of-way that was required for Midway Road, but does not meet city standards nowadays. And so the developer is uh, providing additional right-of-way along Midway Road to meet city standards. Uh, this overall design and the amendments that are being done with the general plan and the zoning ultimately results in a better land use layout because we have now a park, which was originally located along a major arterial, uh, is being moved to a separate location away from the major arterial. We're also trying to site the school right next to the park so that there's some interactivity between those two uses. And then also we're trying to get the apartments to be moved right next to the park and the school so that way people who are living within that apartment have greater access, closer access and walkability to both the school and the park. Um, this amendment also includes a benefit to add more land use options for that business park to help uh, move it along the process and getting developed. Um, and most notably probably is the change would include a turnkey neighborhood park and a new dog park. Uh, and the area plan one, Cordero's Park was uh, not a turnkey park, it was built by the city, it was designed by the city with a procurement of uh, park impact fees. And that process was very delayed. And so in this particular instance, we're changing that. We're, we're going through as part of the development agreement amendment to ensure that that doesn't happen again. And so in the development agreement, what has been agreed to between the city and uh, the applicant is that they would build it at 50% of development. At, uh, prior to the 582nd building permit, they would start uh, construction and then move towards building it within a year. And so that's a little bit different. The other thing that is being done for this one is that uh, rather than asking for additional fees beyond what they're uh, compensated for, uh, about 25% is what they would be receiving in uh, impact fees as a credit because they're gonna be building the neighborhood park. They're also going to bridge a gap between what that park impact fee would be and what the actual construction park, uh, construction for the park would be. Uh, and a, it's approximately just over a million dollars that the applicant would be providing towards the construction of the park outside of whatever park credit fees that they would be getting. And uh, lastly, as provided in the staff report for city council, this project would result in a positive fiscal impact for the city. The changes that are being done would, would increase the revenue that would be received by the city. Uh, we wanted to capture what the other recommendations were as part of this process um, that is necessary for the council to make their decision tonight. It starts with the Parks and Recreation Commission. This was an item that was heard on June 1st as a public hearing. Uh, ultimately, Parks and Recreation Commission, as part of their conversation, they ended up recommending that city council not pro approve the preliminary design. There wasn't a lot of reasoning or um, explanation as to what those issues were, uh, but the ultimate, design, the ultimate recommendation was to not approve that preliminary design. We do have graphics that show what that design looks like for the council. Um, Salada Airport Land Use Commission, I mentioned this earlier, we had a hearing in June, it was on June 9th, they determined that all the changes that were being proposed by the applicant were consistent with those compatibility plans, so we're not having an issue with the location of where the school is gonna be this time or where any of the other land uses are gonna be. And then Planning Commission on September 20th, uh, the commission recommended that City Council approve this project. Uh, uh, as part of this project, we looked at the environmental impacts associated with increasing this uh, uh, project by an additional 100 units. Uh, as we mentioned before, the original project was approved in 1995. Certified along with that was an environmental impact report that identified 
what kind of impact this overall master plan project would be at 2,499 units. So our job, according to the California Environmental Quality Act, is what is the change? What is the impact that's resulting from the increase of an additional 100 units for this project? And as a result of the amendment that was being made to other areas of the project where they had to decrease the, square, uh, the amount of land area that was gonna be used for business park, as a result of negotiations with the Army Corps of Engineers for the procurement of conservation area, the additional increase to 100 units resulted in no net impact, that it, was, um, it wasn't gonna result in an impact. And so we have a draft assessment that's part of the staff report that identifies uh, that there's no additional impacts associated with adding those 100 units. So with that, we have a conclusion for um, uh, City Council and that the Planning Commission and both Planning Commission and staff support this project for a variety of reasons. It meets the findings that are required in our municipal code. It complies with general plans policies that are identified as part of uh, the findings attachment with the staff report. It's consistent with compatibility plans, provides a school site as required by general plan policies, provides a turnkey neighborhood park and a variety of different housing options. And the revised design improves the fiscal revenue for the city. So with that, we have a recommendation for city council tonight, by simple motion to reaffirm that original North Village project EIR to approve general plan amendment to introduce the zoning map amendment and development agreement amendments and to approve the specific plan amendment and the vesting tentative map. That concludes my presentation. The developer is here who also has a presentation for city council. And we also have a variety of city staff members and the consult city's consultant who worked on that addendum to help answer any questions. Evening, Mayor, Council Members. Uh, my name is uh, Doug Chen. I rep represent uh, Discovery Builders and North Village Development. Uh, we're the applicant for the project, and I appreciate you uh, your consider, uh, considering our project tonight. We have been working with staff for the past uh, many years, and I'm very glad to be here and present our project to you. Uh, as Albert has already um, done a good job in going through the project uh, in his presentation, I'll just hi uh, uh, highlight some of the key elements. Um, Again, North Village is an approved uh, master plan development, about 2,500 units. And the development agreement as it stands today allows us to request uh, another 100 units. Uh, you know, the city council doesn't have to approve it, but you know, would consider it. That's in exchange for uh, us constructing the interim uh, college improvements that we dedicated to Solana College. That's been done already. So that's, we're here before you to uh, uh, request a, another 100 units. Uh, the caveat to that is that those 100 units will only be possible if U VUSD does not acquire the school site in AP1. I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, AP1, again, is nearly built out, except for the commercial parcel and the business park. And uh, in a there was a typo in the staff presentation uh, uh, you know, mentioned in 2001. It was actually in 2005, the Airport Land Use Commission determined that the reserve school site in AP1 should be inconsistent with the Nut Tree Airport Zone. So that was in 2005. And right after that, uh, uh, we entered into an agreement with uh, Vacaville Unified School District to replace that school site with another site in AP2 to be determined, location to be determined. 
So tonight we're requesting an amendment to the general plan land use map um, to, uh, to accommodate the school site in AP2. And this new school site, we have worked with VUSD and we have also worked with staff to uh, uh, come up with a ideal school site uh, in AP2. And, uh, and also re the relay the changes because with you know, putting the, a 12 acre school site in AP2 affect the rest of the, uh, uh, the land use in AP2. So we need to fix all of that, uh, everything in AP2. The timeline Albert has already gone over, so I won't go over that again. Uh, I do want to add that uh, in, in late 2021, December 21, uh, we, the applicant and the USD did go to the Airport Land Use Commission on the school site in AP2. Uh, to get a consistent determination because we do not want a repeat of AP, what happened in AP1. So we want to get that done way in advance. So the staff did go back in June of 2022, uh, but as far as the school site, we already got the consistent determination back in 2021. And uh, Albert has already gone over the, uh, the uh, actions in two, two, 2022, so I won't go over that. So what we're asking for, requesting the city council to consider is to amend the general plan land use map to accommodate a school site in AP2. Um, and then uh, along with that, relay the changes that uh, AP2 was mostly residential low density, uh, the vast majority. So we're change, we wanna change that to provide um, a more middle housing, entry level housing and mid-level housing. And um, provide a turnkey park complex, which consists of a regular six acre neighborhood park and a uh, two acre dog park. We got the dog park input from staff. That was a highly desirable feature uh, for uh, within North Village. And that's what we're proposing that. So we're, again, the, the park complex consists of a neighborhood park and a dog park. Uh, it will, re, uh, uh, according to the city's uh, uh, physical impact study, uh, North Village had built out uh, with our proposed changes will result in a $2.8 million annual surplus to the city, meaning that the cost of service to the North Village will be $2.8 million less than the revenue that North Village will bring to the city. The revenue consists primarily of uh, property taxes and sales tax. In addition to that, North Village will also provide uh, in non-recurring revenue, uh, now I'm talking about impact fees, uh, at built out roughly about $10 million that consists of impact fees and the park subsidies that will be providing. Meaning the park subsidy would be the, uh, related to the neighborhood park and dog park where we're not getting, um, our, what we're providing is that uh, the cost to construct the park would be more than the credit we'll be receiving by about $2.5 million. As far as the environmental impact is concerned, uh, this, uh, this, the city's uh, CEQA consultant did a study and determined that, um, that our proposed AB2 would result in a positive environmental impact. Our development footprint would be reduced by 30 acres. Uh, we will have less vehicle trips by about uh, 2,500 trips a day. Uh, reduction in vehicle miles traveled, uh, just slightly over 4,000 miles a day. And uh, less water demand about 7,000 gallons per day less, and uh, less sanitary sewer flow by about 23,000 gallons a day. 
Uh, I won't go over this map because this is the, um, on your left-hand side was the 2019 error hearing map. Uh, on your right-hand side is what we submitted in 2019. That's just for historic purpose. Um, this map shows on your left-hand side, this is the existing general plan, and this is our proposed general plan layout. You can see that the school site is right there, the blue, uh, right next to a major road, no, which is the North Village Par uh, Parkway, a major arterial road. Uh, that school site in the, under existing general plan is roughly about three acres, which is uh, not enough for VOSD. VOSD needs uh, 12 acres. And plus, it's not consistent with the city's general plan policy because it's right next to a, an arterial road. So we're proposing to put the school right next to the park right there. And, uh, um, and that is consistent with the general plan. And again, it's, uh, we have uh, discussed the school site location with both staff and VUSD. This is a table showing the housing mix. Uh, you know, you can see on the, uh, the first line, residential row, uh, under the existing, which is on your, uh, your left-hand side, we're about 70% residential low, which meaning bigger homes and bigger lots. Uh, on your right-hand side, we're just, we're doing the opposite. We're doing roughly about 23% residential low, and the rest will be uh, the smaller, uh, high den higher density and medium density homes. That concludes my pr uh, presentation. I'm here to take your questions. Lou Durfus, uh, you know, I'm not a mathematician and I'm not a genius, but I ain't buying it. How can you add 100 more units without an environmental impact and how do you calculate that it reduces the environmental impact? I, I, I just don't, the math doesn't work for me. Uh, whenever you add, increase the density and add more units, that puts more demand on sewer, water, electricity, and everything else, you know, utilities uh, on our infrastructure. So, you know, I, I think we're being fed a line here. Uh, I, I, it just doesn't, it doesn't pencil out in my head. So uh, I'm opposed to adding another 100 units to this project. if I introduced myself last time. Some of the folks here know me, but in the event that you don't, I'm Claudia Williams. I reside in Browns Valley, and I'm trying to get my son enrolled in Browns Valley Elementary School. The district is telling me that it's full, and that his only option is to attend Payton, and that's the only school that has kindergarten available. I mean, the school di district wants to say, oh, well, there's all this room. There's, you know, there's ways to accommodate these students, but they're telling residents that that's not the case. So I think they're blowing some smoke to you guys and it needs to be kind of flushed out. And the proposal here tonight seems to imply that the school district is not going to acquire the site. 
because one of the action items is to allow an increase from 2,499 units to 2,599 units. So I would like a further explanation as to what's been going on with the discussions with the school district in that regard. And also for the North Village area specifically, that area is zoned for Mark. And a lot of those kids go to Browns Valley. I specifically bought in Browns Valley so that my son could go to Browns Valley. And now those kids are taking his spot, which is completely unacceptable. And the uh, district and the developers are pointing fingers at each other saying, oh, well, I don't need to build a school. I'm just gonna pay you this amount that I know is insufficient. I'm not going to build even a pad. I'm not gonna put the underlying infrastructure in so that a developer who comes in and builds that houses can put the, um, the school in, because there's not even a site for it. So I think that's an area where the city can improve in the negotiations with these developers instead of allowing them to come in and just do the bare minimum and then say, oh, well, we've complied with our obligations and you know that's it. And then the obvious result is that the kids suffer. The schools are overcrowded. And you know as it stands now, the district's opinion is that my son has to either go to Peyton or not go to school at all. And that's unacceptable. It implies that I, one, have the wherewithal to get him over to Peyton. I'm a single mom and I work full time. I can't afford to send him to private school. So what are my options? You know, that's just kind of where we're at and I'm sure I'm not alone in that regard. Absolutely. And also, what about the busing? There's no buses, even if he does get older. Okay. This can go on, on and on, and I'm sure as Mr. Sullivan noted, it's an issue that needs further consideration. Thank you. Thank you, council members, city staff. Uh, my name is Jim Sirachman. I actually uh, own a property right off of Leisure Town Road uh, where this project's gonna be. And we know that there's some challenges in speculating uh, what happens with traffic and, and things uh, when we're building projects like this. Uh, one of my concerns and one of the last meetings I had brought up was what happened during the fires in Vacaville. Uh, we see that stop sign at Midway Road right across from Vineyard RV Park. What happened is there was no common sense egress with people leaving and using the 505 and actually exiting that way because everybody was bringing all of their horse trailers and animals right down through that Midway Junction to Leisure Town. My concern being a property owner in that area is that the new general plan is cutting out Leisure Town Road. They're actually cutting out a big portion of that road um, to make their project there, but there's no arterial roads going to us directly for emergency services. Um, everything's gonna go back around to Vaca Valley. Now, when this plan originally got planned, uh, Amazon didn't exist. Uh, the new uh, companies weren't there. Uh, not even during the fires. They were still uh, in construction over there. So the increased traffic, even though they are widening the project, I want them to be wild, wildly successful. I love the North Village project and I wanna see it thrive. Um, but I do have a concern directly when it comes to not only egress and emergency situations, I was 
directly involved in that and it was pandemonium. It was dead stop all the way from the stop sign all the way back uh, to almost Cantaloupe. And there was outside agencies trying to figure out, uh, they didn't know what to do. It was a panic situation for everybody and nobody knew how to communicate. And so, yeah, we can learn from that, but now with the increased traffic, as we look at what happens when people aren't egressing in a way that makes sense, I'd like that looked at. Um, I own an elderly care home there as well. And taking that big portion of the road when I have 11 residents that could at any time need to get to Kaiser's trauma center, um, it's also concerning for me. So um, taking that portion of road when it already exists, it's, you know, in my, in my mind, I'm not asking them to build anything or anything else. I'm just asking, can we just keep the current infrastructure in place? That road is already there. And um, for us, it's, it's a direct shot to Kaiser Hospital uh, for emergencies. And um, with Station 73, where we're at, we have to use Dixon and Vacaville you know, for our emergency services. So it's something for us that uh, having to re-backtrack to go around uh, for any of our residents going to hospital could add critical mi minutes you know, to uh, emergencies. So thank you. Thank you. Hello, I'm citizen Roy Stockton. I live and own real property in North Village. Um, my question today is pretty simple. Um, is there any sort of legal documentation or anything that requires the developer to build the amenities that were discussed um, regarding a, a, a pool or a swim club? Are there any amenities for that? And then lastly, I just wanna say that, you know, I, I think that it's wonderful that we have districts I think it's wonderful that we have individuals that represent geographical areas within our community to stay connected to our constituents and to, to talk to the neighbors and people that are actually living in the neighborhoods that have representation. And I feel that it's really unfair to the citizens within District 1 um, that they don't get that right now. Um, I think that uh, we all want to see um, our, our councils represent us and I, I think it's kind of a travesty that they don't have representation up there. But I do want to thank the council, um, all of the council, um, council member uh, Wiley, Sullivan, Roberts, um, Richie and Silva, as well as the mayor, because each of you um, made the effort to reach out to members of district one and make sure that they knew that they could talk to you about any questions or concerns that they had. And I just wanted to make sure that I recognized each of you for doing that for our community since their council member wasn't able to be up here. That's it. Any more public comments? Gonna close public comments. Now council comments. Uh, sure. I took notes, so we can go down the list. Uh, the first question was, how do you arrive at the idea that there's gonna be no impact when you're adding 100 units? So to that, we'll turn to um, this exhibit here. <clears throat> so you'll notice in the center of the map that there is a portion of residential low density that was originally planned, about 60 acres. 
And then there was this nice, large, uninterrupted portion of business park area that's identified on this. So if you, if you turn to the aerial imagery right now, the area that's identified for that residential is conservation area. It needs to be preserved, it can't be built on at all. And you'll notice in the middle of the business park area, there's a slight, there's a slight discoloration in the uh, grass because that is also conservation area that needs to be preserved. So the both of those extractions that they can't be developed because it was determined after the original environmental impact report was certified that those areas could not be developed, that the removal of that develop developable land area cancels out the increase in the additional 100 units. And that very simple synopsis is described in great length in I think about the 600 page document um, that's the environmental assessment, which is an addendum to that environmental impact report. The second question is, how is the school going to work? Um, and then also, this particular proposal implies that the school is not going to acquire the site. We have Dan Banowitz here that is here to help shed some light on how that worked with the developer and whether or not they want to acquire the site for this particular project. And we also have uh, the applicant here that can speak on what are they trying to do or what are they doing to help the school district um, towards their goal of trying to build a school in this area. Um, to Jim's comment on can we cut out Leisure Town, uh, instead of uh, cutting out Leisure Town Road, can we just keep it uh, to allow going through? Uh, that particular comment was about this area right here on the map. This section of Leisure Town Road is intended to be cut right about this creek area right here, and then uh, would be stopped right here and it would turn into an emergency vehicle access. We will note that as part of the area plan two portion up here, and this best represents it. Uh, there is a through street that will be provided that goes and connects it to North Village Parkway. It, Instead of just going straight down, you'd go to North Village Parkway, uh, straight through here, it connects to Leisure Town Road, and then people would be able to go down to the south. The main reason why that area was cut out was because um, they didn't want to turn it into a major thoroughfare for traffic. They wanted to direct everything to North Village Parkway to keep that appearance along that portion of the project a rural appearance. And then the last question about any legal documentation about building a swim club. The only reference in the project itself is in the specific plan, which describes how one might go about building a swim club. The main legal documentation that obligates the developer to do certain things is found in the development agreement. In that development agreement, there isn't anything that says the developer shall build a swim club. It says certain things like the developer shall uh, dedicate the land for a park or dedicate the land for a school or shall build roadways and shall build frontage improvements along parks and schools. Um, but in this particular case, the development agreement doesn't say anything about the developer shall build a swim club. Uh, and I I leave it to city council on asking the uh, school district representative and the applicant to help shed some light on the negotiations about developing a school at that site. Thank you. Good. Dan, please. Robert. Oh. Uh, Robert, quick clarification, you said the road's gonna run through the school site? No. 
No, 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 it wouldn't cut through the school site. It, I just, as an effort to demonstrate Objected. that, yes, there is a connection that would provide between North Village Parkway and Leisure Town Road at that approximate location. It's not going to interrupt the school site. It's planned around the school site. Good evening again. Um, we have had discussions about um, acquiring that school site. Um, uh, there, are, there are a couple ways of doing that. Um, either the school district purchased the land. Um, the other option that we have, since we do have some land, um, is, a, is a land swap. Um, so we have the land that's over um, off McMurtry and Browns Valley Parkway um, that we could use as a swap. Um, however, we do have an election coming up and something on that election in, a, in two weeks. So we have, you know, we, the board's not going to make any decision in the next two weeks um, on acquiring this land right now because um, we need to find out um, the results of that election first because it has a big impact of building that school. So we're kind of waiting right now. Yeah, we, we've had our discussions. Um, we've had a lot of discussions um, on the site. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's the acreage that we need. But nothing um, in terms of enhanced fees or help to finance the school or develop or build or everything's anything been approved. The land. Everything's been approved. And, you know, kind of stuck. Okay, Thanks. thank you. Thank you. Um, just for clarification for tonight, we're just looking at the zoning changes from the previous general plan to how it's currently laid out right now, correct? We're not improving the, it'll come back before the development actually starts, like when you get the maps and the. Sorry, can, can you repeat the question? Oh, uh, tonight we're just looking at the tentative map for the zoning changes for for the development or is the actual project. Approved? You're looking at the entire package. You're looking okay. at the entitlements that change the general plan designation to lay out um, a new layout. So mm -hmm. on your left-hand side of the screen right here is the current general plan designation. This is a previously approved project from 1995. So the developer is updating the way that the land use designations are to be more in line with current practices and current standards that are uh, in the planning process. And so on the right-hand side of the screen is how that change would be looking on those those maps. Um, there is a companion map called the zoning map that identifies specific districts that would be synonymous with this uh, map. Um, but you also have various changes that are in the specific plan to account for all of these changes here. Um, so it, it is the entire package, the general plan amendment, zoning map amendment, specific plan amendment. Um, development agreement amendment that incorporates those new obligations for building a turnkey park. The developer is now going to be obligated to build that park at the city and it would be built earlier in the process and then also that vesting tentative map. Okay. Um, yeah, going with that with like most things we've been pressing here from the council is with the high density of the apartments, uh, where is that listed to be built in order? Because I think, because located right next to the only low density residential on the map now is that really needs to be built first. Otherwise you run into the low density, larger lot homes, homeowners being upset about apartment complex being built right next door to them. 
in, in this particular instance, you have one developer that owns all the property that controls how things are phased and how things are built. In other areas of the city, there were various other property owners that it was up to their market on when they'd want to decide and, and they could have that flexibility. So in this particular case, what's been communicated by the developer is that they would progress development from a southerly to a northerly method uh, in order to be able to build that infrastructure out and provide access to the roadways. And it would start with likely the residential load density on the, on the right and the left. And then as it moves farther up, then it would go to the residential high density site yeah. eventually going so, to the top. So there's no current standard, a condition of approval, or a specific plan that says the apartments have to be built the first thing. The applicants here that can, uh, that the applicants here to explain exactly whether or not that could work or what their uh, methods are for doing that. Yeah, so that, that's one of the issues because if you look at the previous one, if you're going like south and north, the high density would be one of the first pieces to be developed, whereas now you'd have to build out all the low density before you got to the high density. And then I just because it's one thing, I mean, previous development we dealt with was a master plan community and they decided to push the high density to build, be built very last. And we see where that ran into issues. Um, so I, I foresee a similar issue happen here. You build low density and then the high density that we're gonna run in very similar issues with that. And so one, one thing I'd like to see is make sure the high density is built first. I know that's a question for the developer. Um, another issue I have is what the gentleman brought up. Uh, most of the staff knows I'm very big on emergency preparedness and safety is I do think it's a mistake to get rid of Leisure Town. Uh, even if there is a road cutting across to the main arterial road, you're still feeding in entire residentials onto one single egress route. And that will be, I tell you, that will be an issue if there is a fire that gets in that area. It's not like if there is, because there's grass fires out there all the time. And if you're feeding everything onto one single ingress and egress road, there, there will be an issue with traffic and evacuation routes. And I can tell you that right now, because I've seen that Santa Rosa, Paradise, Redding, similar issues. And because I've been to all those places during the fires and that will be an issue. So I, I highly recommend that Leisure Town does need to be a big arterial, arterial road, but at least keep it the way it is. Uh, so there is another route, especially with the school being tucked away in the back of the residential area. Uh, there, you will need multiple egress routes for people to get out and emergency services to get in because it, it's very difficult to get them in, in and out in the same area. Um, those are my two big issues. Uh, other than that, I really do like the addition of the medium density and the increase of the high density. Uh, I think that's really good. I like the overall layout of the map much better than, than the previous ones. So with that, I'm, I'm grateful to the developer for making those changes because uh, I believe it is a much better map. Uh, if we can get those two issues addressed, I think it will be a, a good project. That's all I have. Thank you. Thanks, Silva. Yeah, did you want to? Yeah. Uh, Council member uh, Roberts, uh, thank you for your comments. And to address your uh, concerns on egress and traffic, um, as you point out that uh, cutting off Leisure Town Road is not what we're proposing. It is a condition approval uh, placed on the developer. Um, as you also point out, the North Village Parkway currently uh, ends 
uh, in uh, AP1, so it does not connect to Midway uh, Road. We're proposing, well, we have an obligation to continue North Ridge Parkway, which is a four-lane arterial, all the way to Midway Road on the north side and widen North uh, Midway Road at the same time. So North uh, Midway Road would be a four-lane road and same with North Village Parkway. Uh, I do agree that the, the, there may be a concern with cutting off Leisure Town Road, but we would not do that until North Village Parkway is connected. And even then, I would recommend that we monitor the traffic conditions before we cut off Leisure Town Road, because you're right, it, it, is, it is a big change to cut off a, what is it, currently a through street. Um, but a, a mitigation measure for that is that uh, it's cut off to the general public. It's, it will be open to emergency vehicles like fire trucks, uh, police. Uh, so will the road will, will remain emergency black road instead of uh, public? Exactly. Leisure Town Road will uh, stay a two-lane road as it exists today, uh, with the exception that um, once North Village Parkway is completed, um, it, you know, we, the, the condition approval requires us to cut off Leisure Town Road to general public traffic. That's correct. I, um, yes, sorry, Dan, I did have a couple follow-up questions. Uh, just so uh, I didn't I didn't see um, in the staff report, so I apologize. It was, it was a short staff report, too. Um, joke. 79 pages. But um, so in there, um, I, so I think I heard 12 acres, is, or was it? It's 11, right? So, and I think uh, in one of the attachments it said 10 as well. But um, okay, so 11 acres, but uh, where currently that area is zoned for Markham. So added mm -hmm. student, the students, the kids that would be at, going here, um, they would be within Markham Elementary, Jepson, and Vaca High, is that correct? Yes. Um, and what's the projected, you know, according to the algorithm that district uses, what's the projected? It's, it's 0.27, um, I can tell you, Right now, we, we did a study of, of the current North Village and where are those current kids. There's 481 students total that live in North Village. Um, 234 of them are elementary school. And okay. um, out of then they go to just you know basically all of our elementaries and our K-8. Um, 78 of those 234 currently go to Markham. Um, we have 56 go to Browns Valley. 16 to Cooper, 10 to Orchard, and it goes on and on. I can list them all. Okay. We have 86 um, that go to Sierra Vista, the middle school portion of Sierra Vista, 59 to Jepson, 15 to Vacapena, and then it's kind of spread out where 111 out of the 161 um, high school students go to Vacaville High School. So the rest are, you know, so they're basically their current situation is they're going everywhere right now. Um, so they are within that boundary, but they, attend schools all over town. How much and how many were projected for uh, the previous item? Uh, bring in. Uh, no, we said there's six, 678 at Cooper, 725 current capacity as is. Uh, how many students are projected for that site or for that development? I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, about. Because there's some age restricted in there and it's not, okay. not the same. Uh, and then how many students are warranted for elementary school? 
uh, ish. I know that I've tried to get this answer before, so. Oh, but, uh, you know, it, the number, you know, the, to open a full elementary school is, is 500. Um, but, least. you know, it can be, and we've discussed this before, it can be done in stages where you build the core facilities and a number of classrooms um, as well, as, because, you know, this is spread out. What, what's the build out? You know, they're asking for 2045, 20, right? So 20 years. So, you know, it's going to take quite a long time for the rest of these kids to show up, right? If that, the, with that build out schedule. So, you know, we've discussed building just core facilities and a number of classrooms, um, and then add on to that as time goes on. Um, there's a lot of options like that. Like a K3 system or something? Or it could be K3 or you just build, you know, instead of having, you know, three or four sixth grade classrooms, you have two. So you have kind of two of each grade and then you can add on as time goes on. The infrastructure's in the ground, but the buildings aren't there. Uh, okay, thank you. But that could be based on, you know, the cohorts and what we're seeing come out of the, right. the neighborhoods, right? Okay. All right, thank you, Dan, for adding that in. Um, oh, sorry, one last thing. Okay. There's a comment about buses. Yes. Uh, can you just please elaborate about that? Because as far as the city goes, um, you know, we got to do a lot of traffic. I, I'm very limited. I don't, I don't oversee okay. transportation. Sorry, um, so, you know, we, we, oh, we only transport um, special education. Yeah. And the but the cost to initiate buses would be, uh, if I recall, over three, three to four million. It's something like that, I don't know. Yeah. A year, okay, all right, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Um, uh, staff, what did, um, can you please elaborate on why Parks and Rec kicked back park? So that I'll go to the uh, exhibits that were presented to uh, Parks and Recreation. So this shows uh, two parks. One is the neighborhood park, six acres to the south with a variety of amenities and open fields. And our parks and recreation planners have been involved in this process and have had their hand working with the applicant's consultant to design all the amenities on the project site to comply with city standards. That's the goal, comply with city standards. On the northern portion, you have something a little unique that uh, was added as part of feedback that was received during the Corderas Park construction phase and planning for that was that there needed to be a dog park. And this is a project that can accommodate that amenity um, as being built by the developer. So this was what was presented. There was a lot of discussion that went back and forth. Uh, we had expert witnesses that were available to help clarify if there were any questions about whether or not things complied with these standards. But ultimately, there wasn't a specific design issue that said, if you do this, then it'll comply. If you do that, it'll comply. Or this particular design with this location of the tennis courts or the, the play structures, that information wasn't communicated back to staff. Um, it was ultimately, after public comments were received, that commission decided to recommend uh, to not uh, approve it. But we do have our park planner here. Uh, that can speak on whether or not this complies, uh, does comply with city standards as far as how many acres need to be provided based off of the total population within uh, area plan two, what kind of amenities we need to provide, uh, landscaping and, and different things like that. Okay, um, I'll just give my feedback on this. I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at different parts, um, you know, within our town, it's been 
you know, something I've, I'll just speak for myself, very, very passionate about as far as uh, how we create that, uh, you know, welcome environment, um, something that, you know, inspires creativity, something that's unique. Um, and uh, for me personally, I, I can, uh, well, I, I would like to see something more here. Uh, I really, I heard the comments as far as, you know, what they were looking at, uh, you know, as far as how much they're putting out. But, um, you know, Char Park, uh, grateful for the council's uh, support, putting two, two and a half million there. Um, and, you know, to have those type of amenity, amenities, I'm curious to see if the residents of that area um, would value that as well. Um, also understand is that I believe uh, council member Stockton actually had to purchase a, a backstop uh, from his district funds. Is that correct? Or is that what he chose to do for um, one of the parks in district one? Uh, yeah, so I think that's um, it's unfortunate um, personally, but um, especially for the cost of those. So I think uh, anyway, so that's, that's my comments on the park. I don't, um, is there any way for us to um, enhance this, the different amenities in here? Um, so I'll just, I'll just leave that question. You guys forever can answer that. Uh, the other side of it, just reading the staff report, um, there's some comments in there about uh, providing a temporary or tentative use for Solano Community College. Uh, my understanding that's already been built. Is that is that true? Yes, in the staff report, we cited that the original development agreement identified an obligation the developer had to build an interim facility until the college was built. And they did that. They provided that interim facility for rent-free for five years and then additional rent for, ten, for a total of 10 years. DA didn't say that they had to take a hike after that uh, was fulfilled. The school, uh, the Solano College is currently utilizing that building right now uh, for its purpose. So I guess about when I was reading it initially, uh, as in the attachments, I was thinking, oh, is this something that's still coming down the pipeline? And um, so it's I, fulfilled. Yeah, and it just may be me misunderstanding that. But the other areas, so, so to my understanding, the only thing that's really guaranteed all of this is this this design of this park as part as uh, part of the turnkey. But the other amenities, because um, for, for some reason, uh, I hear over and over from residents throughout is that they were told that they're going to get a school, they were told that they're going to get a park, they were told that um, they're going to get a pool. And uh, you know, I read in the staff report and having conversation with staff that that, you know, that wasn't necessarily anything that was under contract. So you know, for me, I think, when, I think it's easy to see when how we write up these, you know, it could be this or, or that, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, some people see that and they always think, we're, hey, we're gonna get it. And then uh, it's completely understandable to me where, uh, I think residents, um, you know, quite honestly, feel very uh, ripped off uh, when they invest, and in, and now they they have nothing to show for it, and they feel, you know, pretty much left out, and they're looking to us to figure out how do we would best advocate for them, um, as well as obviously you all, because uh, I know you guys put a lot of time uh, and effort into these every everything you guys bring to us. So, uh, so can you please elaborate on the concept of the the pool or some type of equivalent amenity? Um, I think, again, I read in the staff report, but just for public knowledge. Just seeking clarification on, on that. Are you, are you looking for whether or not this park could include additional amenities to increase the quality? Yes, because uh, so in the staff report, I read that they could, so part of the uh, apartment development, they could add a pool that <coughs> could be accessible or some type of gym. Uh, gym membership type of feature. Understood. So we will point out that there is a new condition of approval that 
uh, has been added and agreed upon by the developer. And it's condition number six, and it says that the developer shall explore the feasibility of allowing North Village residents to use the swim facilities at the apartment complex shown in planning area 29 in the specific plan and shall facilitate a discussion in, of this matter, including issues such as time of use, number of users, fees, access, insurance between the op apartment operator and the area plan to homeowner association. So that is what's currently on the table as, as provided by the developer. When it comes to what does the code say, what does our general plan say needs to be provided for this project? Uh, swim club is not something that says you shall provide it. Uh, what we look at are for amenities or we look at public open space, we look at parks. And based off of the population density that's expected for this area, they're providing the park size that's necessary. And that also works with the amount of funds that would be collected for routine maintenance. Anything larger would potentially produce a gap where we wouldn't have enough funds for the continual maintenance of that. I will note that the portion that the developer is receiving credit on is for the neighborhood park. The dog park portion that's on the top, they are building that entirely out of their own pocket. When it comes to the design of this particular park and whether or not um, there's more standards than normal, it meets city standards, or if anything more could be added, I would defer to our park planner, Nemo Gonzalez, who's here that can elaborate more about what those standards look like. Is this sufficient? Is this good? Um, or is this above and beyond? Is it okay staff to have a comment on that? Or? Good evening, council members. Uh, I think the presentation was accurate uh, in that we've been working with the developer and their design consultant to sort of come up with a scheme that is compliant with the uh, requirements of the Park and Rec Master Plan. So in that, we've got certain guidance in terms of the amenities and the programming that uh, is allowed for the parks. Everything that is listed in the primary uh, sort of guidance of a neighborhood park has been accounted for here. Um, there wasn't any explicit request from the commission to add any components. They did uh, have a robust uh, conversation about particular amenities. All the questions were answered, but nothing was necessarily, uh, there wasn't sort of a, a resolution of, you, we need to come back with more Correct. information, but rather I think that they were persuaded by some of the commentary from the, from the public that night. And so the two things that I, I took away from uh, that particular presentation were that they wanted information in regards to the private swim club, which is being discussed. And the other thing was uh, uh, there was discussion about not presenting the previous plan that had been approved in 1995. So those were my two takeaways from the commission meeting. Okay. So will the high density apartment site have a pool? I would defer to the developer to answer that, but yes. Uh, is that in a, a turnkey agreement of some sort? Well, the, the design of an apartment project is based off of market demands and, and what's necessary for the developer to provide to meet the needs for that. There are, our code specifically says you have to provide a list of amenities in order to be able to uh, meet the needs of these residents swimming pools and clubhouses are on that list of things that to be provided. So 
what we have found through various apartment projects elsewhere in the city, they provide swim clubs or they provide swimming pools with clubhouses along there. You've got examples like uh, Casa de Vista uh, over on off, off of Allison. You've got um, uh, the other apartment project that's over off of Ulatis. Both of those have clubhouses and, and swim clubs. So that is part of the design of apartment projects. Thank you. Thank you, I was going to hand off to next. I'm ready for a motion. Okay. Just a minute. While ago, when Mr. Banowitz was talking, you were talking about at the build out or the build out's going to be taking this long. But then the figures that you talked about is right now, the school is not meeting the neighborhood because people are going all over to elementary schools. I have one area of my district that is in the back in the Vacaville School District too, the part over on the east side of Leisure Town. And when I've talked to those people, they're really frustrated because there's not a feeling of community when all the kids are going to different schools. And some of them are like, I think either in Cooper or uh, Callison, but then some are in Travis and some are in private schools. So I feel like not having a community school does really affect the neighborhood. So I don't think we can just say at the build out, what's it gonna be? Because right now there's a current problem with that neighborhood and not providing busing and having to take your kids all across town. You know, it's crazy. And I know from schools, a lot of time, there might be room in third grade, but not in fifth grade. And if you have a third grader and a fifth grader, then you're really out of luck because you know you might be in multiple schools. So that's my thing on schools. Um, the other thing, again, with apartments, you did answer the question about the road a while ago, but you didn't answer the question that was raised earlier about the apartments and whether or not there would be a move to build the apartments earlier because you were saying, build south up, so it looked like they would be built after the low density. So that was my second question, if you could address that. I would be glad to, uh, Council, uh, Council Member Wiley. Uh, regarding the apartment, the timing of the apartment, we would build the apartment uh, uh, just from south to north. So yes, uh, I think some of the residential uh, low density will be built. But this is no different than what we did in AP1. AP1, we have an apartment complex that's already built. It was built at uh, the midpoint of the project, um, right, right there. So um, you, know, you can see that right now we're at Unit 7. We're, uh, Albert, can you point out Unit 7, which is uh, further up north? And then uh, we, now we start building Unit 1, which is all the way down to the south end, and start moving up north. So in area plan one, we follow the same process of building the apartment roughly about uh, a midpoint of the project. We anticipate that will be uh, the case in AP2 as well. As far as the features of the apartment uh, complex, AP1 apartment complex, the amenities includes a clubhouse, a swimming pool, uh, a, a fitness center, a movie theater, um, those are all the amenities that we offer in AP1. We expect the same level level of amenities amenities in AP2. Plus, we're going to have to go through a design review process when we go uh, uh, when we uh, do the apartment. Um, so we'll be going through this process, you know, a design review process for the city on the apartment complex in AP2. Um, I, I do want to jump back on the school issue. Uh, there was a, a comment from the public about the concern that we're showing requesting a, additional 100 units. In, the, in case that VUSD does not acquire the school site, implying that VUSD will not acquire a school site. That's not the case at all. Um, it's, it's a quirk in our agreement with VUSD. We're obligated 
to lot that 12 acre, 12, actually it's 12.5 acres gross, we're, we're, we have an obligation under our school agreement with USD to show lotting on that in case they don't acquire it. So we're, we're fulfilling our obligation under our USD school agreement. We hope they acquire the school site. We want them to acquire a school site and we're working with them to, to do a land exchange so we don't have to go through the appraisal process and you know, VOC doesn't have to expend cash to purchase a school site. They have surplus school site of the same size or even larger so that you know, we would happily do an exchange. Um, so that's regarding the possibility of whether VOC is gonna acquire a school site or not. Uh, I also would point out that in October 2021, the USD board took action to make the v, uh, North Village school site a, one of its top three priority projects. So the North Village school site is a uh, uh, the, the priority priority project site uh, in the north part of town. Elmira school site is a priority project in the south part of town, and the third project is, is not a school site; it's some other project that the USD has. And just last week, the USD. Uh, board voted to approve a 25% increase in their school impact fee. So they did a school impact fee analysis that approved the study and they increased the fees. So those are all good news, you know, pointing out that it's, you know, there's no guarantee, it's still up to VUSD whether this, the school board to build the school or not, but they, they're taking steps toward that. Thank you. My third comment was just about like last time we talked about housing developments and we were talking quite a bit about uh, additional accessory dwelling units. And so it just seems like that since a lot of these lots have been shrunk, that that really won't come into being in most of this uh, area too. No one will have AD, ADUs in their backyard probably. We are, uh, I spoke to Aaron uh, about this already. We do have, there's a condition approval uh, for us to explore that and we, we, we fully intend to uh, explore that possibility. We have built ADUs uh, within the footprint of an existing house. We call it a, basically a junior ADU. It's you know, a studio or one bedroom, uh, typically under 500 square feet. So we have done that and uh, we still have uh, an opportunity to do that because although we're shifting from residential low density, you know, the, the, the smaller, the bigger homes and the bigger lots, we still have, uh, uh, you know, 23% of the uh, uh, units are still gonna be residential low density, meaning that, you know. They might the, be able to accommodate it. Yes. Okay. All right, thanks. Okay. Oh, yeah, there we go. So my, my first, I don't have questions for you, you're good. Okay. Um, my first question is, is probably for staff and then I'd like to make a motion, I think. Um, so the question is, and so we had uh, a woman who spoke so eloquently earlier with her, her child and had to leave. Um, and, and again, I totally feel her pain. And we've heard this story, I've heard this story 100 times, 200 times now. We have uh, someone who made the biggest financial investment of their entire lives and bought a property, maybe a new home in your development or a home in Southtown or, or wherever else. And they go into the developer's office and they say, hey, you're gonna have a school here and you're gonna have a park and it's gonna be great and all this amazing stuff. Just like you just told us, you just told us the school's gonna be there and it's great and we're swapping and I, and I appreciate that. The way you paint that picture sounds amazing and beautiful, but we just heard from Dan who's saying, they have no money to build a school, they're probably not gonna build a school unless we pass this bond, there's a hail mail, there's not gonna be a school. So my concern, and this isn't, I'm not, I don't mean this in a negative or critical way, 
We continue to have families saying they go to the developer's office, they're told they're gonna have a school for little Johnny, they're gonna have a park down the street for little Johnny, they're gonna have a swim club for little Sally. And what happens is they invest in this property thinking they're gonna have these items and lo and behold, 10, 15, 20 years later, they either don't have them or they don't have them for 15 or 20 years. And so we've talked at this dais time and time again about a home buyer's bill of rights or a way to educate buyers on this process because the developer's office is not honest. And I'm not saying they're lying, but they're omitting kind of the key facts and truths for folks. So we've talked about noticing, we've talked about signage, we've talked about a mandatory disclaimer they have to use in the sales office. Like we need to make some headway there. Cause again, we, uh, another bill of goods and this poor kid is gonna have to get shipped across town because they didn't properly know that the schools were impacted and they're not building new schools. And as you build all of these homes, all of these folks that are gonna buy them are gonna see this big shiny plan that has a school and a park. And they're not gonna know it's a 20 year plan. You don't have to build that park for the first 10 years. So they're gonna move in with Johnny at two. And by the time the park's built, Johnny's 14, doesn't wanna play in the park anymore. So the first thing as a city we need to do is properly notice home buyers. And we have to hold developers like yourself accountable to noticing people properly. And I don't mean that you're doing anything wrong or, or irrelevant, but when you're selling homes, you're not telling people the full truth. And then what happens is we have people for 15, 20, 30 years coming in here saying, city, why didn't you, why did you let this happen? And so this is gonna happen again, it's gonna happen again until we solve this disclosure issue, until we properly notice people, um, what's gonna happen in their development? They deserve to have a good quality school in a park. So anyways, that's my soapbox. I'm gonna get off that soapbox. We've talked about a disclosure or a process or a waiver or something that developers offices have to give out. I don't know if you're still working on something or not. Council sort of directed that. But it's frustrating because even today we're hearing about all these things. People were told in 1991 they were gonna have a swim club, a park, and a school. They're not getting the swim club. They might get a school someday. And the park is, is still a what if. And so I understand it takes time, but the average Joe and Jill backable citizen doesn't understand that and it's not fair. So we need to fix that first and foremost. So my second, I, I think I'm just gonna dive into a motion because we're gonna be here late tonight. We've got a lot of other items. So I'm not exactly sure what is on the city side, what's on the developer side. What I would like to see is, for the most part, staff's recommendation, um, I wanna keep the pool in the swim club. I don't wanna pull it out. I'm not willing to change it if the, the pool in the swim club goes. That stays as is, that was promises kept, but you promised 20 years ago, it's gotta stay in my opinion. I'd like to see the entire development purple plumbed. So I'd like to see it plumbed for purple pipe so that when and if we actually have that ability that is in there in some way, shape or form. I don't wanna see the removal of Leisure Town. I think that's a bad idea, I think for, Disaster purposes, I've driven that road a million times for 40 years, Leisure Town stays. I don't think we need to pull it. It sounds like you don't wanna pull it anyways. I think Leisure Town stays. 20 years is a long time. I was thinking about saying to knock into 15 years, but I'll go with 20, cause I know we're throwing some other stuff at you. And the apartments absolutely have to happen first. We've talked about this 25 times. We just got screamed at for five hours about Southtown. It's absolutely insane that we wouldn't make that, that part of this priority here. So apartments first is a, is a key part of the deal. That is, those are the additions I'd like to make to make my motion tonight. And that is, that is my motion. So as staff presented with those key items is what I'd like to push forward if that's possible. Do I have a second? Second. So before you call a, a vote, if I could, I think it'd be worthwhile to have a little bit of a conversation about some of those items and what realistically can be done and can't okay. be done, okay? Um, with regards to prioritizing the senior, or the, excuse me, the apartments first, um, typically the single family homes go first because they're, when you start a subdivision, that requires that so much uh, upfront infrastructure cost. Apartments can't bear that cost. That's why you generally see the single family homes being built first so that they can put some money back into the, the plan to build all those uh, infrastructure costs, to build the parks, 
and those types of things. Now, to your point about noticing, um, we're absolutely heard you loud and clear about that. We're starting a, an effort now that wherever there is a piece of property that is zoned for multifamily, we're putting up signage on there to say, okay, people, be aware this is zoned for a future apartment project. Okay, so there will be no excuse that people that if they build around it, they will not um, be aware that there is a future multifamily site there. Okay, mandating that that happen first is very difficult to enforce. Now, you can certainly try that, but I have not seen in my years of, of doing that unless it's mutually agreed upon. And typically there is um, a, a share in that prospect. Um, so that's part one. With regards to uh, keeping Leisure Town, I think it would be appropriate to hear from uh, a public works department and, and fire department about that because there are some um, particulars in the general plan about that regard as well. And so just throwing out that policy because of, of the concerns that we heard tonight, I think it's important to give an opportunity to hear why it was proposed that way in the general plan. If I could just suggest that, okay? Um, so before you take that vote, I'd like the opportunity to, to have staff address that particular piece, and then I'd share with you what I did about the apartment. Well, I mean, so uh, I guess I, but I got one thing left, so I can cover it. Um, so I, I disagree. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I don't want to change my motion. So. Oh, oh, excuse me. The other one is in terms of you want the, the comment was made about um, you want what was originally approved with regards to the swim club. Again, as staff pointed out, what was approved was a concept in the specific plan. It was not mandated in any other capacity. But it was sold to thousands of residents. I understand so that's, that. That's I, I understand it. Right. I'm not discounting that well, at it's all. Not our, it's not our problem to make it right, though. That's my point. Well, but just to be clear. Your motion is to mandate what was previously approved. The swim club, while it was um, sold, however it was, um, it is not mandated sure. by any of our agreements. So in effect, it could be argued that that is a new requirement if you are in fact mandating it in the development agreement. I think that is a sticking point that I'm, I'm willing to make. So I, on the second slide that showed the I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be combative with the developer. I'm trying to maybe have staff meet with the developer and kind of meet head to head, but that's, those are my conditions. That, that's what I'm putting in my motion today and staff and the developer can figure out how to make it work or, or not. And then we go from there. And I won't be here by then, so then you could do something else. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh or rude, but I just, at, at what point do we make these changes, right? We just had this Southtown discussion where we got chewed out for hours and it's still happening because of the apartments being built and bad noticing practices. We've heard time and time again about developers promising X, Y, or Z and pulling it out. That's a swim club to a T. Leisure Town, again, I've driven that road 5,000 times. It makes no sense to pull it out. If there's a catastrophic fire out there, like, and you're saying public safety and all this stuff, I just don't buy it. I don't believe it. I, it's a vehicle miles traveled thing. We're trying to direct all the traffic into town. I get it, but it just doesn't make sense from a safety vantage point for me. So I, I'm not trying to argue. I'm not trying to be uh, obtuse. I, those are, that's, my motion stands as it is. And if council wants to change it or make amendments, that's fine, but I, I stick with my original motion. My quick comment. Um, you know, when it comes to development, you know, it's the process is not easy, and you know, to you follow the, the flight path of where we're trying to say start building, 
my sister lives out there too. And I, I have no interest in property, so I'm talking about it. But you know, as as it goes and, and develops and builds, it wouldn't pencil out just to throw the back back 200 acres of that property a farm complex. You have to have our goals and desires have to be rational. So just to build a road to a park complex to say we did it first, it wouldn't work. I mean, it, it's there's um, there's millions of facts, and so like we we want it, that would, we know we want that. So we got to find a way. Like in real estate, there's like TDSs, transfers of estate. We can build a statement that every time someone comes into the sales center, they have to acknowledge certain things in a chronological order before they can proceed forward. And I pass by the apartment complex that Casino built. It's beautiful. It's right by my past my sister's house every single weekend. Um, it can be something where it is a requirement. Say, hey, we have a living model of what could and what could be in this neighborhood. If you please preview our apartment complex in the vicinity of this stage one of the development, we can advise people that there will be apartment complex. It will be here. So therefore, if they do choose to buy, they will know at some kind of benchmark point they will start the project for the apartment complex that will resemble the existing structure that they can tangibly see. I know exactly what I was getting into. I passed by it for four or five years prior to a statement put in the ground for the new apartment complex. But we didn't have this. We yeah, had well, a sign there for four years. Let's have this happen. I just don't trust that's going to happen. Well, Southtown is different. Southtown didn't have a apartment complex. It didn't have a complex that you can compare it to. It has had a sign. And so it wasn't clear if it was townhomes for lease, townhomes for sale. So that's one of the things we talked about in great detail. We need to make sure that developers really specify this is a a row house, townhouse, brownstone, a attached wall, detached wall, home for sale or for lease. That would that clear, definitive kind of explanation would really alleviate a lot of the problems. Like oh, I, I didn't realize. Can be townhomes for sale. I thought it'd be for lease, or vice versa. If we really make it very clear that the developers can make it blatantly obvious that this will be a attached home in a high density neighborhood for lease, then the residents have to understand that. I, mean, I, I think we we can't go down the road with thinking that they build this project from nowhere. I think we need to really, really, really find a way to express through disclosures that this will come. And you cannot physically close escrow until you acknowledge you are buying a house and a development within one to 12 years will be a apartment complex or possibility of a school, not a school. I think. I, I agree. Yeah, I think, that's the reason we can't do that. Because if we could do that, I'd be satisfied. I think that would be enough for me. Honestly. You can't make disclosures that make it if in scenarios. Like, right. They cannot close until they acknowledge that there will be a power complex. And there will or will not be a school within the next decade. Can That's, we guarantee new signage in every prospective homebuyer gets a notice saying exactly that? I'm not going to go there right now. Okay. And so what I would suggest is, is that because you have a motion in a second, but in listening to legal counsel, there are quite a few, as, as I was trying to elaborate, there's quite a few nuances here with your motion. And so if the council is agreeable to it, um, I think it would be appropriate for us to continue this item and allow staff to come back and share how some of those nuances fit with the the um, requested entitlements okay. tonight okay i'm okay with that i'd like to add 
Um, I understand that we're meeting the standards of a parks and rec plan uh, in that discussion, like to see a, a park that's built. So, well, I'll so have my word built. Un understood, but, but just built. keep in mind that there is a normal uh, park review process. This is looking at the, the big picture of the park, and as Nemo pointed out, that there's a, a, a basically a template, if you will. And so then this park will likely go through its normal process through the Parks and Recreation, uh, Parks and Recreation Commission uh, to um, achieve final design and approval. Um, the other thing I'd like to explore, um, rather than, sorry, thanks, uh, rather than um, uh, inclusionary zoning. So if we're, if we're talking about putting in uh, an apartment, high density apartment first, uh, what would it look like if we were looking at inclusion, inclusionary zoning throughout the area? The so uh, we can certainly um, have that discussion. We can bring, come back and, and, and share that with you. I would just you know share with you right now that presently the city does not have an inclusionary um, housing have to program. Have well, with a development agreement, you can certainly ask for it if it's mutually agreed upon. But right, right. now, we don't have a citywide ordinance that we can just automatically invoke on the project. I'd like to hear the, the thoughts on that. Maybe. Absolutely. So, so it sounds like canceling the money motion, and we're going to table to have staff back. Yes. And work with the developer maybe a meeting. But, but based on this, please, um, developers, based on the, the kind of the, the questions they other council members have, have brought about, can you please make a financial model of what it would cost to skip over everything and go straight to the high density apartment? What would that additional cost be to build that first and change your flow? Because obviously, if you go through the process of building that first, that cost is gonna be now placed on the, on the individual people that are gonna have to design that apartment to, to make up the cost, correct? So please build that model. If we choose to develop apartment up front, it's gonna add a adverse cost to the development of XYZ. And that cost has to be recovered in higher rents for X amount of time. I, mean, I, I don't want to sit here and say, hey, we did the right thing. We built a high density apartment first, but it costs about $17 million more to do that first leapfrog the development because it costs through the project. And now the rents could have been $1,900 a month, but they're $3,200 a month now because we wanted to have that first. So we're going to be the whole purpose of having um, affordable rent or rational, where, where affordable is our, in our community. But if that cost is now going to be increased rents because we chose to do it first, we're doing detriment to our community. So I don't know if Albert wants to talk about it. Yeah. Everybody tonight. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to address the council members. Um, Albert Sino with Discovery Sino Homes. Just to answer a few of the questions, um, I, I'm listening all night. And so, you know, with, maybe we can pull up the map if you wouldn't mind, Albert. I appreciate it. You know, with the road being built, it's about a quarter mile from where unit seven ends to where the, the first portion of, uh, the residential, the low density residential on the right hand side, and then the apartments on the right hand side on the map on the right. You can see the, the dark brown area, residential high. You can see the yellow area, residential low. You can see down on the bottom uh, left hand side, that's where we're building now. So a quarter to a third of a mile 
I know the map is when you look at the, the scale, it's, it's, you know, almost three quarters of a mile to Midway Road. So, you know, that, that road is gonna be very expensive. We've been, we've been building it incrementally from down at the bottom of Vaca Valley Parkway all the way at the bottom by the freeway. So we usually, you know, apartments in, in these times, rates are high. Usually you get permanent financing. I won't get into it all, but apartments are expensive at the moment, even though they get built. Usually wait till rates are low. Those are usually funded 100% by the developer. Um, then you get permanent financing, unlike a mortgage where we build, find a home buyer, home buyer gets their mortgage, pay the developer, close escrow. And so, you know, there is a market for the residential, you know, apartments, but I mean, an apartment complex like that would be probably in, in today's world, probably an $80 million project. You know, they're, they're $350,000, $400,000 to build. Um, and, uh, you know, there's probably 300 units there, so you can, you can figure that out. And I mean, those numbers get pretty astronomical. Um, with that said, I mean, you know, the second we get up into the, into the, uh, the first part of the yellow on the right, I mean, we're going to be building the road up to a certain point, probably halfway or three quarters of the way through that yellow area where the, uh, where the icon is. And then we go and we incrementally go through to give different product types, very similar to the bottom area where when we started in unit one, um, there was an aerial map there, Albert, you know, there was, uh, I think Spanos built the project, the apartment complex down on the right hand side there. When we were building the first unit one and unit two, they built the apartment project on the right, down on the right hand corner there by the RV uh, sales uh, company. I forget what, it, what it's called there. Um, yes, right there. And we were building right to the left hand side there. That was all unit one, kind of went up and kind of dog leg to the left there. And so they built that. Then we built units two, three, four, and five. And then we came in and we built the San Marco or the uh, North Village Villas there. Then we, then we skipped over and we jumped over through, through the mitigation area and we built units 6A and 6B. And then we went up to the north, unit A, B, and C of unit seven. And so that's taken, I've built every home here. I started on this project in 1998. I did the mitigation, not me personally, but with all the uh, consultants and whatnot. And so, you know, I was here when the first map was approved right in this council and been here along the way. Um, and so it's just gonna take some time. I mean, you know, 95, here we are in 2022, going into 23. If you can just give me a little time, but we've worked out the parks, we've worked with the school. I know, I know the school thing is tough. You know, we had the school at one time, you know, it was in unit, uh, unit five there, and just a little corner of it was clipped with the, uh, with the flight path that contaminated that whole parcel, not contaminated literally, but contaminated because the flight path was over the top of the, of the, of the property that the school wanted. We went through that whole, you know, issue, and finally, you know, they wanted to go into AP2. Um, we're paying, I, I know, just like the previous developer that was here, we're paying the school fees, but we have a land agreement worked out. Um, and, you know, I believe that we're all gonna make right on that. Um, and uh, as it goes for the parks, I mean, we're, 
we're, we're, we're doing the parks, we're doing it up front with the, uh, with the park and the dog park. Um, you know, as it goes for pools and things like that, I know those are, those are great amenities. Um, you know, we, we worked out that condition number six that I thought would be good when we build the apartments, they can use the pools and uh, use the community center, the workout, uh, workout facility, et cetera. And then, you know, on top of that, you know, we talked about disclosures. We've been giving disclosures, not just one, not just two. I think we have a half a dozen of them. I, mean, I think I even say there's going to be up to three or 4,000 units in this area over, you know, saying that there's going to be more than what there's planned for this just because we don't want the home buyers coming back to us. They sign, I know, you know, salespeople can say what they want, but we try to do the best we can in training them to not, to, uh, to, uh, not over, uh, oversell. And, uh, but we do, we do ask the homeowners to, to sign the CCNRs, all the disclosures regarding schools, you know, when the schools, you know, when, may, possibly will be built, um, could be years, years from now, it's due to funding, same with some of the parks, even though now we know when the parks are gonna be built at certain occupancy. And so I, I'm just being very honest with you. I mean, you know, we, we, we do the best we can. Um, you know, I, I know it's, <laughs> there are more houses and that's what we do for a living. And I know it makes some people upset, you know, and or you make some people happy, you're gonna make some people upset and vice versa. And so we just hope that you know, hopefully that answers some of your questions tonight and I can answer any others, you know, as for the roads, you know, the roads are gonna be built incrementally up to, uh, up to Midway, Leisure Town's gonna be built, you know, it gets improved, there's a sound wall, you know, so we don't bother the, the rural areas to the, uh, to the east of us, you know, will those be, you know, will those be utilized, you know, uh, with high traffic? You know, right now, I mean, obviously they're seeing more traffic than they did 20 years ago, but you know, for the most part, they are still somewhat rural and uh, you know, North Village Parkway takes, takes the, uh, the most of the, uh, the traffic or you get on 505 and you get off on Midway and you can make yourself, um, make your way around. And so, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to get some action on this tonight if, there, if there's a possibility of doing that been working on this for, I mean, I'll be honest, I've been working on this for over 10 years, you know, through all the different iterations and, you know, this takes a lot of time and there is a development agreement and it allows for it. We're under the unit cap, you know, um, and so that's where we're at, but I'm, I'm here to answer any questions, you know, I'll give it to you straight, straight as I possibly can. Sean can say a few words. Hi, uh, Honorable Council. Uh, Sean Marciniak, I'm legal counsel for Discovery Builders. Um, a, a few things. I just want you to be proud of your staff because we have been, you know, negotiating for, for a long time about conditions and they have done a really good job. I mean, there's been many times when we've left a meeting and, um, you know, been frustrated, but that hats off to them. I mean. We've been working on conditions, and so the the addition of these last conditions tonight um, sort of blindsided us. And 
you know, we, I know that there's a lot of things that, that we want and we have these impulses, but I'll say that each of those conditions uh, doesn't match up with the Constitution. There are no impacts that the project has that those conditions would legally speak to. And so we ask that you withdraw those conditions and, um, and make a decision tonight. You know, I'd also just like to say this, we're, we're in a housing crisis. And, you know, so far we've seen one development be continued. To see two developments continued, I mean, we appreciate there's a lot of problems, right? People need places to go to school. They need easy access to school, but people need homes. And to, to push this out for, you know, I don't know when we would come back for another hearing. It could be a month, it could be two months. I don't know what the schedule is. We're getting into elections. We're getting into holidays. You know, we need this development now. The city needs this. And I just hate, would hate to see this um, kicked, delayed, you know, for months. Because, you know, that affects people. That affects people that, that need a place to live more immediately. One last thing. Um, this is not a new project, right? There is an existing development. And the developer has rights to proceed with that. And we have filed an SB 330 application. That's not ideal. I don't think anybody, everybody I think would prefer this revised development. It's more middle housing. Um, but the developer might be forced to go forward with the SB 330 application, which would implement the old plan. And because it's SB 330, um, it takes away discretion of the city to deny the project. They can only do so if there's a violation well, of objective no standards. Why. So if you're telling us we have no choice, then why? Maybe that's what you're threatening us. That's SB 330, so. Well. So what does it matter? It, it's not meant as a, as a threat, it's just, it's, it's what the state has done to, to push through housing projects. I mean, so it's, you it. You have to apply. What's that? You just said that you have to apply to the state. That's true. That's true. It's for housing. I mean, it's, it's not ideal. Well, not only it's messy. The high density, the high density. Uh, no. Yeah. We got to stay 330 better. Yeah. The way the SB 330 works, if we deny mm -hmm. the project, they can go ahead and do whatever they want. They don't even have to even build a park. Mr. Chairman, if I, if I could, yeah. we're, we're getting off track a little bit here. So, um, However you'd like to proceed, you have a motion and a second. I suggest that because, and I appreciate the, the applicant's uh, request before you because they have been working on this a long time. I will simply say that the motion that you put here tonight, um, I'm not certain how to in, put that into practice uh, right now with the motions that you have in front of you. To do, for example, the pool requirement, that needs, if you want it to be real, that needs to go into the development agreement. You know, you just don't simply write a condition that says, put this in there. Um, so I, I defer to what you guys wanna do. Um, getting into the SB 330, that was not on the table now. And if you want to explore that, we'll have to come back and talk to you about that and the ramifications of that. But um, we put our recommendation before you. I think there's some challenges with the motion, um, which is why I suggested what I did. If they would like you to move forward, it's your prerogative and what you'd like to do. Like staff to work with the developer um, on existing proposal, but include 
uh, a discussion and some sort of solution to the pool issue, um, something. It, and it's not the apartment complex pool. It's some sort of something that is true to what the folks that were out there were promised in some way, shape or form. I'd like you guys to at least go to the drawing board. I, I, you're a good guy and I know that you wanna make this thing work as well. It, it's This isn't personal and it probably feels personal. This is about Vacaville doing this for 30 years and me getting a thousand calls while I've been in office for the last four years. It's gotta stop and change at some point in time. So I hope you don't feel like this is personal. Understood. So I'd like some sort of discussion on the pool piece, not the apartment pool. That they were promised a swim club for their kids and that's what they thought they were buying when they bought the house. I'd like to see a purple plums. I don't know if that's a huge deal that might already be included in the, in the plan or not. It, we are dying on water here and we've got a great purple outlet. Someday we'll have purple pipe, hopefully to the business district just up the freeway. We could run it in your complex and irrigate everything. It's good for the planet. It's, you know, once you're, you're building, I'd like to see that put into the plan. Understood. The Leisure Town Road piece, it doesn't make sense to me. I didn't mean to be as disrespectful or fired up earlier. It just doesn't make sense. I don't need to hear from someone telling me it's safe or it's not safe. I, I, I know the road already and I, I'd like to leave it. So I know that might be a misstep, and the, but, the, but I don't want to do that. The apartment's first piece, I, I mean, I guess I could be swayed if there was a really solid noticing practice. I mean, size six font on a sign that people can't understand with legalese, it says possible high density something. That doesn't tell people what it is. So maybe we can work with staff on, on pictures and diagrams and the school district's website and Dan's phone number, like really noticing people properly so they know what they're buying. Because as much as you say that the, the developer's office, you, you train them and my wife and I, we go in there and pop in and shop all the time. They never tell us any of that. Oh yeah, your school's right there, your park. Understood. And granted, you could train and, and talk and have all the regulations you want, but they want to make that sale at the end of the day. And they're going to sell someone a load of a, a dream. And then by the time their kid can actually experience that dream, it's too late. They're already moved out of the house. So I could probably be swayed on the apartments piece, but we need a really solid noticing plan where every home buyer that's buying a home in that complex knows exactly what's going down. And again, like this isn't just because I'm being mean or crazy. We just had 50 people come yell at us in Southtown about this exact same issue. None of them knew about the apartments. They're pissed now. It's their livelihood. They're up in arms. They're, you know, and so it, I'd like to have you work with staff on those four items. If you can come back with something with some headway on those, I'd be happy to move forward. But I think that's the right thing to do. And at some point in time, we have to put our foot down. I apologize. It's on you guys. But this has been happening too long. And it's just the same complaint we get from new home buyers over and over and over again in Vacaville. Yes, there is a housing crisis, but I want homes and community. I don't want housing tracks. We, we need we need the full package. And that includes schools, parks, amenities, things people have been promised, and, and we gotta quit breaking promises. So I appreciate what you're saying, but that's not what we're giving folks, and that's what I'm angling for. So that's my really long convoluted plan or motion or whatever. I'm, I motion that we have you work with the developer on those four key points in the plan and hopefully bring something back. It would be ideal if that's a possibility. Would, so if I can, point. if yeah. I can just ask, would that um, include continuing this item to a date certain? I don't sure. Know if it'd be November yeah, fifteenth. Whatever staff can commit to, I'm, I'm okay with that. I know you want to get it done sooner than later, but yeah. I don't. Huh? I was confused. It sounded like we full circle back to just the initial plan with the with developer working with staff identifying closure and the possibility of putting a pool into the remake. Inclusion of the swim club, some sort of swim club option that's not the apartment pool. Purple pipe in there as well. And then uh, the removal of the Leisure Town piece is pulled out. And then there's a really thorough convincing noticing practice with disclosures and signage that really convinces us that folks will know what they're buying when they get into it is what I'm asking for in adjusting the plan. So if we approve, do we, do they be approved or do they? Oh, so you're not asking that 
information on that? No, I'm asking them to, to bring bring back options or whatever they come up with, uh, the, the next best pass at it. Feedback on those items. Well, no, I want, that I want a, a draft plan that includes their best shot at creating those options is what I'm asking for, if that makes sense. So I'm a little confused. Um, earlier they addressed Leisure Town will not be officially closed. It'll be left open for the public, for, for, for fire, for fire use, and so emergency. Yeah, that's not so what Leisure I'm... Leisure Town will be closed. If they address the disclosure issue, they can work with, like, CAR, California Social Realtors, and do, like, one-page disclosure. Um, those are items that... So the four items we're wanting, and some way if we can work with the pool, we don't want a guaranteed pool. What? Aaron's saying that there's nothing so specific that details what the pool is. We can approve it as is with the recommendations for working staff. Well, I don't think we can today. So, so if I can jump in to, to try to help, and, and I'm a pre, I respect your desire to have action tonight. Um, as it's looking right now, I don't know that you're going to get that um, without modifying it to the point where I don't know what it looks like and how we get there. So what I, I hear from the motion now is, is that, and I'm clear on what you're looking for, we can go back and we can talk to the developer. I can't make any promises that I'm gonna be able to bring back exactly everything that you look for, but we'll go have the dialogue and then we'll come back and tell you. Keep in mind, they have an approved project right now. And, and, and so, um, we, we can go back and have these conversations, but the development agreement process is there to provide the city certainty and the developer certainty. And it can be amended, but the, the language says by mutual consent, okay? And so that's the part that we have to talk about yeah, and, and, and come back and, and, give, and give you an update. Right. And, and I, I don't know, I can't predict the outcome. Okay, as it stands right now. Well, I think we have to correct the record. That's what, that's what I'm asking. If it comes back, they didn't agree to this, you didn't agree to that, we can't do this, then the council can vote however they want to vote. But that's what I'm asking is for you guys to go try and hopefully that all comes back. If, if I'm here, I want to see those four items. Luckily, I probably won't be here and the council can decide to do what they want to do. Well, I think I heard our community development director uh, go ahead and confirm when you think you can get it. We there. would recommend if you would like to continue the item that we plan it for December 13th so that this council will be the ones reviewing it. Jason Yeah, I just had a quick comment. I know we're in the middle of a motion, but like I said earlier, like I really do like the changes that you guys made to the plan from the previous one. I think you guys did a lot of work addressing the missing middle and the high, high density housing. Um, the reason why I was looking for the high density first because the issues we ran into at South Sound, I think you guys are well aware of that because you guys pay attention to other developments that are happening. Um, yeah, I do have concerns about Leisure Town, but that's not necessarily you guys. That's a city piece of it. Um, just because, yeah, I have been through a lot of fires in, all over the state and in other uh, states as well. Um, but, yeah, overall it's good. Uh, the swim club, while I personally I have no vested in, this, in the swim club because that doesn't affect me whatsoever, I do appreciate you're looking at it with high density, uh, with apartments, with the the clubhouse, the pool, and the gym, about 244 projected units is what I think I saw in there, right. is it'd be very difficult for any other members of the community to utilize that with 244 with it being tied to the complex. Um, I don't know how much it'll be used by the apartment, uh, the people living in the apartment complex, but yeah, it'd just be nice to, because I know a lot of people have addressed concerns about it, but if that can work, it works. If, if not, um, 
yeah, I, I understand. As well as you know that, yeah, we, I think most of council members probably appreciate the, the missing middle piece that was added in there and the new layout. And I would like to see it go through with all that piece. But yeah, I understand the concerns and yeah, I'd like, yeah, no later than the December 13th one. So it doesn't push the timeline back a ton, uh, especially since it's already been going for what, 27 years. So <laughs> two more months, is it really gonna derail, derail things too much there? Some comments I had on it. Okay. So it's worth saying to continue this. Motion to continue to December 13th. So do you have a motion yeah. to for those particular items? If that's the consensus of the group, I'd suggest you have a uh, second and a vote to bring it back to date certain to address those issues if the council is in agreement with that. Can I amend it to include discussion on inclusionary zoning and a discussion on uh, a wow factor for the park? So you guys are gonna talk about, staff is gonna talk with the developer about possible ways to enhance the uh, proposal and they're gonna come back and share what they've discussed. Is that correct? If council wants to is that correct? include that uh, as part the of motion? The, the, the discussion, then we can yeah. include yeah. that. So, okay, so we'll second. Roll call vote. Yes. Yeah, we have second. Yes. Yes. No. Thank you. Consideration. City Manager, can you please go over 8C? Thank you, Mr. Vice Mayor, members of the council. Item 8C is a resolution adopting a fare for the City Coach Direct Microtransit Program. We have Brian McLean uh, here making a presentation. Good evening, Mr. Vice Mayor and City Council. Uh, tonight's presentation will be kicked off by Lori DeMassa, our transit coordinator, and then I'll come in and finish it up. Mayor and Council. This item is seeking the adoption of a $3 per trip fare for our City Coach Direct Microtransit Program.
The City Coach program is funded through three sources, uh, collected passenger fares, federal dollars through the Federal Transit Administration, and state funds through the Transportation Development Act. The Metropolitan Transportation Commission is the regional transportation planning, financing, and coordinating agency for the Bay Area. It is through MTC that state and federal funds flow down to the city of Vacaville. In late March 2020, MTC recommended suspending the fare collection throughout the Bay Area as a means of limiting driver-passenger interaction to slow the spread of COVID-19. As COVID-19 has subsided, MTC is now providing guidance to transit agencies on resuming fare collection in early 2023. The City Coach Direct program has been running fare-free since uh, fall of 2020. At the time of introduction, fare collection was suspended per MTC guidance. Therefore, a fare was never introduced and adopted by City Council. And in order to resume fare collection, a fare for the City Coach Direct program must be adopted. The City Coach Direct service is very unique. It differs from traditional modes of public transportation by, by providing door-to-door -door service versus stopping at scheduled stops along a fixed bus route. In preparation for the development of a new fare for City Coach Direct, staff initiated fare analysis review, starting with the evaluation of fare costs of similar microtransit services and baseline, as a baseline. Yolo Bus, Kota, and Marin Transit all set their fare between $3 and $4 per trip. Staff also reviewed the fare of private on-demand transportation services, including Uber and Lyft, and a six-mile trip within Vacaville in these modes will cost the passenger approximately $15 to $18. Staff then reviewed the current city coach fare and service parameters. The current fare for the fixed route system is $1.50 for adult, $1.25 for youth, and $0.75 cents for senior and disabled. The City Coach Paratransit program is available to individuals who are unable to use the fixed route bus service due to a disability. Use of this service must be certified through the countywide certification process, and the fare for this service is $2. Finally, through the Solano Transportation Authority, staff engaged NWC Partners, a third-party consultant, to perform a fare review to identify an appropriate fare for the City Coach Direct service. The findings from this review show that microtransit is typically priced per trip, and the pricing is closer to paratransit service due to both models being similar. NWC Partners' recommendation is to price the City Coach Direct microtransit service at $3 per one-way Staff initiated a broad, a broad range of public outreach efforts in both English and Spanish. Following MTC's guidance and resuming with resuming fare collection in early of 2023, staff provided notice to the public of the resumption of fare collection beginning on February 1st of 2023 and the proposed City Coach Direct fare of $3 per trip. Specific outreach efforts include notices being posted on all City Coach Transit vehicles, at all major bus stops, at various community locations throughout the city, on the City Coach website, in local newspaper, on the local radio station, and the City Coach's social media pages. Staff also conducted a public meeting on August 23rd at the Leisure Town Hall where the proposal was received well and City Coach Direct service was commended. 
The public was also invited to share their thoughts on the $3 proposed fare for the City Coach Direct by calling, emailing, or submitting a comment online to the City Coach staff. Overall, staff has received support for the proposed $3 fare. And now I'll hand it back over to Brian. Earlier today, um, in all transparency, we did receive a letter from uh, a citizen with some concerns. Um, and over the next three slides, uh, I will list those uh, those comments, uh, the questions and concerns. Um, and you can see they're numbered uh, one through five, and there's three slides. I think there's a total of 14 questions. And then the city coach's response on the right-hand side. There are a few or a handful of items that I did want to bring to your attention. Uh, specifically item five, um, question number five, city coach uh, dispatch should prioritize the city coach direct pickups and drop offs by citizen destination appointment time. It's a public transit service. Um, we have to um, abide by that in that um, it's a first come first serve type of, of service. And so we receive a phone call for a service and we dispatch the vehicle to pick up the individual for that particular trip. Number seven is another one that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, the city coach direct $3 fare unfairly penalizes those who live in a place where no fixed route service exists. Unfortunately, a fixed route bus, we run 35 foot buses. Um, they, they can't get everywhere in the city. That's just not realistic. Um, but I like to think of transit and the services they offer uh, like the like security or onions, the layers of an onion. We have fixed route and we have microtransit, and we have paratransit for our senior and disabled, and then we have our local taxi script subsidized program. So we have a, a myriad of different sources of transportation modes that help each individual fill in the various gaps to provide that kind of transportation network through the city. The next item I wanna uh, draw to your attention is number 12. Um, the question was, according to the September 14th, 22 media article, Fairfield will charge only $2 for microtransit and can use the same pass for 31 day fixed route service. It's true, um, Fairfield ag actually, it went to council um, earlier in September um, with a plan to be released um, or initiated in July of next year for a $2 uh, fare for their microtransit service, different than Vacaville's. What Fairfield is doing is combining their microtransit service and their paratransit service. Whereas here in Vacaville, at least from our perspective, the staff's perspective on with transit, we would like to be able to make sure that there's a very hard line between the paratransit service and the microtransit service. We don't want in any way to affect the, the ride of a senior and disabled individual here in Vacaville. The potential exists for that when you combine those kind of services. Uh, that said, uh, the 31-day fare or 31-day pass, monthly pass, that was mentioned in the uh, number 12 here in the from the citizen's comment, um, cost was not associated. When I looked online, it's $80. So it's a significant expense um, as opposed to the proposed fare here for City Coach tonight, City Coach Direct at $3 per trip. With that said, uh, the environmental and fiscal strategic impact, there is uh, no impact um, on in the environmental side, no CEQA impact, um, there's no fiscal impact. The city coach is 
a, a program that is self-funded. Um, and on the strategic plan goal, it's goal number four, maintain effective and efficient services. Finally, the recommendations by simple motion adopt the subject resolution. And that completes our presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions. All right, I'll open public comment. Seeing none, close public comment and bring it to staff. Director Council. I'll second, just um, a quick request, uh, please, you have, when you have time, reach out to Principal Tiffany Donahue um, in the past year expressed uh, issues with getting uh, students to the classes they need. Yeah, second. Roll call vote. Thank you. No? Yes. Oh, we don't need one. All right, all in favor? All right. Any opposed? Unanimous. Next uh, item, City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Vice Mayor, members of the council. This next item is a resolution extending the term for the Solano Irrigation District Undergrounding Benefit District. Chris Joya from our Public Works Department is here to make the presentation. Okay, good evening, Vice Mayor and members of council. This item for you tonight is the public hearing to extend the, extend the term of the Solano Irrigation District Undergrounding Benefit District. Um, hopefully you can see um, on this slide, uh, I-80 kind of bisects it um, diagonally in the middle there. Uh, you've got the Leisure Town Road crossing, over crossing of I-80 on the kind of the southwest portion Back Valley Parkway on the west, Ellsworth Road to the north, and again, Leisure Town Road bordering it on the west side. Um, this benefit district was created in 2003 to reimburse Solano Irrigation District for costs associated with the undergrounding of an SID canal. SID used their own funds to underground the canal from Ellsworth Road on the north side of the I-80 freeway to Orange Drive on the south side. Uh, the canal was undergrounded as part of work going on in the area which realigned Quinn Road and constructed the Leisure Town Road overcrossing to the alignment that exists today. Uh, the terms of the benefit district state that the property owners pay their fair share of the costs when they develop their parcels. Uh, the benefit district was adopted by council on January 14, 2003 with an expiration date of January 14, 2023. Not all development uh, has occurred uh, as of this date within the boundary. So SID has not recovered all of their costs to date. Staff is proposing to extend the term of the benefit district 10 years in an effort to recover all the costs. Seven parcels were included in the benefit district and there are only three remaining parcels needing to pay their obligation uh, as shown in the exhibit and those are the three parcels uh, in blue. So at the October 11th city council meeting, the public hearing date was set for tonight, October 25th, 2022. We sent notices of the public hearing to the property owners with information regarding tonight's public hearing and 
we have received no objections to the proposed term extension as of now. So that concludes my presentation. With that, I'd be glad to answer questions. I'll open up public comment. Nobody? All right. Close public comment. Bring it back to council. Motion approved. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? None. It's unanimous. Next item, city manager. Thank you, Mr. Vice Mayor, members of the council. This last item before you tonight is a resolution of the city council to consider uh, an assessment district alternative funding feasibility study. And next steps, Brian McLean and our consultants are here to give you a brief presentation. Good evening, Mr. Vice Mayor, excuse me, and council members. Uh, tonight's presentation um, uh, with me, I have John Bliss, um, and president of SCI uh, Consulting Group, and Jeanette Henson, uh, senior consultant with SCI. They'll be helping me present uh, tonight. Uh, quickly, some background. Um, assessment districts, what are they? They're a financing mechanism for, the maintenance, for maintenance of specific geographical areas. It's been codified in law um, through the Lighting and Landscape Act of 1972. Uh, the important, the levies are limited to the maintenance of the specific assessment district, meaning you can't take funds from one assessment district and pay for the work, the maintenance in another assessment district. And important, the annual levy is capped at 3% of the consumer price index per year. Vacaville has 134 districts of various mul uh, multiple types, um, parks, open space, drainage, detention basins, street lighting, et cetera. Our assessment districts, however, are not without their challenges. Um, in 22, this current fiscal year, 22-23, there are 29 assessment districts that are in financial shortfall. And what does that mean? The levy is not pulling in um, enough to pay for the expenses of the maintenance of that particular assessment district. Um, that financial shortfall is growing. Um, the gap is being bridged by the general fund and in this past fiscal year, the current fiscal year we're in right now, that bridge was $1.3 million. Um, without a new funding strategy to address this situation, the shortfalls will undoubtedly continue to grow and put more pressure on the general fund. And with that, in July of 2022, this past year, City Council uh, approved the hiring of SCI Consulting Group to help us find our way through this challenge. With that, I'm gonna pass it to John. Great, thank you. Okay, thank you. Good evening, members of the City Council, staff members of the public. My name is John Bliss. I'm president of SCI Consulting. We're based here in Solano County. We appreciate the opportunity to work with you on this tough and challenging and interesting project. Essentially, we're gonna give you some information today and as an update and then hope get to get direction to, to proceed with a survey to test kind of uh, what we found out here today. I'm joined by my uh, colleague, um, Jeanette Hinson, who is a resident here in Vacaville. The four squares up there represent kind of the four different elements we're going to look at. We're going to look at two ways that we can possibly provide equity to your property owners in support of parks and to improve the funding and support of parks throughout the city. 
um, and some setback landscaping. I'll talk to both of those. We wanna look at it as a benefit assessment as a possible mechanism. That's likely the most um, viable and the, the most optimal. We'll also look at a tax. We're gonna do, we've done some analysis on your revenue needs and we're gonna look at what, how, what's the best way to pay for those. So let's go to the next slide. So essentially found out some interesting stuff we wanted to share with you. Essentially, we, we look at voter propensity. Vacaville residents, you probably all know this, are very active voters. You have a very high propensity um, compared to, of voters compared to um, other cities that are similar. About half your voters are over 50 age, and most of your properties, as you know, are single-family homeowners. And those are that's kind of the, the, the mom and pop that uh, um, that enjoy parks, use parks, and are interested in parks. So this is this is the type of community that should be very supportive of parks. A couple of other things that we found out is as we try to provide an equity of rate and fairness and investment, we want to look at how are your parks distributed. Um, throughout compared to the parcels, and we have very good news. And so we found out that your neighborhood parks, that the standard is typically, we wanna have the, every house within a half mile, and, and most of yours are, all but 16% are, and then a community park, a larger, larger park, the standard is a mile and a half, and 91% and of yours are within that, so that's excellent. The other part that we're gonna talk about, and I'm gonna show you on the map on the next one is, and this is not unusual for cities, California cities, and it speaks to how we developed um, funding for local infrastructure here in California. 42% of your, your properties are not paying directly to any park. The other 58% went as a condition of development when those houses were developed, like we talked about tonight, there were, they were committed to um, be in an assessment district that supported the maintenance of their neighborhood and or community parks. So about half your area, and it's gonna be the older half, why don't you go to the next slide so we can see it. This next slide, I'm gonna show you a couple of things. First of all, look at the yellow, and and the the yellow, the, the residences in yellow are not paying, they're not part of any parks assessment district. They're essentially using the parks and their portion is, is in effect paid for by the general fund. The, the purple and blue and all of those colors are all paying into a, a neighborhood park or and or a neighborhood park community ass um, uh, assessment district. And so it, it's important to provide some equity. It, as I say, this isn't unusual. It's the way we developed starting in, a, in the 90s. We developed new subdivisions here in California. The older areas, when the general fund paid for parks, that's how it was set up. We, as a condition of development, we, we required developers to, to set up these assessment districts after that. As cities mature in California, many of them are looking at what you're looking in is, is this long-term an equitable way to do it? And they wanna look at it. And that's, that's what we're proposing here today is to, to try to even that out and more, make it more equitable. So all property owners are investing in, in parks um, in, in a more fair way, in a more transparent way. The other thing I'd like you to look at at this map, it wasn't really the indicate what this map was intended, but if you look at the green, the green are your park, and if you look closely, they're, they're reasonably well distributed, better than most cities we see. Usually we have a problem where there's park, park deserts and park oasises, and that's not true. You have a pretty even distribution, and that allows a, that, that provides us a, a much better path forward in a, in a single or a fairer or flatter rate for everyone because the parks are so well distributed. 
Let's go to the next slide. So again, we wanna look at funding for community parks, neighborhood parks, and then what I haven't talked about much are, are, are setback landscaping, landscaping and lighting assessment districts. We have some general shared areas, and then we have some areas that are unique to one subdivision. Um, and see how we wanna get those. Some of those are underfunded and we wanted to address those as well. So let's go to the next slide. I'm not gonna read off this list to you all. It's, it's late, but this is a component. Up to this point, I've, I've talked primarily about maintenance and operations, but primarily ma maintenance for parks. Realize that there's the opportunity here in Vacaville, as, I, as I've learned, as our firm has learned, you have an opportunity to develop some exciting, interesting, fantastic new capital improvements. Along with those, there's an obligation and need to do some maintenance. And so we want a mechanism that allows for if and only if as these come online, which they may or may not, to, to be able to properly maintain them. So we wanted a mechanism to recommend, to recommend a mechanism to you all that would allow for the maintenance of these potential new facilities. Let's go to the next slide. A little bit of how we come up with our methodology. So we want a methodology that's fair. As I said, we have a very, you all have a very, very high percentage of single family homes and they are relatively uniform in population density and size. And so we, we use this abstract benefit unit, we call it a single family equivalent that we would have for each single family home. Um, multifamily are assessed typically a little bit less per unit based on, we do studies on the average population density, how many people live there, as well as the square footage. And that gives us a way of looking at if a, if a single family home was $200 a year, maybe an apartment unit would be 100 or 125, something like that, based on the number of people that typically live in that kind of unit in the size. We do a similar analysis. You do have commercial and retail and, 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 and people that work and, and work here in Vacaville do enjoy and use the parks. And so there's a contribution that the non-residential should make as well. And we also base that on density. We look at lunchtime use. We look at a, a variety of different things so that there's an equitable, not only geographically, but also in terms of the use of the property. Um, and so we use this SFE. You'll hear us talking about this. So we came up with a couple of ideas and the, 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 there's two that we wanted to show to you today that we're considering testing. And, and one of them is to, um, both of them are based on this idea that let's, let's go out and do, do, do the analysis, do a survey on property owners here in Vacaville, property owners and voters, and ask them if we could have an equitable rate, the same rate basically for all properties. And, and right now we have many, many different assessment districts, as Brian said, a variety of different rates, and, and, and we wanna get that dialed down and make it more equitable. There are two packages or two scenarios we're proposing to survey. The first one we're calling measure one, and it would be um, would Vacaville, a typical Vacaville single family home be willing to invest $252.84 and that would that would um that would support um the 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 new and improved and existing investment in neighborhood parks, community parks and setback landscaping. 
We also wanted to look at the, ask a similar question, frankly, just looking at community parks and neighborhood parks and not do the setback landscaping. The setback landscaping is a different messaging. It's frankly, is, is more local and may not be as well supported. We wanted to see where um, Vacaville residents or property owners are on that. And for that second one, that's just the neighborhood community parks as well as the maintenance of, would, both would also have some funding for the maintenance of those future improvements I should do. That's $180.37. So both of those are rates that we would look at testing. Let's go, go ahead. One quick note here. Both of these plans, uh, important to note, is that the, uh, the current assessments um, that are being paid by individuals within these various assessment districts, under both of these plans, uh, under both of these proposals, those existing assessment district uh, costs, expenses that, that individuals are paying in, essentially get zeroed out. This new plan becomes the plan, you know, or that particular revenue measure um, becomes the cost for that particular assessment district uh, spread across the city in either of these two different plans. And, and in fact, we'll go to the next slide. And thank you, Brian, for pointing that out. That's an extremely important detail. Um, this slide shows what the, the current rates are. And so you can kind of do the math here and you can see the different um, assessment districts and assessment amounts that range from about 50 bucks to about $200. And so those would be zeroed out. So if I was in um, Ridgeview and I was currently paying $81.93, that would go to zero and I would pay either the 170 or the 252 that we looked at at the, uh, the other one. So it, it changes, it takes out this, this range and has everyone investing in parks at a, at a similar, more equitable um, rate. So that's the, uh, that's the idea, that's the proposal we thought as part of our mission to, to clean up and come up with a, 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 a simpler, more straightforward, more fair um, system, as well as getting you the investment in parks that you need going forward so that you can properly maintain what you have and potentially maintain any future improvements. So let's go to the next slide. And I know I'm going very fast here. I started by saying, hey, let's look at a special tax and a benefit assessment. The benefit assessment is, is sometimes called a, a special assessment. It's the, the rules, the mechanisms for implementing a benefit assessment were called out in Prop 218. It's often called a Prop 218 as well. It all means the same thing. There are, are procedures that are in place that are, are clear and administrative and different from a tax. Um, uh, 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 the, for, for today, the prob pr probably the two biggest differences between a special tax and a benefit assessment, and again, they're like a Chevy and a Ford, they'll both get you where you wanna go, but they have different, there are, there are important differences in the details. Probably the, the biggest difference in this case is the Prop 218 is a property owner um, election, whereas the special tax is a voter election. In a community like Vacaville, where you're mostly single family homes and most people are registered to vote, actually those populations overlap pretty well. They're not that different. In many communities <coughs> we have pro where, where you have a lot of landlords, the property owners are a different population than the registered voters, or in a, a college town, for example, they're very different. Here in Vacaville, there's lots of similarities. So we would look at both of those and we would return to you and make a recommendation on what was optimal, a benefit assessment or a special tax. Um, and so are you, this slide is you? This slide is me. Okay, great. Okay. Real quick, the environmental, fiscal impact and strategic goal. Uh, there is no environmental impact, no CEQA impact regarding this, uh, taking an action on this item. 
Uh, at this point, there's no fiscal impact. Um, back in July, as you recall, council approved the hiring of uh, SCI Consulting Group uh, with a budget of $165,000. So we're not asking for any additional funding right now. And the strategic goal is goal number three, protect backfields quality of life and goal 4A, ensure fiscal sustainability. And finally, the recommendation by simple motion, adopt the subject resolution. And that completes our presentation. We'd be happy to answer any questions. I'll open it up to public comment. Yes, I got one taker. <laughs> Bird, Vacaville resident. I'm already in a special assessment district. It's called the city of Vacaville. And uh, I just received my current tax bill and uh, I'm taking a look at that. And then we approved several special taxes, the paramedic tax, the fire police tax. And I believe there's a third one for emergency services. I would caution the gentleman on his vernacular. When I hear equitable, I hear reaching into my pocket and putting in somebody else's pocket. I live in an older neighborhood. I'm within reach of my local park. We don't need a bathroom there. I just walk home to use a bathroom. And I think we're about to encounter an incredibly difficult economic period, far worse than 2008. I will vigorously oppose this and anybody that votes for it, come elections, I'll remind you. The answer isn't always to add another tax. And if I lived in a, new, a newer neighborhood and I had a Melarus and I'm paying for that, well, that's fine, that was the agreement. I bought an older home, a fixer upper that was pretty bad off, but I wanted to be in a home in an older part of town and without Melarus and I'm willing to pay my, my taxes to take care of the city. But if something is getting out of control, then I suggest the council do diligence and work on it another way. But no, sir, uh, equity, fairness, a lot of ambiguous terms there. That's all. Thank you. All right, I'll close public comment. I don't know who is first. Let's start with Council Member Wiley. Thank you for the presentation. I wanted to clarify uh, the question. So when we talked about it would take away what you already pay for LLC and then this would be the new fee. So I would just want to see, and was that new fee going to be on all the single family homes or just the ones that were just paying the LLC? It, it would be on all single family homes partially to address the issue of making sure everyone's investing in parks. That, that's what I thought the intent yeah. was, but I wanted to clarify Thank because you. sometimes things Thank are not you. said exactly. And so then I do live in a newer home that, and I haven't looked at my property tax recently, but I think there's a lot of things listed besides LLC, like park fee and other things. So the only thing this would take away would be the LLC and in its place would be another fee. Right. That's correctly right. said. That the if you're in an assessment for a neighborhood and/or community park, that would be replaced. Still, by this. that would still stay there, right? The only thing mm -hmm. that would be gone was the LLC one. The the. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The LLD. There are different flavors of LLDs. 
and the ones that are specifically for neighborhood parks or community parks. And, and Jeanette here can tell, we have a list of which ones. Um, yeah, that's the neighborhood park and community park LODs. There are other LODs that pay for setback, other setback landscaping, drainage, lighting. Um, so this is, is specifically to replace the park LODs. Oh, okay. So the other ones will not be affected. Yeah. Only yeah, just the to park be clear. one. Yeah, perfectly said. That's right. And added to the people that don't have a park one on there already. Perfectly said. That was my question. Council member Silva. Um, thanks for presenting. I know there's a defini different definitions of equitable or equity. Um, and I think like, it sounds like to me, this approach is maybe more equal, uh, more equal approach. And I think by doing that, we create an inequity, uh, particularly in Vacaville, where we would have uh, different neighborhoods that um, the so socioeconomic uh, dynamic of those particular neighborhoods are or a, a bit different, like even looking at the list of, you know, I saw Trower as one of those and that came up with a lot of uh, staff discussions um, about uh, how we uh, revamp uh, that particular park to better serve the neighborhood. And I see there it's, you know, amongst the top two third of uh, tax. Can we go uh, back to that slide? Taxed uh, uh, residents. So, uh, but I also understand that this effort is looking at uh, additional larger uh, projects that the community has expressed desired and, and wanting. Um, so I guess my, my question is, uh, one, I have a big problem with taxing any homeowner in the uh, part of, the northern part of Fairmont School. So that whole neighborhood area, particularly along Aegean Way, there is no neighborhood park, there is no community park, there is no access to open space. Uh, so to me, um, you know, to, to impose uh, anything for an amenity that they do not have access to and we have no plan uh, to address. I have a plan, but, um, <laughs> we, uh, but you know, as far as the city yeah. goes and general plan, we're not, it's not in there. So, um, so I'm just giving that feedback. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and then uh, uh, the question I do have is uh, what, uh, I'm not opposed to like putting out a survey, you know, I mean, um, you know, let's, let's hear what people got to say, but uh, I do have questions about how that survey would be conducted. Sure. How do you target to make sure you truly do have a different representative voice uh, throughout the city? And sure, let, let, me, let me discuss this. And before I do, to your first point, I, I think I'm speaking broadly and I did say that there are, there's a percentage of, of the parcels that are aren't within the half mile of the neighborhood or, or mile and a half, we have to look at those specials. So the area you, you described, it sounds like probably doesn't satisfy that requirement. And so we'd have to look at, at how, the, how and if those people are assessed. So we'll look at all of that detail. That's a, that's a big part of it. Let me describe what the, how the survey works. And so essentially what we've found has that we've had the best luck with is a mailed survey. And the mailed survey um, we, we take a look at the data, which is the, the parcel. So every, every parcel in the city has a use, it has a size, it has an owner's name and an owner's address. And we randomly select from that in a large enough sample that it's representative and a large enough sample that we get geographic distribution and all kinds of different distributions. And we'll look at that. We, the, the program randomly selects and then the, we make sure we get that distribution. 
those respondents or potential respondents are mailed the survey and it comes in a, in a regular envelope and the respondent can open it up and there's two pieces of paper. There's actually three things in there. One is a postage paid return envelope so they can use it. The other is a kind of almost like an info guide. It would give some information on parks here in Backville, what we're trying to do, what are the future. It does it in a it intentionally a very, very, um, balanced and um, a, a, a very, very balanced and governmenty way. It's not persuasive in, in a way. We're not, we, we, would be, we would be remiss if it was promoting or pushing one way or the other. And oftentimes when people see our info guide, they're like, is this it? And we do that, it's dialed down because we don't want to, we, we don't want to drive support up or down. We want it to be base, we want it to be cold, we want it to be governmenty. In addition to that, there is a questionnaire, and the questionnaire has a key question that we call internally question number one, and that's where we propose a rate and services. So it's a, it's a question. In order to continue to maintain parks and neighborhood and community parks in Vacaville, um, provide funding for new capital improvements, maybe one other line, would you be willing to invest X amount? It would be one of those two rates per year to for, for parks, dedicated for parks and recreation with oversight. A, a fairly typical ballot question with that dollar amount, and then respondents can reply to that. In addition to that, we usually have 10 or 15 additional questions that might ex ask questions about maintenance, it might sports field mowing, it might have bathroom cleaning, it might have capital improvements, where we try to understand what, it, what are the important values of the property owners or voters in terms of parks and recreation. And then the third section is a, a open-ended comment section where property owners can write, or respondents can write whatever they want. And there's lots of value in that. And we go through and tabulate all of that for you. We ana analyze it. It's also right on the survey is the opportunity. Some people want to do it online. And so we give them a website and a, a QR code that they can go and respond online. And we get about 10% of our respondents are online. Still, most of them will fill it out with pencil. They will put it in the envelope and, and send it in. Once we get all of those, we will tabulate them, we'll analyze them, we'll go over it with staff, and then we'll ultimately, it'll come back to you as a presentation and we'll look at what did we find, what level are our, our um, Vacaville property owners and voters willing to invest, what's important to them, is a tax more optimal benefit assessment, that type of thing. So this is the, the, the first step towards addressing kind of your goal of, of, of sustainability, fiscal financial sustainability for parks and recreation. And a, sorry, quick question, what's your sample size? Like what's the target? So we're mailing 10,000. And I think that, and that typically that, I, I think we've, we, we predict with the response rate, we like to do a plus or minus 3% on our margin of error. Thank you. Council member Sullivan, I think. Thank you for uh, talking. Um, so a couple quick questions. Um, I, I do really strongly agree with council member Silva's comment about the folks that don't have access. Yeah. I mean, that just makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Those 16% somehow accounting yeah. for that or there's a waiver or something. Um, I do really like the idea of looking at this. So, I mean, I know I live in a very old neighborhood that has a very low uh, 
assessment fee right now and the, you know no fault of our own we just don't have the money to keep it up it looks terrible right so aaron and i talk about this all the time he says shrubs and grubs right we've got falling down fences and dead landscaping and you know the parks i've got all kinds of needs there and so i know a lot of it is a resource issue it's like how do you get that there so i appreciate the fact that we're looking at this i think we, we do need to look especially in our older neighborhoods that are really falling behind um couple quick i mean it, it feels a little backwards though right it feels like um hey we're gonna get like this it feels like how much can we get and then we'll figure out what we need it almost feels like we, like we need a total amount like brian if you had the perfect amount of dollars for each of these lnls what would that it almost feels like we're just like hey back to the taxpayer how much will you give us i'd rather know like what do you think we need to, to maintain things and keep it so did we study like a target are we trying to get to a certain dollar amount or is it just like how much can we get away with kind of thing that's a great question um so sci uh jeanette and uh, john did an extensive uh, analysis uh, to come up with those numbers um looking at uh, various the LL, llad budgets um, extrapolating for potential future capital maintenance costs on the various capital projects that uh, could come down the line as we were listed earlier um, looking at uh, forecasting um, you know future uh, future growth in the city um, working with they they met with parks and recreation and went through uh, the parks and recreation master plan and what the, the demands that parks and rec were seeing from um, their master plan and their contact with the citizenry so a lot of information went in went into the uh, to those numbers. It's I know it looks like they're plucked out of the air, but there's a uh, tons of spreadsheets that are that are backing up that information. Um, those are the numbers. Um, again, the the higher figure, the two hundred and the two hundred and fifty two dollar and eighty four cent item, uh, or is the revenue measure one? This is uh, for the maintenance of current and neighborhood parks, current neighborhood and community parks, plus general funded and un underfunded LLADs. So the, the 29 um, LLADs that are basically driving the general fund to supplement that shortfall of the tune of $1.3 million this year, um, those will be you know, investigated and pulled into this plan. In addition, uh, listening to council over the last several uh, meetings in the last several months, uh, the Caltrans off ramps. Um, we, I met with uh, Don Burris and we talked about you know the needs of economic development and you know where where are those um, Caltrans ramps um, that are you know the big spots that we want to make sure that we brighten up that we we take those out of, of Caltrans hands and we really put some emphasis on on some landscaping and we identified the the three major um, uh, Caltrans ramps that's incorporated here and then finally as you can see that last bullet point the maintenance of the maintenance of those potential future um, park and recreation type of amenities um, that we're looking at and down the road that's the 252 the the measure to, uh, or the revenue um, item number two proposal number two at $180 that basically extrapolates out um, that's the neighborhood parks that's the community parks and you know future maintenance but it takes out the Caltrans pace um, entirely as, as well as uh, some of the LLAD underfunded pieces, which will essentially get picked up um, by a certain amount through this, this $180 um, rate per okay. year. That's great. Okay. So, so we've got a pretty thorough target. Okay. Extremely thorough. So the only, the, the one other comment I wanted to make is right when we first started talking about this, the first thought that popped in my head, just kind of like cold turkey was, um, but we're already paying for measurement. Right, so if I was a taxpayer, you know, we're adding an additional level of tax and they're already paying this extra tax. And so 
I don't even know what I'm really suggesting, but it almost feels like we should carve something out of Measure M first. I mean, every year we kind of sit here at the council, like, hey, what do you want to spend our money on, on Measure M? And it's a little more structured than that, but it also does feel like if we're going to ask for an additional tax, maybe we'll look at like maybe a Measure M match first and we lower the rate, or maybe there's some sort of, you know, scaled period of time where the this scales up to a certain point as Measure M tapers down, because it does feel like we're already taxing folks on, on that front. And so, you know, when you have a school bond, you're passing a school bond because there's absolutely no other revenue source for these items, right? So that the school districts don't have the money. We heard tonight the developers don't pay enough to pay for it. The school's never going to get built. So if you want a school, you pass a bond. In Vacaville, for, for this, it's like, well, we do have Measure M, right? And to some degree, we told voters we're going to do Parks and Rec. We're going to do... So I'm not saying we shouldn't do this. I absolutely think we should do the survey. It's great. But I do think that Measure M piece is there. And it's kind of like, well, you're just tossing another tax onto a tax, but you're already paying a tax. So maybe there's a way to sort of factor that in and do some sort of scale so we're not totally kind of sinking it. And then the last piece, the last question I have is just timing. So when do you, I mean, are you wait a while past the election? I know we've got all kinds of school bonds on there. And like, what, what is the timing of the survey and when do you anticipate coming back? So if council moves forward with approval tonight uh, to move forward with the development of a, uh, a public sentiment survey, um, we would, SCI would start working on that right now. Um, they would uh, work through December on that, um, and we would try to get it out in February, March, January, February, yeah, March. February. Yeah, sometime in early part of after the after the holidays, um, for the the sake of making sure that everybody is um, out of the holiday mood. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the answers. Council Member Roberts. Yeah, uh, Council Member Sullivan touched on most stuff I want to. Uh, it's like, for here, I just got my uh, tax <laughs> notice, and yeah, it's yeah more than I really want to pay, but unfortunately, I have to pay it. Um, but yeah, with these numbers, I, I know you said the average was 99, and 42% of the people don't necessarily, aren't, aren't being assessed for the parks. Um, so, I mean, with that, as like, if we push out the all residents encompass those other 42%. I mean, you're essentially doubling the, almost doubling the, the revenue coming from it. And so for doubling what the proposed revenue measure two assessment rate of 180 bucks and then pushing out to everybody, you're essentially quadrupling the amount of money that's coming. Are we that short where you have to quadruple the amount of revenue coming in for that piece or the sure. six times the amount with the $250? Yeah, I mean, it just seems a little high to me. Just from, I know you guys have your formulas and algorithms for assessing how much it is. It's but. it's a great question. I think the the context to look at it, look at it, uh, the lens to look through this is, this problem has been brewing you know, for the last twenty years. Uh, we've had uh, underfunded uh, LLADs that are continuing to creep up. Um, this isn't the end. The 29 isn't the end. If we don't get a hold of this now, if we don't have a strategy, which you know this is a strategy that right now that we're going through a, this investigation, if we don't nail that down, the general fund or another revenue source will continue to suffer the effects of uh, that growing cost. Uh, it, it's not going to slow. Uh, when I started doing the presentations for the LLADs um, four years ago, uh, the general fund was uh, supplementing to the to the uh, tune of about seven hundred thousand dollars. This year, it's one point three million dollars. It's going to continue to grow. <coughs> Excuse me. 
over the next 20 years. And so that's the lens that really that we're looking through is what do we need now and what do we need in the future with all of these additional amenities coming online? And that was part of the, the structure of, of the analysis. What do we see coming down the line in talking with Parks and Rec and looking at what's going on in terms of development within the city and trying to ad advance a solution that allows us to be able to pull in enough revenue to wipe out that shortfall that we see now and put us on a financial footing, strong financial footing for the future. So that's where that number comes from. It's a it's an amalgamation of many facts. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's one of those things where, yeah, the answer is always more taxes than assessments. Like other revenue sources like Measure M, uh, like, yeah, big portion of our revenue comes from sales tax and measure M is like maybe in the future we assess that are three quarters of a percent, maybe a full 1%. Because we have a lot of people shopping from in the outlets from outside the area that, hey, if they're going to come here and shop, maybe they can help pay for some of the stuff that's going on in the city because a lot of people utilize that as well. And then kind of going to the equi or equity versus equality aspect of it, I'm just from, yeah, my perspective, like, yeah, $180 isn't that big a deal to some people, but other people, that's an entire month of groceries and food for them. So just a flat rate isn't necessarily the best route either for some families. Um, and while it, it is what it is sometimes, but yeah, is there, I think there should be different ways to look at it. Either I know can't really do income-based. That'd be very difficult to do on, on a city. Or I know like property taxes based on the assessment of the value of the property. Um, I know Portland does like a per person. I, I think they tack it on with the DMV fees, but yeah, I know a lot of cities do different. Yeah, different and, and I think that. you bring up a really good point. And I think we'll, the, the survey is gonna help us kind of look at that issue. And it is, what is the fundamental fairness of a flat tax when you have folks that have different income levels? Um, state law prevents us, so one measure is the assessed value of the property. That's an imperfect measure because of some yeah. Prop 13 things. Unfortunately, the state law prevents us for, a, for an assessment or a tax like that, this to use it. So we can use other attributes like the use or the size, and so we'll look at that as well. The other thing we could look at, and I, I'm, I'm hearing it from a number of people here, is there are certain... Um, we, there are types of low income discounts or exemptions. There may be some other things that we'll present to you that maybe help address this th that type of issue um, in terms of that fundamental fairness. So there's some some ways we can approach it. Not not great ways, but we'll, we'll come up with some ideas for you. Thank you. Well, my question, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll go after you. So uh, you, you just kind of alluded to one thing. So I was whispering to uh, Council Silva. Um, one way, if taxes aren't going, they're not going away. So we, we try to avoid them. But um, if we have to have a tax to, for the betterment of the city, one way you can't do valuation, but you can't do size. So maybe the same way we've we've done other adjustments for like other fees when it comes to developments and, and the dip and blah blah blah. What if it's a zero to a thousand? Thousand to fifteen hundred square feet. Fifteen square feet, twelve hundred. Twelve hundred to thirteen hundred. So therefore, someone has a thirteen hundred square foot house. Um, maybe their fee is already at two seventy five or something. 
So they won't have a, their net change for them won't be the same effect as someone that's living in a house that is um, you know, in the old part back of goals and wonderful small house, but maybe their their income level is at the age they are is more key for them. They're they're getting their golden years, and maybe that jump in two sixty five a month is going to affect them at a higher rate than someone that's in a third house corporate house. I mean, you know, it's it does it it does affect a little differently. You know, someone might have a difference of extra hundred dollars. Um, I mean, a lot. Some some people like it's one less trip to grocery. Like it's a little lesser strain for something they would have bought, but it's not going to change their life. Um, maybe that could maybe it's an indicator. But hey, this part of town, you can even see parts of town have older homes where the parks are maybe around the prevalent of other areas, and it, it would kind of work as own 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 way out. If you're if you're in a house that's four thousand square feet, it's it's not going to make a big difference. Let, let me address that because I think there, there's three approaches and we'll do some research and report back to you on all three. One of them is geographic. Are there areas of the city because of less access to these amenities that that the rate or, or the, uh, the tax or a fee or assessment should be less? One is the size, as you said. We can take a look at the size. Commercial, of course, is based on size, but we'll look at single-family homes and see if there's a... a range um, that we could do as you suggested and then the third one is looking at offering we can have senior exemptions because a lot of seniors are in fixed income or low or low income so all of those tools are available and we'll we'll present those to you as we go forward with this as options okay my question is um it says on here the fiscal impact that there are no funds being requested I led to believe that the mailers that are going going out are covered by the, the our ex our exit yeah we're under contract okay. already and this and then, is the first ask of a number of tasks perfect and then the other question that I had is am I clear in my understanding that even if you get this result this is going to be up to a ballot measure that requires sixty six percent of the people to vote to tax themselves or fifty percent plus one perfectly said I'm going to add one little caveat to that that's exactly right so this is this is a this is an exploratory step to report back to you but it would have no effect on a, a fee tax or assessment that would that would require as you correctly said if it's a, a tax it's two-thirds of the participating registered voters if it's at a benefit assessment it's 50 percent plus one of the property owners weighted by their proposed assessment amount and what does that mean it kind of the best way to picture it is it's a dollar a vote let's say there was a shopping center mm -hmm. and we calculated their assessment was a thousand dollars a year and then there's a single family home next to it and that uh, that single family home let's say the assessment was 180 something like that the house gets 180 votes the shopping center gets a thousand votes and that's so both both of these mechanisms were written by the Jarvis Taxpayers Association. They're both conservative, particularly compared to other states, and they're about even. It's just a little different way to okay. slice it. I just wanted to make sure that <coughs> that, the, that we weren't adding costs, and that right. that the he knows that we're not going to force taxes on them. That up to them to decide whether or not this is something that they're interested. Perfectly, not making yeah. anybody. Uh, telling anybody how to vote on this. Um, do we have a motion? 
All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? All right, let's see if people want to tax themselves. <laughs> Reports to the city manager? I have none this evening, thank you. Reports from the city council, anybody have anything? Uh, thank you, Sarah Rothstein. Thank you, city staff. Um, she uh, was able to lead that painting of the utility box, and she sent me some picture, pic, pictures. Excuse me, sorry. Can't talk after 11. Um, and so, I don't know. I thought it was pretty amazing. Uh, I'm happy, personally, I'm happy what came out. Uh, so I love to, you know, have council members uh, check that out and see how we can. You know, I know there's an effort going for our master plan. But um, anyways, I just want to thank Sarah for uh, being perse persevering through that and the city staff supporting that. Uh, also, November 2nd, City of Vacaville, I believe it's our first for honoring of Dia de los Muertos. So that's going to be at Andrews Park. Um, congrats to Brian. Where is he at? Did he leave? We're napping nap. All right, he's out there. Congrats. Uh, Reggie, congrats on your promotion. All right, well-deserved. And uh, just for, there's several folks, or a good, a good number of folks um, who, are, who have a priority to the sidewalk uh, repair program that we approved maybe a month or so ago, or a couple months. Um, but those app deadlines, I believe, are still due to the end of this week. Um, so uh, um, I don't know if they're watching, but put that out there. Everybody's and everybody's watching, right? <laughs> and uh, likewise, for the nonprofit application for ARPA, just a reminder, uh, that's the end of this week as well, correct? For the nonprofit. Oh, sorry, too late. And uh, I think uh, with the three by three city school board, I think we um, really need to put a priority to talk about um, coming up with uh, helping to encourage solutions to fund schools. So I think that needs to be a priority in our three by three. Um, just coming up with a list of solutions and then bringing it out to the public to keep people informed. Maybe that's a, a webinar put on by both uh, city or school, but um, I think that's something we, we need to put on. I know it's something we've talked about throughout the year um, and last year, but I think that's our number one thing we need to address. So, uh, thank you. Uh, Council Member Sullivan. And so the about the eleven, we talked offline and kind of explained that based on the chain of events and how things work, that didn't actually need to happen. Can you just kind of succinctly explain the situation with CFD eleven? That way, folks can come back and watch the video later if they have questions or concerns on what happened or what didn't happen with that apartment complex in this case. Sure. So the action taken by the city council, if you recall, on the Southtown apartment projects, there were two appeals. One was to appeal the commission's approval of the project, and then the other appeal was by the uh, applicant himself, which was for the inclusion of a condition that required the project to participate in CFD number 11. Um, the outcome of that uh, particular motion was a um, moving forward with um, denying the project in effect, and but that it would be subject to CFD 11. So um, as it stands right now, um, the intent is, is that if that project were to be built or any project built on that property, it would be included in CFD. Gotcha, unless we jump in. Right. That time. Okay, thank you very much, I appreciate it. Uh, the second question, and this actually, we had a, a woman named Debbie Phillips tonight come speak with us. 
there's a really interesting new narrative uh, from a couple of candidates as well as some of our um, employee associations talking about uh, brownouts and how the city council is browning on ambulances and shutting down fire stations and doing all sorts of fun stuff, none of which is true or accurate. Um, I'd really like the chief to come back or fire management to come back and actually talk about the brownout, talk about why you guys made the decision, kind of how that came about, the staffing issues, and actually have a public discussion about that. There's quite a, a, a big narrative now online because of some social media posts and some campaign statements by folks that are just not true at all. So I'd really like um, the chief to come back and report on that. I think we're gonna talk about the overtime issue that the chief's also working on, but I'd like a full report on the brownout, the status of it, kind of why it happened, how we're gonna prevent it, and you know where council may have some tools to help because it had nothing to do with any of our decisions. And I just wanna have them come explain. Certainly, our plan was to bring something back to uh, council on a related manner on the November 15th. Meeting. Awesome, awesome, thank you. And then my last one is, um, uh, I'm not necessarily asking to agendize this, but I think it's something for council to take a look at. There, there's a lot of developer and special interest money in this campaign cycle, um, a lot, like, like thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and it's predominantly not folks on the dais today, um, but that's gonna mean lots of um, conflicts of interest, if you will. And so there's a new law, SB 1439, which we talked about tonight. I would strongly encourage the council to agendize a discussion on SB 1439 very, very quickly, maybe after the election. Um, again, you know, lots and lots of developer money and folks can't vote on certain things now or shouldn't be voting. And there's, there's even misdemeanor penalties and all sorts of other things. So I, I would strongly encourage this group, you know, again, I, I won't be here, but the first thing I would do is really have a long talk about SB 1439 because it's gonna change the way that we do development. And I know with the developer money flowing and the special interest money flowing on people's uh, form 460s, um, it's gonna be a huge issue. So I would encourage you guys to take a look at it. If, if I could respond to that just real quickly. Um, as you know, it's been four years for yourself, but um, when we have new council members uh, brought on, uh, at the beginning of the year, we typically do educational onboarding and stuff, so forth. And certainly with the passage of that new legislation, that will be included as part of that onboarding. Right. Right. Cool, thank you. Those, those are all my comments. Council, who is next? Council Member Wiley. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say a couple of things that tonight during uh, consent items, one of the one was traffic, and we're so happy that that did pass and we will have money to spend on traffic things like DUIs and uh, distracted driving. And I just wanted to remind people that next week is Halloween, so everyone needs to be really careful of you know, tra traffic, especially when there are little trick-or-treaters out. And um, so, also just a reminder that safe routes to school that's been mentioned a couple times ago. And then I guess I didn't, uh, just piggybacking on what uh, Council Member Sullivan just said, I wanted to say what a remarkable story that I think her name was Debbie Phillips had, and thank you to the firefighters, you know, who do have the life-saving life skills to save people in those kinds of situations. And then just to clarify that this council did not brown out any medic services. So that's what I wanted to say. Council Member Wiley, Council Member Ritchie. Okay, thanks for sticking around to hear everybody. Um, my comments are a little, little lighthearted, different. Um, I'm excited about the, I wish the whole community would come and join Backville High School for the ribbon cutting of the Steve Green Gymnasium. Um, 
Steve Green was amazing man, and he's really, really important in my life. He um, not only was he, was he a coach, but he was a mentor. He, you know, he would he was there for a lot of kids that need help as far as like that kind of like that fatherly advice, that conversation, that nudge back in the right direction. He 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 did more than to provide uh, being a teacher and a coach. He really helped a lot, a lot of kids feel welcome and empowered, important, and so. I think it's awesome that that uh, the, the gym is being named for him. That's uh, on the 27th at 4:30, and then you can celebrate at Becca High, then race down the street. Um, um, Backville Firefighters 3501. Um, they're doing their annual uh, pink uh, raising money for cancer at Pietro's, which would be a great opportunity to kind of get some great food and support a good cause. Um, so really step step by there, support um, a. Like really cornerstone of our community, Pietro's, and raise money for for cancer. Um, then, pretty excited. I was I was asked to be a keynote speaker at two graduations later the same day. Um, it was pretty interesting. I was asked by Blake Austin College, and I'm going to have have to do those two celebration speeches and kind of relate my life and my journey through kind of like Robert Frost, the road less traveled. Taking a path to become a council member, taking a path to become a small business owner, and everything looked like I should have gone right, I went left. And these ladies and gentlemen are placed in their life where they chose to enter a vocational college at a very interesting time in their life. And so I'm gonna try to relate my story to them. So if you're busy or if you're not if you're bored, come by and watch watch me try to relate. But um, I think it's a great thing to see things like in our community step up. People are going forward and take, even in a pandemic, they're trying to make their lives better and, and kind of go forward. So a lot of good things, good things going on, and hopefully I'll see you guys around. Thank you, Councilmember Ritchie. And Steve Green was an amazing man. I had the privilege to um, play on some teams that he coached when I, when I was in high school as well, and I'm, I'm excited that they're going to honor him. Um, I have a couple things. Um, you know, we celebrated a while back when an off-duty officer um, made some heroic actions in our community. Um, and I also, uh, last week, I forgot to mention, and I, I didn't want to overlook it because I still think that it it's vital to recognize outstanding heroic behavior in our community. And we had a situation in District 4, I believe it was, where there was a young lady that was accosted by a knife-wielding person having some 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 issues and this individual was apprehended by inmates from uh, the California medical facility as well as the uh, correctional officer that was on duty and it just goes to show you that um, despite of circumstances there are good people in this community that are willing to stand up and help out another example of citizens and folks on hard times that that um, leads me to believe that you know that that these gentlemen that were involved um, can continue to be productive members of society and, and their their efforts need to be applauded for their heroic behavior. So I was glad to see that the police department was involved in recognizing their heroic behavior. And I think it's important to recognize anybody in our community does something like that. So I wanted to bring that up. Um, I also, um, as far as the, the SB 1439, I'm really interested in that as well. I think that the public has every right to know who gives anybody that sits up here and makes decisions about trying to tax people too much or anything else like that. 
uh, who's giving them money. So, so I think that uh, this council has been pretty unanimous with their um, thoughts for the most part on publicly making declarations that they've received campaign contributions. And, I, and I'm committed to continuing that conversation with all of you to make sure that whatever is maybe missing from SB 1439 doesn't get missed in Vacaville because I want voters informed on who's, who's uh, given money to people up here. And um, lastly, I, I wanted to um, thank council member uh, Sullivan for, for bringing that topic up about, about staffing with the fire station. Um, I completely agree. I am really, really concerned, not only with the fire department services um, that are um, being affected, but also services throughout the entire city. Um, you know, we continue to hear stories about people leaving different departments through the city. Um, the staff here, and, and you're with us again tonight, and it's 11, a quarter after 11, and you're doing more with less. And, you know, it's getting more and more difficult to recruit and retain people. Your, your guys are doing, guys and gals are doing an absolutely phenomenal job, and we do appreciate you but it's time that we show it. Um, I believe that um, I believe that we need to um, get an assessment of what services that our community is expecting are being impacted in each of your departments. I know I brought this up a while back, and I know that the city manager and staff have made efforts to do this. There are complications, but it needs to be done. And so I, I would like to motion tonight that we agendize um, again a status update for the city of Vacaville and our department related to staffing issues, recruitment and retention, as well as what services are not being provided due to those issues. Can I get a second? Also, looking for information. Yeah, I just want I just want an update. Yeah, I, I want an update. Yeah, for 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 every department, and I and I'm I know it's more work, but I really want to know where we need to help because it's, it's, it's impacting services. What that woman, what that woman said down here, um, I, I don't want anybody to get hurt here. And if we have the ability um, to fix some of these issues, I think the council, from my experience up here, is that they are committed to doing what needs to be done to make sure that we continue to provide the quality of life for Vacaville City. So, um, so it sounded like I had a second. Um, do I need a roll call or can I just do a regular? Okay, so all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? None is unanimous. That's all I have. Um, we are going to break back to our special session from this morning. Um, so city you, you just adjourn this meeting. Oh, I'm sorry. The regular meeting. The regular meeting, we'll but we're going to go back reconvene. to that. Are we going to report anything back? No. Okay, good night, Vacaville.